Last time on Mockpod. What happened? We've managed to free ourselves from the collective, but by next week they will have regenerated enough to resume control of the show. I'll take that chance. Mr. Crane, cut. And now the continuation. I am still the cutest of Borg. The human's attempt at sabotage has not been successful. Why do you resist us? We only wish to raise the quality of this podcast for all species. The show as it was had a narrow vision. We will continue the discussion of Star Trek. Resume transmission. We're going to start with the movies. Okay. Because the way I think of it is Trek is a TV franchise first. Sure. The movies are, they're sort of spinoffs. They're yeah. something they tried as well. Um... Now, the movies are interesting because they kind of have to be two things. Uh, they have to be good Star Trek stories, which in a nutshell are sort of thoughtful, often philosophical and ethical or even existential stories, mm. uh, quite heady uh, sort of sci-fi. But they also need to be good movies, which are just solid entertainment for a general audience. Mm. So the movies balance that in varying degrees to interesting results. Um, the top of my list is sort of the ones that I think do it the best. Down the bottom are the ones that I think are bad movies and bad Star Trek. And right. the middle are a bit of a blend. Okay. Shall we start at the bottom? Uh, let's start. I'm going to start at the top and work okay. down. Okay. Because right. I know what I want to say about the good ones. And I think it'll be interesting to talk about the, Fine. the not so good ones. Okay. Uh, now, uh, we're going to go with my movie uh, list from top to bottom. Okay. And you tell me... Uh, if the movie that I have picked and my number one spot yeah. uh, matches with yours yep. or not. Uh, my number one Star Trek movie, uh, my favorite, is The Voyage Home. I love The Voyage Home. Mm -hmm. And if you had asked me this question last year, right? 100% The Voyage Home. Okay. And, and, and in fact, and I think I said this in the last episode, uh, if I was recommending Star Wars or Star Trek to somebody... It would be the voyage home. Okay, so you have not picked that. I have not picked it. It's not no. All right. Well, here's uh, I've got I've got I've just got a couple jingles for disagreement and agreement. We okay. are disagreeing. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh my goodness! It's trouble, trouble. The battle music. <laughs> um. So the voyage home. Yeah. Uh. The one with the whales. The one with the whales, as as it is affectionately known, the. It's interesting because this uh, is kind of the end of a narrative trilogy. Two, three, and four of the Star Trek films kind of tell one ongoing story. Um, I, if I'm not wrong, I think Search for Spock, which is number three, three. which is yep. the middle of the trilogy, is uh, it kind of begins with like a last time on Star Trek. It yeah, like has yeah. to give you the fill-in on here's yep. what happened last time. And I think it happens in this one as well. Uh, but the reason that I love this one is because it starts off with... Uh, the Enterprise crew, they have uh, disobeyed Starfleet orders in order to save Spock, who had died. And they need to return home to face the music. But on the way there, uh, they discover that uh, a giant probe has moved uh, into orbit around Earth. And it's sending this signal. Nobody knows what it is. Nobody can communicate with the probe. There doesn't even seem to be any life, board, life forms aboard. And uh, the signal is causing mass disruption on Earth. It's messing with the atmosphere. Communications are down. And if it goes on much longer, things could get really bad. Yeah, it basically looks like Auckland this summer. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> a lot does. of rain. <laughs> it does. The wind is all up in a dander. The skies are gray when it should be sunny. Very, yeah. very disappointing. Um, and the Star Trek crew figure out that the sound it's sending are, is whale song. 
and whales are extinct at this point in the 24th century. It's an ecological movie. Uh, the point of the movie is save the whales. Mm. So they have to travel back in time to, I think it's about 1985, to uh, pick up some whales and bring them back to the future. It's a delightful premise. I love that it's not at all an action movie. It is a fish-out-of-water comedy. And we've said before, when it was made, it was Star Trek characters come and visit the here and now. Whereas now, it's a cute time capsule of the 1980s. Yeah, which I kind of think makes it even better because we Definitely. did like we did see uh, our Star Trek original cast go back to other times. Yes. But they were recreations of other times. So it's really nice that they go back to the 80s in the 80s. Yeah, especially with so much media right now loves the 80s. And it's often this like, hyper stylized like wish fulfillment version of the 80s like i remember watching stranger things and seeing all the posters on the wall for like seeing john carpenter's the thing on a kid's wall i was like that movie was a bomb it was a horror movie there's no way a kid yeah, not had on a that kid's on his wall. wall yeah it's just the creator who made the show obviously loves that movie as well he might uh and decided hey let's put famous movie posters on the wall so yeah. i love that this movie is here's what it was like and it's kind of dirty and a little bit gross like, the cities aren't that nice. It's mm. all a little bit doom and gloom. Everyone's worried about uh, nuclear nuclear uh, bombs, yep. the, the Cold War still going on. Uh, that's where we get the gags about Chekhov. Uh, of all people, to go into the nuclear facility because they're, uh, the ship needs um, power. They've run out of dilithium, so they need a nuclear reactor. And they send the Russian guy to steal from an American base because these guys are hundreds of years in the future. They don't know with intense detail the political history That's of right. earth you yeah. know yeah to them all that stuff is of the past so yeah. very cute um there's some great jokes we've talked before about uh kirk and spock on the bus um i also love um the running joke that uh spock can't lie yeah. so you get some real nice like abbott and costello style double talk where kirk needs to lie to people to hide what's going on but uh Spock just immediately countermands him at every turn. Yes, no, yes, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> do you like Italian? No, I yes, do not. no, yes, no, he does. <laughs> um, I also love that, uh, here's another thing that's kind of cool, is that we, that they do succeed, that they take the whales back to the future, they answer the probe, in a really quite artful way. The whales, which apparently this is how they sleep, they turn uh, vertical, and uh, they mirror that with the probe. When they're in communication, the probe also stands vertical. Oh, that's cool. Very cute. That's and then cool. the probe leaves. I want to, yeah, and I want to actually say, uh, while you're mentioning the probe, yeah. the design of the probe is excellent. Yeah. Like, it's really unique. There's mm. nothing like it. It's just like like a big, long cylinder. Yeah. It's got no windows. It's got, like, like it looks solid. Uh, uh, and then there's like just a uh, like a, a globe just floating underneath it. Mm -hmm. I think the, the cylinder might have a little door in it that the probe kind of comes out or retracts or, or, into, or whatever. Yeah. But it's like unlike anything you're going to see in, it's in, in really other movies. Actually, quite alien. Yeah, you know? really is. And I also love that they never find out what it is, uh, who made it, or why. Uh, it's just an alien thing. Really, yeah. really good, yeah, quite really cool. Good. Uh, it, uh, this movie also has one of my just one of my favorite Star Trek scenes ever, which is uh, Chekhov has been knocked out uh, trying to break into the military base. He's in the hospital, and uh, uh, the crew need to steal him out because otherwise they will discover his universal translator and all these other uh, things that he shouldn't have from the future. Uh, and on the way in, disguised as doctors, Doctor McCoy just happens on this 
ailing old woman uh, in a wheelchair. It asks her what's wrong. And she says, oh, my kidney's no good. They say I have to be on dialysis. And he says to himself, dialysis, what is this, the dark ages? <laughs> Hands her a pill and says, you take that and call me in the morning. And then uh, at the end of the hospital scene, when they're fleeing from security, chasing them out, having kidnapped, uh, reclaimed Chekhov, uh, there are all these doctors looking at charts uh, excitedly around the woman in the wheelchair as she shouts, I grew a new kidney! Yeah. <laughs> this doctor gave me a pill and I grew a new kidney! And they just can't believe it. Yeah, I love that scene because, you know, uh, I think Back to the Future is kind of like the ultimate uh, time travel story. It's what everyone goes back to. Just that simple idea of you change the past, you branch off into a new timeline. Mm. Really simple. It's how everyone thinks of time travel. I think in some ways, sometimes people take that to a to a literal and sometimes kind of depressing uh, sort of way in their time travel narratives where you aren't allowed to affect anything. Mm. Butterfly degree to the nth degree, you mm. know, butterfly effect. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I just feel like Homer in the episode where he's traveling back to dinosaur times and every little thing he does changes the future. And he just gets sick of it and he goes, don't touch anything, I'll touch anything I want. And he starts smashing <laughs> dinosaurs and bugs. I like that uh, in this movie... Bones doesn't give a shit about uh, changing the future. He's like, helping this one woman is not going to negatively affect the future. Yeah. He just wants to help her and alleviate her suffering with some future technology that he has. Yep. It's a it's a really sweet scene. They, they have done lovely stuff. And also they did it with um, uh, Scotty. He sells uh, transparent... Aluminum. Yeah, the... the, the, uh, the, formula. the formula to make transparent aluminum. And, his, and when the... When, uh, who, I think McCoy. He's McCoy, yeah. McCoy's like, are you afraid it's going to affect the future? And Scotty just goes, well, we don't know that this guy didn't invent it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, okay. Fine. And they just go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's really nice how they just, they're, they're less concerned with uh, the time travel aspect yeah. and more about the comedy and the fun and the ecological That's right. message. And, and one other nice thing that they did in order to get a little bit of money when they went back in time, uh, in a different movie, um, um, it might have been The Wrath of Khan, McCoy gave uh, Captain Kirk a pair of like reading glasses. Oh yes, because he's getting he's pro he's got a problem. He's getting old. Yeah. So as kind of a joke, because it's the twenty fifth century, yeah. he gives him a pair of reading glasses. So Kirk then takes these back in time and sells them in a pawn shop, and 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 uh, Spock is like, didn't you get them as a gift from Doctor McCoy? And Kirk is like, yeah, that's the beauty of it. I'll get it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they're having a lot of fun with uh, just the idea of time travel and yep. how it's supposed to work in movies. They're not all that concerned with it. Also, just it's such a it's such a really uplifting movie. The ending, no big battle. It's just they've saved the day through science. They mm. have successfully brought these whales back. The probe is satisfied and it leaves. And they've crashed the. Um, the ship that they're in into the San Francisco Bay and uh, the weather stops. The weather goes back to normal. These huge storms caused by the probe's message disappear and they all celebrate. They all hug each other and they dive into the water. Some of them push each other into the water and it's just one of the most like uh, uplifting and joyous scenes in this Star is, Trek. This is, I brought now, you brought up the scene. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, folks at home, another visual gag here. I have a pop-up book. It's called These Are the Voyages and it's a pop-up book of Star Trek stuff like you open up the first page and whoa there's the Enterprise but this was my favorite page okay um, here it is ah that is a Klingon bird of prey it's the Klingon bird of prey but it's it's specifically the one from 
that they travel back in time with. And if you pull that page open, you can actually see them all sitting underneath the Brooklyn Bridge on on the outside of the Klingon ship. Beautiful. So I love that. Yeah, it's a great scene. It's a great movie. And a wonderful movie. Yeah. Um, I believe the Enterprise B is the one that they get rebuilt at the end, right? That's right. That's the B. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because this is the thing, that just saying that with the Klingon ship, I really like that Klingon ship because... In one of the Star Trek movies, part three, the Enterprise gets blowed up mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. gone. So they, they steal a Klingon ship. And sure enough, in the next movie, that's what they fly around in, yeah. is a, a Klingon ship. And they wait until the end of that movie before they show us another Enterprise. Honestly, it's just a nice change of scenery, if really anything. Is. Yeah. And just cool shots of, oh, there's a Klingon bird of prey uh, cloaked and parked in the middle of Central Park. That's right, that's right. It works really well because... It still looks like Star Trek, but they're not really in their uniforms and they're not really on on the Enterprise. So, like, like it does feel like Star Trek, but like you say, change of scenery, a much needed change of scenery. Absolutely. Um, do you want to uh, reveal what's on your list now or do you want to do it at the end of the list? I will tell you where I put these. Um, oh, so sure. you, you put number four uh, first, I right? Put, I put this is uh, The Voyage Home as my number one. The Voyage Home is my number two. Number two? Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, we're not that yeah. far off. And, and yeah, there's reasons why why uh, my number one is number one. Fantastic. Then we will move on to my number two on my list, which is The Undiscovered Country. Ah. Is that your number? That's not your number two because, uh, yeah. well, obviously you haven't chosen that. Where is the undiscovered country? It's on my number list? three. Number so three. It, yeah, it comes after. It's, so we're, really, we're just sort of shuffling yeah, our answers. Yeah, I around. just have a, a wild card as my number one, so uh, let's throw the, the whole thing off. Speaking of the uh, the Cold War, that is what the undiscovered country is all about. Yeah. It is an allegory for the Cold War. The Klingon moon of Praxis explodes. It destabilizes the Klingon Empire, and they have to sue for peace with the Federation. And uh, it's a great, great character piece for Kirk because yeah. he's done. The TV show, he's done this many movies. Is there that much more to explore? What they get into with this one is that he hates Klingons. Yeah. And it's really quite elegant the way they bring in the plot of Star Trek Three. His son was killed by a Klingon, yeah. played by Christopher Lloyd. So he's got good personal reasons to not like Klingons. Mm. But this movie brings it into real focus that it goes beyond not liking Klingons because of what they've done, but he just hates them all. Yeah. There's that really quite shocking... Uh, scene in the movie which gets played later at his trial of him uh saying let them die yeah yeah it's great Klingon's bastard killed my son you know it's, it's great. great yeah um, i love it i love that the movie starts with uh captain sulu is the one who finds uh discovers that uh, uh the klingon moon has exploded uh he looks he looks so cool mm. on the captain of his ship sipping his tea uh, what I like about it is that it makes it feel like the universe is not completely static for our main characters, mm. you know, because it does get a little silly, as that Simpsons clip sort of alluded to, that all these old fogies are still sitting in the same chair in the yeah. same positions. So you're like, okay, <laughs> one of them got up and yeah. got his own command, which yeah. is great. And I bet that uh, Takei loved it because he didn't have to shoot a single scene with Shatner on this one. Right, exactly. He was they, o- only over monitor. Yeah, they famously didn't. And, and I, they... they st- Still don't get along. I, I And you know, I was just reading about uh, James Dewan. Apparently he didn't like uh, Shatner that much, which I think mostly comes down to the fact that it was meant to be the Captain Kirk show. Mm. It was later Trek series that were like, no, it's about the whole crew. And also, yeah, Shatner uh, was quite hawkish about making sure that the show remained focused yeah. on him. And I don't think that sat well with the other yeah. actors. So- and I wonder, was that the gag in the family guy that we played earlier on when... Uh, 
And Doran said, yeah, it was mostly fun unless Patrick was hogging the limelight. And right, I think right. that was just sort of a, actually a dig at Captain Kirk. Maybe. Because, yeah, that was the thing. They didn't like that he hogged the limelight all the time. Yeah. Um, um, I'm, I'm with Kirk on this. You are? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking it was a long time ago. You know, let bygones be guys. They're not even all alive anymore. You know what I mean? Wait, who are you talking about? I'm talking about um, George Takei not getting on with oh, with them. Oh. Um, bill shatner anymore i thought you were saying that you were with kirk on let the klingons die and i was oh no 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 absolutely not absolutely not and i think the movie does a uh yeah no it's it's real it's real good it's a good exploration of the fact that like the premise of star trek is that mankind has overcome their own prejudices but we've discovered that they've gone out into the galaxy and found new people to be in an out group uh, Mm. to hate so we get this beautiful scene it's one of my favorites in star trek uh it's the guess who's coming to dinner scene where kirk reluctantly uh is given the assignment of hosting the uh the klingon ambassador played by our favorite recently passed david warner yeah and they have a really tense dinner scene and like it's just a perfectly written scene i know the whole thing back to front Mm. uh everyone is stepping on each other's toes and kirk is being kind of a dick um they open with um they quote uh, Shakespeare, which is where the title of the movie comes from, mm. The Undiscovered Country. I like that he has to clarify, because he quotes it, and everyone just sort of looks at him, and he goes, uh, oh, no, he doesn't say that it's Shakespeare. He goes, to the undiscovered country. They'll go, huh? Ooh, undiscovered what? And he goes, death. Like, that's what that's what that phrase means. Right. Um, Wrath of Khan is very famous for borrowing liberally from Herman Melville's uh, Moby Dick. So just kind of a nice literary parallel, but this one they're like, "Ooh, what if it's Shakespeare?" You know, right. it's, it's still in that same heady, classy sort of realm of reference. Um, and the Klingons say it's another great line. Like I say, everything from this scene is perfect. I, it'll be on MovieClips.com or something. Um, they're talking about Shakespeare, and uh, one of them says, "You have not experienced Shakespeare until you have heard him in the original Klingon." Like, yeah, they love his work so much that they've decided, "Nah, he was Klingon." Yeah, they're claiming him. Yeah. Uh, and later on in that scene. Um, the Klingon ambassador says, uh, we need room to grow, breathing room. And Kirk just throws off offhandedly, Hitler, 1938. I, oh. I, I believe that is a quote from him. And everyone just sort of stops and looks at him. They oh, obviously right. know what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's fantastic. That scene on its own, beautiful. But yeah. they beam back to their ship. Uh, the ambassador is killed. And this is a famous Star Trek bit because their blood is purple. Yeah. It's grape jelly because the Star Trek movies back, you know, the original uh, cast films were kind of seen as family fair. And so part of the rules of not getting a harder rating was you can't show that much copious blood. So they said, what if we make it a different color? Which then in every other TV show, they've just ignored. It's not purple. They have red blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard a thing about that, but it can't be true. It's like they're saying it wasn't oxygenated okay. because they've, they've turned off the life support on the ship. But the Klingons can breathe. They're breathing fine. They're they just turn, floating I around. I believe they've turned off the, the gravity. artificial gravity. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know if that's true. Yeah, so that, yeah. Uh, Strike that one, nerds. Kirk uh, is uh, held accountable for this. He's framed. Uh, so they have a trial on uh, Kronos, the Klingon homeworld. And this is a fantastic set. Mm. I love it. It's Kirk, like, sort of in, like, he's under a spotlight in the middle of this deep, dark pit. Mm. And there are, like, there's, like, a Colosseum audience of Klingons above him, chanting and cheering and rattling their sabers. And the uh, the 
uh, what would you call him? The judge is sitting above him, and he's got this metal claw with a giant orb that he bangs down as a gavel, and it yep. gives off little sparks. Yeah, it's such a cool piece yep. of design. I'm lovely. The lighting of this scene is amazing as yep. well, uh, because like even though you just see walls of Klingon, you don't really see them. You can just sort of see the ridges of their heads. Yes. So it's like yeah, no, it's real dramatic. They 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 do use that uh, that set design, not quite as intense because it's not a movie. They that comes back in Enterprise. I'm like, that's perfect. I love that that is what a Klingon trial is. Yeah. Um, he is sentenced to Rurapente, the uh, the arc, the ice world prison. Um, this part of the movie, it looks a little phony. Like, you can tell that those that's not real walls of ice. It looks a little bit like a, um, you know, an obvious set. Mm. But it's still fun. A prison break um, is a fun, like, B-plot for this movie. Bones and Kirk are the ones sentenced. I guess because... McCoy beams aboard to see if he can, you know, revive the Chancellor, yeah. the, uh, the ambassador at all, but he can't, and they're sent up the river. Well, they they argue that, like, you know, what were you doing? What do you know about Klingon sort of biology? And, mm. like, did you do, did you kill him on purpose? Right. You know, did you finish the job? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, yeah, McCoy got, got thrown in the old brig as well. Um, and they're, rel- they're saved in the end through the help of a, uh, a shapeshifter who also wants to break out. Now... The effects that they use obviously don't match the uh, effects of the changelings in Deep Space Nine. But in my head, that's oh, it, who did it's it. It's one of them, is it? It's In my mind, it is one of the many changelings who were sent out into the galaxy. Okay. And they got themselves right. in trouble and were thrown in prison. All right. All Just right. a bit of headcanon yep, for that's you. that's fine. Meanwhile, uh, the, the rest of the plot is uh, uh, Spock has to take over commanding uh, the Enterprise and... It turns into a murder mystery, yeah. which is another fun genre that they don't do, that they haven't done before in a Star Trek film. They're trying to use, you know, deductive reasoning and logic and science to figure out who really killed uh, the Klingon. Mm. Um, and I like, uh, Spock has a nice, very subtle end to, or not arc, but an end to sort of a resolution for his character, because this is the last film that he did. Uh, it's just a simple throwaway line. He says, uh, logic is the beginning of wisdom, not the end. Because in the TV show, he's so rejecting his human side. He just wants to be a straight, pure Vulcan. Uh, and in this one, he's just a little more relaxed. He's mm. more comfortable in mm-hmm. his own skin. And mm-hmm. he's like, logic is the beginning, not the end. Yep. I really like Which it. is great because, like I would say, in the six movies, they get Spock. They don't, like he just doesn't come out with being a little bit more humane mm. or a little bit less logic. When he shows up in the motion picture, the first film, he's even colder he's than before. cold, cold, cold. Yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. was about to go through the colonar, the process to get rid of all emotions. Right, yeah, yeah. And over the course of the six movies... He, it, he earned... They don't put a fine point upon it, but I see it in his acting. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing that I didn't like so much is uh, Spock really... When, he, when Spock figures out that it is uh Varys, I this. Yeah. the other mm-hmm. Vulcan yeah. uh, aboard the ship that she is the one who colluded with the Klingons because she wanted to stop peace because she doesn't believe it's ever going to work uh he kind of manhandles her oh in a very bad way like. he like grabs her by you know by the hand and forces a mind melt a very intimate act very intimate there is an episode of Enterprise I watched recently where um that I think they're called the Jat the Jat Vash I, I could be wrong. Jad Vash, they're the um, the Romulan. Okay, I'm mistaking them. Okay, I forget what they're called, but they're a group of uh, they're a dissident group of uh, Vulcans yep. who have embraced emotion. Yeah, and he's trying to sort of tempt the Vulcan on that show to Paul into joining his uh, his way of life, and 
he does a Vulcan mind meld when she's not quite like ready for it mm. or fully consented to it. And in that episode, it is fully treated like he committed a sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. So in hindsight, that episode was far away from being written. Sure. But even so, it's just not that nice to see Spock yeah, treating someone good. that way. It doesn't way. feel good. There's, an, there's some episodes, I've been watching the original series just to get back into it a bit. And there's some episodes where he does that to other people. And I'm just not that sure about it. Right. I believe you know, I can kind of understand it more in the original episode because it was like 1967 or whatever it was. But mm. by the time the Undiscovered Country came out, they should have known better. I would hope. There's an, That's the episode I'm thinking of. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but Kirk, as he often does, like people like to portray Kirk as if he's like this gadabout playboy who has sex with everybody. Obviously, in the 60s, they weren't allowed to show that. So he has lots of romances. So you could say, oh, they really wanted him to be, you know, having lots of casual sex, but they couldn't. So he just had lots of romances. But in the text of the show, this is this guy's falling in love with every woman he meets, you know, Um, and he's fallen in love with this woman so badly that his heart is broken at the end of the episode so badly that he can't fulfill his duties as captain. Right. And so Spock's solution to this is without asking him, does a mind melt and just commands him forget you have, right. you have to forget this relationship in order to get on with it. And again, um, maybe ask someone's consent before erasing their memories. <laughs> it, it reminds me, did you watch Arrested Development? Right. Uh, yes. I remember Job had his forget-me-now uh-huh. pills. Yeah, it's like yeah. just slipping a forget-me-now pill into Captain Kirk. Yeah, it's a bit weird. I don't yeah, know if I like that, Mr. Good. Spock. Not good, Mr. Spock. That said, uh, the other thing that I just love about it is what a perfect, tonally pitch-perfect ending it is for the original crew. It ends with, uh, they've saved the day once again, uh, they stopped the assassination attempt, the Klingons and the humans are at peace, which is kind of like the end of the big uh, enemy from the mm. original series. It is time for them to to end. So the ship is being decommissioned, and they decide to take the long route home, uh, the, the scenic route. He says, uh, second star of the right, and straight on to the morning. Yeah. And the ship literally flies off into the sunset, uh, and then it ends the credits with them all. You, the, you see the cast... You don't see the cast, but you see their signatures being written on the screen. Yeah. And it's just, it's magical. I get so warmed it's, by it's, that ending every time. It's a trick that they uh, stole, well, borrowed for um, Endgame, the Avengers movie. Oh, really? Where all the cast oh, right. got to sign their name at the end. And like, um, uh, who are the guys? Was it the, the, Russo's. the Russo brothers? They said we stole that from Star Trek. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a it's a really nice way to finish something. It's a, it's a fantastic ending, which are difficult to do. There's no one way to do a satisfying ending but when you can pull it off it makes everything more satisfying yeah. in hindsight you know there's a nice bit as well actually i think it's just after the um after the trial mm-hmm. where they demote admiral kirk who's been admiral kirk since star trek 2 uh-huh. and has never been that happy in the role no they demote him to captain and they give him a ship they just it's like you save the world you can have what you want and then there's a lovely scene with um uh, spock and oh, what's his dad's name again? Sarak. Sa- Sarak. And when when they introduced Sarak in the 70s, he didn't even want to speak to Spock. He didn't like Spock. Um, he didn't agree with Spock's uh, decision to join Starfleet. And he doesn't want to speak to him. And over the course of the thing, they kind of... They were always cold, but but I, kind of um, found a mutual respect. I think, I think it's at the end of uh, Voyage Home, number one on my list, that... Uh, once they've returned home, they've saved Earth once again, so they are cleared of the charges of treason, that he has like a reconnection with oh, his Oh, maybe father. that's the scene I'm thinking They sort of, of talk right. around it, but basically it's his dad saying, okay, 
I accept that you've made this choice. Here's what I love about it, though, right? It's Mark Leonard plays Sarak, right? Mm-hmm. And he sort of goes, I, as I recall, I didn't agree with your joining Starfleet, but it seems that your friends are... Um, oh, no, it seems your colleagues are good people. Mm. And Spock just goes, Father, they are my friends. Mm. And you can just see the look on Mark Leonard's face of, you ruined it. Right, right. We were right. having a moment, <laughs> and you had to get all emotional. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just, exactly. It's a lovely little touch. Beautiful. Um, I'm going to go on to number three. Number on my three. List. Yep. Uh, my number three is Wrath of Khan. Oh, yep. Now I'm interested where you've put Wrath of Khan. Number four. Number four. So our list has been identical, bar one. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, now I have beef with Khan and with this movie. Okay. It's not the movie's fault. Okay. But something that has driven me nuts for the past ten years of Star Trek being made is that they're obsessed with Khan. The legacy of that movie. They will not stop bringing it back. And the reason they bring it back is because if you ask someone what is the most popular Star Trek movie, uh, off the top of their head, it's going to be Wrath of Khan. It's the most beloved, and it is a great movie. I enjoy it a lot. But because it's so popular, it's a victim of its own success, uh, it's as if the people running Star Trek think that it feels a bit like Big Bang Theory. It's kind of demeaning. It's like they think that just mentioning the name of the thing is a thrill. Uh, now look, I don't start yapping just because I've heard his name like a dog. I saw the movie Khan, Wrath of Khan, and it was very good. But the character really is only as good as Nicholas Meyer's writing and Ricardo Montalban's great performance. Mm. Without those things, you just saying Khan, so what? And it's getting to be a little, you know, annoying to me. Um, you know, he's... Well, the movie itself is actually quite a simple premise. It's not complicated. Yeah. And I've seen people comment on that, the fact that, like... The motion picture is more of a heady Star Trek-style story, whereas starting with Khan and going on through Search for Spock and even arguably um, Voyage Home, they just become adventure films, which I think is what the audience wanted. We wanted to have a fun adventure with the crew that we have seen before. Uh, So I think that was a perfectly sensible move, but really Khan's thing is he's a megalomaniac, and in Wrath of Khan he wants revenge. It's not super deep Mm. it's the performance and the writing that make it uh exceptional and here's another thing uh really would people would people in the future know khan as well as we fans do yeah i think it's a case of the movie being so well known amongst the fandom affecting the movies because he's a historical figure um for those who don't know uh in the fictional history of star trek because the show came out in the 60s uh they said that, ah, in the 1990s, there was a nuclear war uh, that destroyed a lot of humankind. And then we had to start rebuilding and we moved toward a more enlightened way that eventually gave birth to the Federation of Planets. Uh, it was meant as like a sort of a warning, you know, like, hey, it's just around the corner, you know, nuclear war. Do we want to go there? Now, you know, we're in the year 2020 and looking back on it, you're like, where was that whole nuclear yeah, war? I know, right? Uh but this is a fictional a fictional world after all. And Khan is one of the people who was sort of like a warlord. One of many warlords uh, during this nuclear war. Specifically, he was, um, he was an example of genetic engineering. He was super engineered to be, you know, this brutal warlord with a keen mind for strategy and uh, very uh, formidable strength. Mm. Um, and so he's a historical figure. He's one of several warlords from history. Um, I imagine that Kirk's log from the episode where he first appears, he is uh, awakened in the future uh, along with his crew uh, in cryogenic freeze in the episode Space Seed. Mm. I'm imagining... That's another thing. He comes from the TV series. He's a character from the TV series that they brought back into the movies. Yes. At the end of that episode, 
Khan has tried to take over the ship. He fails, and and Kirk, in a moment of sort of, you know, creative sentencing, rather than, I don't know, kill him or put him back in cryosleep, says, I'm going to send you down to a M-class planet. It can sustain life, but there's nobody on it. Let's yeah. see you conquer a world without conquering people. Yeah. It's a beautiful end. SETI Alpha 5. SETI Alpha 5. <laughs> and um, in the movie Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, uh, we discover that uh, there was an accident, a nearby planet... Uh, exploded, Mm -hmm. sent this planet into a different orbit, it became barren, and they could hardly survive. They've been scavengers. And Kirk never returned to check on him. Uh, And so he is furious at Kirk that he was left marooned on this planet by him. He wants his revenge. Uh, So, and you know, the incident uh, of Wrath of Khan is he steals the Genesis device, which is a machine that can terraform a planet. But if it's launched at a planet that already has life, it destroys that life mm. in favor of the new uh, life that it's growing. It's a doomsday device mm-hmm. in the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. Khan is the wrong hands. He does end up firing at a planet, which becomes known as the Genesis planet. And in the next movie, it's uh, forbidden to go there because it is considered such a scandal. Considering that it's such a scandal, I have to imagine that Starfleet has kept Khan's involvement, everyone's involvement, under tight wraps. Mm. So... In the fictional world of Star Trek, where people are constantly saying his name was Khan and they all shake their heads and go, ooh, that evil, evil man. I'm like, I just don't know that they would all be super familiar with him. You know what I mean? He's a name from history. Yeah. One of many. 400 years into the past. Right? Yeah. If they don't know that that Russia was an enemy of the states when they send... uh, Chekhov, uh, Chekhov yeah. to go back and steal from that base. I don't know that they would know Khan by name. That's right. Uh, so that's my beef with Khan, and they keep mentioning him. Um, yeah. I really want somebody, anybody, in one of these Star Trek shows, when somebody mentions Khan, to just go, who? Yeah. Who do you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and the problem, again, like, not only in the canon of Star Trek is Khan a problem, but they keep on trying to remake the Wrath of Khan. Yes, There's so many versions, and it's like the next generation version of the Wrath of Khan. Yes, the Voyager version of the Wrath of Khan, and it's never as good ever. No, no, I'll... it really is a fairly pat revenge story. Yeah. It's not that complicated, and when you just try to recreate that, just go, oh well, if we have one character trying to get revenge on another, it's going to be just as good. Yeah, not so. I love actually how they have like little. Uh, it's kind of like like a. Uh, Two submarines mm-hmm. uh, versus each other, yes. and they sort of take a pass at each other, or or old like galleon ships, like they take a pass at each other, fire a few weapons or whatever. But then it takes time for them to turn the ships around and right. face each other again. Yeah, yeah. And that, 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 just that pacing is really nice for That's something like this. What people have uh, compared it to, uh, it's like it's more of a naval submarine film, right? Than a space because film. usually when you see like like science fiction space battles, it's mm-hmm. it, they they take like a leaf out of George Lucas's book, the Absolutely. the dog fights, but. You know, these are not little ships. These are huge, like buildings that fly through. They space. don't turn on a dime. Yeah, they got it. They got to be a little bit slower for turning around and setting themselves up again. It's very nice, and also just taking from a different style of film, being mm. like, "Hey, we are a submarine film." George Lucas is more of a World War II uh, right. fighter film. Yeah, it's great. Um, the the scene in the nebula is wonderful, where the the sensors aren't working, so you're just seeing the ships pass each other, but they can't detect each other. Yeah, and it is a bit like, as I said, they keep making the the movie, 
uh, has Khan quoting Herman Melville's Moby Dick, a novel about a man obsessed with getting revenge, his white whale. Yeah. And uh, he puts those word in, words into Khan's mouth. And when they are in that nebula, it is a bit like they're in the sea, a foggy sea. They can't see their enemy. And then suddenly they'll come out of nowhere. Yeah. So it, yeah. Is a, it is a great film. I'm sorry to have started our discussion by going off about Khan, but I didn't want to, I, I thought about it and I'm like, look, it doesn't diminish the movie. Yeah. The movie is still excellent. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, the movie was the first one of these. Absolutely. Right? And it's just what the the creators of the the creative team behind Star Trek since then. They think all we want to learn to let it go. is more Khan. Yeah. And that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Ricardo Montalban, there's this persistent rumor that he had uh, molded plastic on his chest. Yeah. And every source I have heard that would know has said that's not true. Yeah. He had nice picks yeah and you know i was thinking about how modern superheroes every actor gets into obscenely good shape for those movies and uh and sometimes even unnecessarily like i was thinking about zachary levi and shazam like he is wearing a cartoonish muscle suit yeah you, you didn't have to work out that's right you know who else got into crazy shape uh jk simmons i know right he plays uh <laughs> jay jonah jameson he no, played, but it was for Commissioner Gordon okay, that he got he was, jacked. He was yeah. getting into shape for Commissioner yeah, Gordon. Yeah. But, but where's, a, but where's like, a trench coat? Isn't isn't Commissioner Gordon meant to be like an overworked cop? Yeah. Like yeah. he's not meant to be jacked and built. Maybe they're giving us a different take. I don't know. I wonder when he got the job from DC, did he say, also, I want the superhero buddy? And they're like, JK, you don't need it. I want the superhero This body. is my one chance. You pay yeah. people to get into shape. Yeah. I want to I do want it. it. Yeah. It's like me growing long hair over the lockdown. It's like, right. when, well, I'm, I'm never going to do, do this again. Yeah. Might as well yeah, try yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Ricardo Montalban was in fantastic shape. And I he heard, wanted to yeah. show it off. I heard that's, I, that's exactly what I heard. We he need was, to, we he need was to, proud of how he looked. We need to end these rumors that he cheated because he didn't. Yeah. He opened up his shirt so you could see. These are mine. Yeah, that's a proper chest. Speaking of Khan... And the and the uh, the battle scenes. It's also cool that he steals the Reliant, which is a smaller yeah. craft that uh, Chekhov comes down to SETI Alpha Five, uh, believing it's a different planet because the orbits have all changed. Yeah. And Khan takes over his ship. Uh, and yeah, I've noticed the trend. Having watched some of the more recent Star Trek films. To make the bad guys seem intimidating, they'll often give them a bigger ship. Yeah. The ship is ten times larger yeah, than yeah. the Enterprise. And it's spiky. It's always spiky. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it, often, it even has a sound, and you're like, there's no sound in space. Yeah. What's yeah, this yeah. big horn that they're blowing? Yeah. And, uh, and there's a line of, there's like a style of dialogue that they always use. Uh, they did it in uh, Nemesis. They say, that's not a ship. That's a predator. Uh, yeah. And they recently did it on Star Trek Picard. That's right. They have Riker go, that's not a ship. It's a guillotine. Yeah. And I'm just like, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big, yeah, scary ship. It's a big, pointy, black ship. So yeah. that's something I love about Khan, is that yeah. Khan is in a weaker ship, a smaller ship, but his brilliant intellect is what allows him to become such a threat as sure. to threaten the life yeah, I of I never Kirk. actually thought about that. It isn't. It, the ship is not as good as the Enterprise. That's very true. Uh, we talked about Kirk's character in Undiscovered Country d digging into his prejudice. And this one, it's about his mortality. Yeah. Because, you know, when these movies started out, he was already a lot older than he was in the TV show. Mm. And as you say, he had become Admiral, which he never wanted to do, giving up the captain's chair. And uh, the beginning of the movie is surprisingly somber it's quite mm. a like a sad bleak opening to the film you mm. know the crew aren't together they're all scattered and he's just feeling kind of old and sad and useless but it works because the ending where uh this new planet uh has been born because of this adventure that he's gone on uh 
he feels renewed. You mm-hmm. know, he mm-hmm. even says, you know, how do you feel, Jim? I feel young. Young, yeah. yeah. It's a real, uh, it's a wonderful little arc in that. How did you feel when you first saw that? When he goes, I feel young. So I was like, no, no. Well, you're not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, although I, now when I look at it, I'm like, hey, he's all right. But, but have you seen William Shatner recently? I mean, not since he's been to sp- actual space. I mean, that was only like last like year. Last year, yeah. He's in his nineties. Yeah, he's in good shape. He's in incredible yeah. shape. Yeah. When I look at how he looks, yeah, there are people in their eighties who look a thousand years older than him. For sure. He looks like he's fifty-five. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what he's and, doing. And and he's going off into space. Like no into matter, space no in matter his how 90s. you feel about putting, uh, you know, celebrities into space. Yeah, yeah. The fact that he's a ninety-year-old man who said, "Yeah, I'll do it." Yep. That's pretty brave. I don't know. I, people quibble. He didn't go all the way into space. No, no. It was suborbital. Yeah. But yeah. he could see the curvature of the Earth. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that he and said... And he also experienced uh, like like low gravity. Right. Zero gravity. Yes, yes. Uh, he said when he came back, uh, he actually felt quite... Uh, he felt humbled. Yeah. And quite, in a way, kind of frightened because he saw the entire Earth. And he said... Just seeing that thin blue band of uh, atmosphere, of atmosphere mm-hmm. is all that sustains us. It was yeah. like it was frightening, yeah. really. It actually worked out really well. Send sending someone as sort of expressive as Bill Shatner into space yeah. to come back and sort of say shit that like scientists put it in a way that a lot of scientists wouldn't have put it exactly. You know, so that yeah, that was uh, yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's a pretty amazing guy for his age. I think so. Uh, we should also probably talk briefly about Spock's death in the film. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great, this, is the, this is the bit. This it's a great, is, yeah. great ending to the film. Um, you know, a film needs uh, to generate some emotions in you. And uh, the scene where uh, the Reliant is going to explode, its warp core is going critical, and the, en- the Enterprise can't escape. And so uh, you see Spock do some mental calculations, and he just gets up from his chair mm-hmm. and goes straight to their warp core, which... Uh, I, can't, I don't know the exact technical explanation, but there's something in there which is flooded with radiation. The only way to get the Enterprise engines going again is to go in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to him, the only logical thing to do is to go in there himself, give his life so they can leave. Mm. Uh, he does the uh, nerve pinch on McCoy to bypass him because he knows he's, he's going to stop him. Uh, and yeah, he gives his life in a very yeah. tragic scene. It's really nice. He says, uh, you know, the logical means- in the way that he would be. Yeah. The needs of the many far outweigh the needs of the one or the few or the one. And what's really cool about this is they've been setting this up throughout this movie. There's the legend of Kirk mm. who will not accept a no-win situation. Yes. In Starfleet, they've got a test called the, the Kobayashi Maru, mm. um, which Captain Kirk famously cheated because he doesn't believe in losing. It's a test that is designed to have uh, no solution. That's right. It's how do you act uh, when... Uh, how, do, how as a captain would you act if your entire crew couldn't be saved? That's right. It's, That's a, test, right. it's yeah. a test of character. Yeah. And he cheated so that he could save the crew. That's right. Uh, and he, throughout the film, cheats death. He cheats uh, Khan. He escapes in the nick of time. And at the end of the film, you think, oh, he's done it again, Captain He's won Kirk. again, yeah. But this time he couldn't. And the only the, way was for That's uh, right. Spock to die. He has to, well, he still wins. It's like, like in, in this like no-win situation, he does actually win, but is it worth it? Yeah. Because he lost his best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's, you know it's, it's those little things in Star Trek that kind of, you know, it gives you little goosebumps. And it makes you think. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to point out the reason that Kirk, that, uh, sorry, that Spock's death actually is affecting is because we believe it, 
And I think the reason for that is, is because the actor and the director believed it. Yeah. Nimoy wanted out. Yep. He was, like, coming back to do the motion picture. The first film was already a uh, a victory lap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He'd wanted to sort of shed the role and go on to other things. So coming back to do a second one, he said, I'll only do it if you kill me off. Uh, and the director was happy with that. Uh, the writer was happy with that. So that was the plan. When they filmed that scene, the intention was, this is the end of Spock, which mm. is why it's given so much, uh, so much importance and weight. And you feel it. Now... Obviously, in the next film, he is revived. Yeah. But it works in this film because they were absolutely intending to kill him. Yeah. In fact, they thought this might just be the last Star Trek yep. anything. Yeah. I think the story I heard is that they... Once the Daily started coming back, and once they started seeing the movie, they were like, this is great. There's no way this is going to be the last one. Mm-hmm. So they put they did reshoots. I believe at the producer's or the executive's right. behest. That said, sounds about right. Can we just put in one clip of Spock's body resting on the Genesis planet so we have an out and then in the next film. And there was the... He also does a, a thing to... Um, to McCoy. McCoy You're says, right. Remember. Yes. That's all reshoots. Yeah. Right. That's after that. They did that after the fact that they'd already shot Spock's death scene. So, gotcha. you know, so the death scene is absolutely... There, this was the end. There was already the the idea in some people's mind that maybe we'll do another. But of course, from the the principal creative people involved, they're like, no, this is the death. Yeah, you know, and that's something that I think a lot of other Star Trek films, recent films, don't get. Yeah, is they present you with a death scene, but you as an audience member absolutely know they're not killing that absolutely, character. Absolutely, yeah. he's going to be yeah. back in ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a fantastic death. Um, that's Wrath of Khan. It's great. It's a great movie. Uh, this is number four. My number four is First Contact. Is that your number four? No, no it's my number It's my number five. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. Wow, we're still just yeah. one off. Yep. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about First Contact. Yep. Yeah. Uh, at the top of my notes, I have uh, Kicks Ass from the Get-Go, All Killer, No Filler. Yeah. Uh, it is an exciting movie. Yeah. Um, in preparation for this, I rewatched a lot of the Star Trek films that I didn't like so much or hadn't seen enough to just know it by memory. Mm. You know, I did not need to see my top three again. I'll watch them again, but I just, I knew them enough that I didn't need to do the research. Um, I will say that uh, watching some of those lesser ones was a bit of a drag. Right. And at times I was really jonesing for a good, just an enjoyable movie would be nice for a change. Yeah. And First Contact, uh, it has its problems, which we'll discuss, but boy, just from the jump, I was like, this is an exciting movie to watch. It's yeah. such a relief, such a breath of fresh air. That opening with, uh, you start out in Picard's iris. That's right. You zoom out on his face, and then you see that he's standing in a Borg alcove. That's right. And you just keep pulling back and pulling back and seeing the enormity of all uh, the inside of a Borg cube, uh, which are the cybernetic race of creatures that assimilate other cultures into theirs, and they yep. all use one hive mind. There's no individuality. Yep. And what I love about that shot is it starts on the iris, pulls out so far until you come sort of out through a hole of the giant structure, and it's in the shape of an iris. Right. Very yeah. clever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think even before it gets to the iris, it's it's a space scape. Mm-hmm. Which is reflected in his iris. Well, even better. Yeah, than, right. I mean, it what an opening shot. Going. Yeah, it's Jonathan Frakes' first movie, and um, a great one out of the gates. Yeah, yeah. Just, I guess he, like, did, had he done it an episode at that point? Oh, I'm certain he had. Like yeah. many of the cast had. Yeah. I, I haven't checked, but I'm, I'm gonna say he definitely yeah, for directed. Sure, yeah. Anyway, as, as a movie, but for a first movie, excellent. Never yeah. to be topped, really. 
For well, yeah, and and certainly for the next gen movies, this is the one. Absolutely, yeah. this is the one. Um, another great thing that happens really early on is he wakes up from that dream of the Borg, and he goes and looks in, in the mirror, and he's just checking his face to make sure the Borg implants are really gone. And then there's a jump scare where a little probe thing just pierces out of his skin and latches onto his face, and then he wakes up again. Yeah, classic yeah. horror movie dream within Definitely, a dream. Yeah, it's a cool uh, again. I think what I'm seeing in my list is I like it when Star Trek films, because they need to be movies to appeal to regular uh, everyday Joes, not just massive Trekkies, they find new genres to work in. And mm. this one is a zombie horror movie in space. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I think it was a great idea for a movie to yep. take the Borg, who were the big breakout bad guys of the next gen series, and go, let's do a movie with today's special effects, and we can That's really right. do they them get, justice. They, they get a big movie update, because before this they were... They were just wearing like like quite powdery looking white makeup on yep. their face with like like sort of shadowing around the eyes mm-hmm. and a bit of contouring, that kind of thing. Impressive um, for TV. Impressive for TV. And the actual cyborg bits had movie bits and, and things like that. Yep. And I recently watched uh, 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 Michael Westmore talk about that. Oh, and really? it was his kid who did all the Borg stuff. No way. Yeah, yeah. All the, all that, those electronics and stuff and like the pride in Michael Westmore's voice when he's talking about this. It's a great job. No but kidding. it did need a, a big movie update. Yes. And, and First Contact delivers. It delivers. The, another brilliant shot all within like the first couple minutes of this movie when they announce that the Borg are heading for Earth and the cube comes and passes over the camera and then we reverse and see what it's heading towards and it's heading towards Earth. Just a great shot. It says so much. Big blue sphere, big dark green cube. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Tells so much story. Um, the battle scenes are really fun. Uh, I was thrilled to see the Defiant. Yeah. For those who don't know, the Defiant is the uh, the ship from Deep Space Nine because that show faced a lot of, I think, unfair accusations of, oh, it's not Star Trek because they're not on a starship, they're on a space station. So in season four, they said, okay, we're giving the we're giving the station a ship that they can go out and do space missions on. Mm. It's the Defiant, and they mention it was built for one purpose to fight the Borg. So yeah. it absolutely makes, makes sense, sense to bring it up. Yeah, uh, yeah. And she's a good little ship. She's a tough little ship. <laughs> yeah. Little, little. Uh, it's a great way to bring <laughs> That's back Trek humor, guys. <laughs> I, aren't you loving it? Uh, it's a great way to bring back Worf, uh, who yeah. is the Klingon who was on the Next Generation, yeah. and then went on to do several more seasons on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and they have. So how do you bring him back? How do you bring yeah. him back? Well. He's in a battle with the Borg. The Defiant is uh, crippled but not destroyed. So they bring him aboard uh, the Enterprise. Very, mm. very clean. Mm. Um, I also have in my notes, there is a helmsman who looks distractingly like Chris Pine. Oh, really? Yeah. His name is Neil McDonough. Right. Deal Mc- yeah, Deal McDonough. And he is an actor who I've seen in other things. But seriously, Google him right now. Oh, he right. looks just like Chris Pine. And I was like, is that him? Then I did the math and I was like, no, with how yeah. young he is in 2009, he can't have been in First Contact. But if you look at a picture of him, he's got the same like piercing blue eyes, same hair, everything. Oh, yeah. No, I know this guy. He's a Canadian dude. Mm-hmm. He's in everything. He's a kind of a TV guy. Yep. Um, he's great. Consummate um, actor. Yep. Yeah. Can um, you see a photo of him in uh, First Contact at all? Yeah, no, he is in First Contact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He is, but you need to see he's him. A, he's a background. Yeah, he's an ensign. 
Um, he's an ensign who comes along with them on the trip and ends up getting Borg. Yeah, he, he, I think um, he gets done when they go out onto the outside of the ship. Yeah, yes, he does. Him and Worf. Another yeah. cool scene where they are using gravity boots to walk along the underside of the ship because they need to undo physically undo some part of the ship that the Borg are trying to use for their own purposes. Yeah. Um, now, it's a fun movie which counts for a lot. As I say, it needs to be a good movie and it needs to be good Star Trek. Uh, some people have pointed out that the plot gets a little dumb action movie at some points. Yeah. Um, the, the gist of it is the Borg show up to attack Earth. The Federation is able to fend them off. And so as a last ditch attempt, they send a Borg probe back in time to assimilate Earth. And they go back to, I forget when they say, it's like the 2100s or something okay. like that. Uh it's after those nuclear wars that we mentioned, you yep. know, that happened in the 90s, yeah, which yep. we all remember. Yep. Uh, and mankind is rebuilding, and Zephram Cochrane is about to launch the first uh, warp-capable flight, yep. which grabs the attention of the Vulcans. They make first contact with an alien species that's the beginning of the Federation. Yeah. Now, people have asked, if the Borg have time travel technology, why wouldn't they go back to, say, prehistoric times when there would be no uh, threat from the humans? Yeah. And I'm going to say, I actually think that this can be justified within the script. If you just think about it for a second, the Borg's thing that they always say when they roll up to a new species, aside from resistance is futile or yeah. their, their catchphrases, is they say, your culture and technology will be adapted to service us. Yeah. I would say that going back in time and absorbing a bunch of basically cavemen, early hominids, wouldn't be much. Yeah. There's no culture, no technology. Whereas going back to this period in time, they've just been through a big war. They don't have a lot of defensive capabilities left. They're feeling a bit defeated. So, perfect. They've it's got a good time, actually. They've got yeah. a lot of civilization and history and culture that they can incorporate into themselves and technology. Were they still trying to assimilate the humans at this point, or were they just sort of saying that the humans are actually a fly in our ointment, we just want to wipe them out? At the beginning of the film, they send the probe back in time. The starship Enterprise uh, sees that Earth is now fully Borg. That population nine billion, all Borg. Right, right. So they were going so they back in time to assimilate yeah, them, yeah. not just destroy yeah. them. They're like they'll take they'll take the culture of these old timey humans yeah. over like 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 current like it's, it's like because they know humans, that the the Federation, all these worlds joined together, their combined might poses a threat to them. Yeah. It's like let's destroy the let's let's assimilate the humans before the Federation yeah. starts. And they're good enough. Yes. Yeah. Now, Those humans are okay. This is where you get some of the like slightly uh, clunky sci-fi justification that I think regular Star Trek would do a little more work to justify. They say, well, if they've changed Earth's history, why weren't we affected? And they say, we were in the temporal wake yeah. of the ship. And you go, okay, that's you hand-waving that with, uh, with you know, a bit of uh, technical jargon, yeah. a bit of uh, space mumbo-jumbo. And there's another line at the end that caught my attention. Uh, they say... Uh, you know, the Vulcans are showing up on Earth. They're spa a space-faring civilization, making first contact. And Picard says, uh, did the Vulcans uh, detect us? And Worf says, no, the moon's gravitational pull cloaked our signature. And, you know, if you're a movie-going audience, you go, oh, yeah, sure, space stuff, blah, blah, blah. But when you really think about the sentence, you go, the moon's gravitational pull hid the presence of a warp-capable starship yeah, right. to the Vulcans. Yeah, I don't think so. And it's the Vulcans who spot a random warp signature in space. Exactly. So much so that they went and said hello to the humans. 
didn't see a massive starship Do you know how many planets have moons? Yeah. If that were the case, they'd never be able to get near any planet. (laughs) Yeah. Without detecting, oh, someone jumped out at us because they had a moon. Yeah. I couldn't sense them. They had a moon. Yeah. Um, A couple other things I had in my notes is... um, I like the Doctor cameo, the Doctor from Voyager. Oh yeah, great the holographic Robert, Doctor. Robert Picardo, he's, he's great. On, he's Love only him. there for a minute, but it's cute. Um, they have a holographic Doctor that can be used in case a ship's Doctor is incapacitated. And Doctor Crusher, the regular Doctor on the Enterprise, says, "I swore I'd never use one of these, but she needs one. She needs someone to distract the Borg, even yeah. temporarily. Give them a few seconds to get away." So they wake up the. Uh, the artificial doctor and he distracts them for a few seconds by saying um, your skin seems rather irritated could i give you an analgesic cream perhaps <laughs> yeah it's real cute yeah um the borg queen uh is an excellent villain yeah like really iconic her entrance where she is just essentially a pair of shoulders and a head that gets lowered her spine yeah uh into a and body. she's got like a robotic spine as well. Like. Yes, she looks and great. there are little hooks that actually clip onto her skin. Yeah, this movie's all about body horror. Yeah, yeah. Like with the thing jumping out of Picard's skin and all. Um, the way that she tries to seduce Data is by giving him a patch of human skin and like blowing gently on it. He's never had this sensation yeah. before. It's yeah, he, like he gets he actually gets goosebumps. Yeah, right? it's it's like it's erotic and disgusting. Yeah. it's it's fantastic though. Again, this is why I'm a little bit of two minds on First Contact, because great villain. As a movie, fantastic. Alice Krieg, wonderful. Mm. But to me, it kind of undermines the creepiness of the Borg, Mm. because as we've discussed before, the Borg are unique because they're a hive mind. When you speak to them, you don't see a face on your view screen because there are no individuals. You just hear a chorus of voices speaking as one. But now in this film, they're saying, no, actually, there is there one is individual yeah. Yeah. who speaks for all of us. And again, they hand wave it with a line of dialogue. They say, oh, you think in such three-dimensional ways. And you're like, yeah, but it's still a problem. Yeah. It's still yeah. a bit of a problem. Yeah. You know, with a hive, I don't mind the idea of there being a queen. Yeah, um, sure. I might not have made her look exactly like a Borg, but that's that's fine. Um, I think I think it's okay because, like you were saying, Alison Krieg is great in mm-hmm. it. The only thing that that really sort of kind of makes me kind of go, "Oh, wait a minute," is is the Locutus of Borg character. Sure. Like, if there was a queen, if they need, like, they sort of said they needed Locutus of Borg because humans like have some weird sentimentality towards individualism, so they would prefer to see a face. Sure, and um, that's from the episode where Picard gets assimilated. Yeah. He becomes a part of the Borg. And he, like you say, he's the face. He speaks to the Federation. Yeah. And it's a great tactic because it's like, hey, here's this captain you will love. We got him and he's telling yeah. you to surrender. Yeah. Uh, and that's why Picard has all this. In this movie, he has like, he has PTSD. He's waking up from these nightmares and he is, he's he holds like this deep anger toward the Borg. Yeah. Once again, contradicting Star Trek. It's a good movie. It's not necessarily perfect Star Trek because in Star Trek, the show... Uh, he runs into the Borg multiple times after that, and he treats them the way he would any other alien species. Yeah. He even defends them. There's yeah. the episode where they deassimilate, partially deassimilate another Borg, begin to see glimmers of their individuality coming back to them. Starfleet, uh, a classic evil admiral, uh, Admiral Necheyev, uh, wants to implant a virus uh, in him, send him back to the collective, destroy the Borg. And Picard won't do it because mm. he says, look, this species may be destructive and we have not yet found a way to live with them. But destroying an entire species is wrong. It yeah. goes against what Federation is about. 
Hi folks, Josh here, interrupting myself with a slight correction. In I Borg, the episode I'm discussing, it is actually Picard who comes up with the plan to infect the Borg with a computer virus, despite the protests of Dr. Crusher who points out that wiping out an entire species is an act of genocide. But Picard is very cold and pragmatic and doesn't view the Borg as a species that is alive in the same sense as others, but rather a computerized enemy with whom negotiation isn't possible and that will destroy the Federation if they don't strike first. It isn't until the captured Borg drone begins making declarative first-person statements I won't do this, I won't do that, uh, that he begins to reconsider. It's in a later episode, Descent, that Admiral Necheyev chews Picard out for deciding not to use the virus. I just wanted to get ahead of any Trekkies who are going to try and correct me. I can hear you typing your little comments, and uh, now you don't have to. Now back to the discussion. Come to this movie... Now he's completely traumatized by what happened to him. He hates them. Yeah. He sh machine guns them to death. He screams at them. He He's really a completely different guy. God, actually, that's an awful scene, isn't it, when he machine guns the Borg? Yes. They run into the holodeck. Uh -huh. All of a sudden, they're wearing tuxedos and, and you know cocktail dresses. Yes, because the movie... Uh, this is more of a movie than it is Star Trek. They don't want to stop the action to go, well, now they're going to replicate costumes and put them on. Uh, it's more exciting if they just walk in there and they have the costumes on, but it it, it causes problems yeah. in the way that it supposedly the fictional technology works. Yeah. So this movie makes a lot of concessions to a general audience's enjoyment, foregoing classic Star Trek right. continuity. Yeah. Um, and it worked for them because it's a, it was a popular movie. I believe it is the second highest grossing Star Trek film oh, right. after Voyage Home. After Voyage Home, yep. that makes sense. Adjusted for yeah. inflation. Yeah, um, I don't know if that's changed with the recent films. I don't believe it has. Right, okay. Um, and yeah, they kind of turn Picard at the end of this film into John McClane. Yeah. He's crawling through tubes. The way that Jonathan Frakes justifies this is it's getting hotter because the Borg like a warm uh, environment to work in. That's how Picard first realizes that there are Borg on the ship because the temperature has been adjusted to the temperature of a Borg cube. Mm. So he's taking his clothes off. He's getting all sweaty. He's just wearing a singlet. He's hanging from ducts and uh, machine gunning and punching his way out of a problem. And you go... I don't know if this is the same Picard that we knew from the show. Oh, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the problem with the next-gen movies. Is Definitely. The, is the change of Picard's character. Yes. Where he's not Picard anymore. Don't worry. We'll get to how Picard has changed. Yeah. I was thinking about this. Uh, the fact that the Defiant shows up. Normally on Deep Space Nine, when the Defiant goes out... It's Cisco. Usually the main crew of, the, uh, of Deep Space Nine are on that yeah. ship. And I said, well, could we not have given them a cameo? on the ship and then say oh they left on shuttles right yeah that got me thinking because i've been doing i've been thinking about this episode a lot and what i'm going to say about them and i want to bring something new to the table uh as we said picard machine gunning the borg saying you know he hates them and he will make them pay for what they've done it's out of character you know who does feel that way is cisco benjamin cisco yeah. his wife in the first episode we learned was killed by the Borg, specifically by Locutus, mm. Picard, while he was assimilated. So, I've decided I'm going to play script doctor, and the film that I'm pitching, which again, if we could shift the balance so that it's a little bit more of a Trek film rather than just a general audience film, it's not just Next Generation versus the Borg, it's Next Generation meets Deep Space Nine, mm. the movie. The way I'm thinking of it is... The film opens the same way with the battle. The Defiant is there, but you've got the Deep Space Nine crew, and they have to beam aboard from the Defiant. And there's this tense moment where uh, Picard and Sisko, their eyes meet. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they don't get along. They do not get along. When he last saw Captain Picard, he basically told him, like, I don't want to see you again. Yeah. You know, you know it's just, uh, I'm picturing, like, the dialogue is just, uh, Captain, 
commando, you know, just <laughs> yeah. real tense. Uh, they have to keep it professional in front of everyone. So they're not letting out uh, how That's they right. really feel That's about right. each other. Yeah. Now, through the events of the film, somehow I think Picard and Cisco end up stuck together. They're the last pit person that they would want to be stuck with in a crisis and they're forced together. Uh, and Cisco, I think, should be the one who wants to blow up the ship. Because uh, in the movie, it's Worf, and it creates a little bit of tension. He basically just says, we should blow up the ship. I'm not going to do that. You're a coward. And then at the end of the yeah. movie, I'm sorry I called you a coward. That's all right, buddy. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, really yeah. go anywhere. Yeah. Cisco hates the Borg, and he thinks that they should blow, blow them all up. Uh, whereas Picard, being the more measured one, as we mentioned, doesn't think they should be destroyed. Uh, he just wants to sever uh, the collective so that he can save all the people who've been assimilated, like he was. He was yeah. assimilated into yeah. the Borg, and he was freed. So he's like, we can still save these people's lives. Cisco is disgusted by this because he's like, oh, of course you want to save them. You were one of them. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, right. I think the, the, the there's got to be a scene where they finally hash it out with each other, and Cisco uh, accuses him. Uh, he, he confesses, look, I know that it was the Borg who killed my wife that day, but it was your face that I saw. It yeah. was your finger on the trigger. And uh, I think Picard shouldn't be penitent. Uh, he should be cold and diplomatic and kind of logical saying, I'm sorry, it wasn't me, which just makes Cisco even angrier. Uh, and uh, I've just written a, bits of dialogue here, and he goes, you're right, I don't feel guilty about those people because I didn't kill them. Locutus did. He used my face, my body, and I'll never forgive them for that. If I feel guilty about anything, it's how easily I was able to move on with my life when so many lost theirs. Because that's what we see in the show. Yeah. He just goes right back to it and doesn't want to talk about it because yeah. to him... There's nothing to talk about. Uh, so that's the central conflict between our two captains. I've got, I've got subplots. Right. Um, Are you listening, Paramount? Now. This is gold. We need to get our hands on some Borg time travel technology. Yeah, uh, I know, right? <laughs> uh, thinking about who on Deep Space Nine is going to cross over. Because I think having everyone from both crews is going to be too much, right? Uh, I think that if Worf gets to come back, because he was on TNG, then went to DS9, then you've got to have O'Brien. you got to, yeah. Uh, he never got his shot in the movies. Um, and they kind of owe it to him, because he hardly got to do a thing on TNG, right? Uh, and just thinking about it in the logic of the world, the Defiant needs a damn good engineer. Uh, they're in battle. If something goes wrong, they need someone who can fix it. He's mm. been on the Deep Space Nine station, which was a Cardassian space station, not Kardashian, and... It's been a nightmare trying to retrofit all this alien technology to work with human technology. So he's a whiz. Mm. They're going to want him. I'm also going to suggest that they're going to bring Bashir because this is this is a battle. They're going to need a triage doctor. And uh, Bashir and Data the Android shared an episode. They kind of already have a buddy-buddy mm. little friendship. So I think they can be like a, a comedy duo. They should at least share a scene. Um, now, thinking about who needs to be left behind... We've got to make some difficult choices. And as much as it pains me to say so, I think Quark can't yeah. be in the movie. Yeah, agreed. Um, because his character wants to stay away from any sort of conflict, physical conflict, especially war, as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, and he could care about, like, you know, Federation stuff. He's not in the Federation. Well, he? he has no attachment yeah, to Earth. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and, you know, you could maybe contrive a reason why he might have come along. Maybe he was stowing away, but... Who's he going to sell stuff to? I know, right? That's Gosh, his whole thing. The Borg. <laughs> um, so, and as other movies in the TNG catalog prove, I think that bringing back a fan favorite with no reason for them to be there is actually worse than just not having them at all. Yeah. Uh, thinking about that, I also think Odo should stay behind. Yep. 
justification can be quite easily a nice throwaway line about he's got to keep he wants to keep an eye on Quark. Yeah. You know? Yeah, his job is to look after security on Deep Space Nine, on not the to go and fight the Borg. Exactly. And I think adding him in, like there's so much extra backstory. story to Odo. I've got that I've got, that's exactly what I've put here in my right. notes. There's too much baggage with him. And adding a shapeshifter into the mix begs too many questions. The audience will be like, well why aren't they using the shapeshifter? Blah blah blah. So Odo stays behind on the station and much as I love uh, Kira, I think she needs to stay behind and run the station. Yep. Uh, you know, someone has to keep an eye on it. They do obliquely make a few mentions of the fact that, hey, there's already a war going on, the Dominion mm. War, which mm. is sort of the subject of Deep Space Nine. And so I think it's very easy to justify and say, hey, we need to make sure the Dominion doesn't try anything while we're away fighting the Borg. Yeah. So all those characters... I think there should be a scene where, you know, the ones who are going are sort of saying their goodbyes and they can all have extended cameos, you know? Right, they get okay. their moment okay. in the spotlight right. and we, you know, we're coming back for you at the end. Yeah. Um, the other character who comes along, there's a reason that I didn't mention uh, her earlier, is Jadzia. Ah, okay. Jadzia comes along. Uh, I think she's typically like the helmsman on, on the, on the, on the uh, Defiant. Right. I forget exa- her exact position, but the reason I want her is because the other B-plot is... There needs to be a love triangle between Worf, Troy, Riker, and Jadzia. Right, yeah. For those who don't know, the last season of Next Gen, Worf and Counselor Troy begin a relationship. Now, most people agree it kind of came out of nowhere. They don't seem to have much chemistry. And when the show ended and they began doing movies, it's never referenced again. It's a little bit like Joey and and Rachel. Right. Friends, you know. We tried something different. It didn't quite work out. Uh, And uh, Worf goes on to Deep Space Nine and ends up having a relationship with uh, Jadzia Dax, yeah. uh, which is a much, I think, a much better relationship. You can tell that there's, there's some heat between those two. Yeah. Uh, uh, Counselor Troy and Riker, they're the Ross and Rachel of That's Next right. Generation. That's right, yeah. They, they're exes, but they're on really good terms, and there's a lot of will-they-won't-they they yeah. in the show. Yeah. Uh, and then in the Next Gen movies, the one after this one, they just kind of get back together because yeah and uh they end up getting married it feels like the they the franchise was out of ideas of what to do with these characters yeah a little i will i'm gonna give them the credit in that they never actually got them back together until after they'd been to that other planet yes um, we'll talk about it we'll when talk we talk about, about yeah, yeah. uh insurrection yeah but here's my idea of how you uh, make all of these relationships work so much better uh Riker, being the massive flirt that he is, as soon as he sees Jadzia, starts hitting her up. She is also a very flirty character. So they're having fun. They're giggling and talking and trading, you know, lines back and forth. And the way I see it, Worf and Troy, their relationship sort of ended without really ending. Yeah. Uh, He went over to Deep Space Nine. They tried doing long-distance relationship, but eventually it just sort of stopped. But they never actually said, we're breaking up. Yeah. So when they meet each other again... It's very awkward. And they're like, I guess, are we still in a relationship? But they realize that they're jealous, you know? Uh, Worf is jealous of, uh, he wants Jedzia. Troy wants Riker, she realizes. Uh, But they won't say that to each other because they think, oh, this person still wants to be with me. The resolution at the end is Worf and Troy realize their relationship is over. And they part as friends. They actually call it quits because they both realize they want to be with someone else. And Riker and Jedzia, I think... I think for them it's just flirting. Yeah, like yeah, they're so yeah. similar that yeah. I don't think they actually make any sense as a couple. Yeah, and that way you've closed out uh, uh, Troy and Worf. 
you have a reason for uh, for Riker and Troy to reconnect in the next movie and dovetail that into Worf and Jadzia's relationship yeah. in the next film. Nice. And that brings that, that's why we bring Jadzia in. That makes total sense to me. Um, now, the third act of the film. Okay. This is the last tiny little tidbit. Picard's goal is not to destroy the Borg, but rather he wants to sever the hive mind so that he can de-assimilate the crew. Right. Means that you have more of a threat because it means that members of the crew can be assimilated. Because you oh, notice right, yeah. in the film, none of the regulars get assimilated. Yeah. It's only, you know... Poor old, what was his name? Mr. Madonna. Not Quite Chris yeah. Pine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it would be way more exciting. And it also has that nice script utility of once an actor... Once a character has stopped serving a function in the film, you can do something. Yeah. Oh, they've been borged, and uh, now there's higher stakes. Right, yeah. Um, I think also, after Captain Picard and Cisco have had their big blow-up at each other... Cisco gets assimilated. Ah, oh, yes. Uh, and I, I, I kind of think you should give him a cool Borg name like Locutus. Yeah. And he can be the right hand guy uh, with the queen. Uh, and at the end, when everyone is saved because Picard succeeds, you know, mm-hmm. it says Cisco was not right to give in to his hatred to want to destroy them. Picard saves him, and they're they're still not best friends, but they can see each other's point of view a little clearer now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it's great. That's my rewrite yeah, I, for First I like Contact. It. I like it a lot. I know why they didn't do it that way because. It's so much more work and asks the viewers to deal with so many more characters and so much more backstory. But I think it would be a better Star Trek movie than the movie that we got. Yeah. 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 Did you have any uh, other first contact thoughts? Not really. No, I think I think you've done a good job there. Like I would say that when I was watching the original um, uh, that the trilogy we talked about, the um, the Wrath of Khan, the Search for, Spock. Search for Spock, and the Undiscovered Country. That's where I came into Star Trek, mm-hmm. and I came in with the Undiscovered, or with the uh, the one with the whales first. Voyage Home, Voyage Home. First it's not the I, most distinct name. Um, it should be Star Trek Four: The One with the Whales. Yeah, exactly. But I did have a feeling of there's history here that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. Like, like I could still understand the movie, but I felt there was there was like backstory that I wasn't getting. Sure. Um, and I did feel a little bit alienated by that. But however, it did encourage me to just go and watch all the movies. Sure. So, you know. Cool. Um, so it could, it, it could work to have the, the expanded cast. It certainly, hey. I, li- I certainly like the idea of Picard being more like Picard. Yes. This is a problem that we've had ever since uh, All Good Things Come to an End, the last yeah. episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. There really has been very little of that Picard and let's face it, that's what we loved about Star Trek in the first place, was the character of Picard. Sure. You know, everything else kind of fit in around that character. So it was weird to turn him into... John Luke McLean. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think what happened was um, uh, Patrick Stewart, you know, skinny little pasty English actor, mm. got to go and live in Hollywood, where he got, like, like new and teeth, tan. a new tan. He got Yeah, he got buff, and he's just like, oh, I want to show this off. Buff, you know, tan. <laughs> this is mine, all right. Yeah, exactly. He got the he got the uh, the Mister Spock we're, upgrade. We're, we are. I'm, I am going to bring that up when we talk about the movies that I think are even worse at this. Giving in to the actors' demands and well, vanities. Picard, yeah, the TV series. Let's I know. We'll Let's, talk about that. When we won't we get, get ahead to it. of ourselves. All right. Uh, number five on my list is uh, the search for Spock. Is that number five on your we list? We are. Yeah, we're, it's 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 my number six. Okay, there so we go. we're still the same. I don't have that many notes, but what I will say is, um, I think it's unfair for people to put this uh, in the uh, tradition of every even number Star Trek film was considered bad. I don't think Search for Spock is bad. Not at all. After some of the films I watched for this podcast, it's a good movie. Yeah. It's not 
great. It's not at the level of Wrath of Khan, but as a middle film of that little trilogy, it's wonderful. Yeah. And also, you know, um, the plot of this film, end of Wrath of Khan, Spock has died. His father, Sarek, shows up to Kirk and says, why didn't you perform this Vulcan ritual you've never heard of? Mm. They, they have a ritual that can reconnect his body to his spirit. Yeah. His spirit, he gave two bones yeah he uh t- he did the vulcan mind meld said remember mm-hmm. and put his mind basically into his, his mind his katra his katra they call it yeah and they and uh bones is even beginning to like act like um like spock there's a great scene that's kind of creepy where um in a dark hallway you see this figure standing there and you hear spock's voice say jim and kirk grabs him and he turns him around and it's bones and yeah. he looks really frightened he doesn't know where he is his spirit is inside of bones he's haunting the film yeah his body, meanwhile, was landed on the Genesis planet, which has been terraformed by the Genesis device, which is, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit sci-fi, but they, it's, it's radiating with regenerative energies, and it has made his body new again. It's made him a child, mm-hmm. for some reason, mm-hmm. but they're saying there is a chance that we can reconnect the, his mind with his body, yeah. bring him back. Yeah. And they don't pull this uh, break glass in case of emergency button too often, but what I really like about this movie is that it's just about friendship. Yep. Like, it's just, we are best friends, and we're going to save our friend. We're going to bring him back. And in order to do that, they have to steal the Enterprise and go to the forbidden planet of Genesis to mm. steal his body against mm-hmm. orders. I love the scene. It's just, it's a beautiful moment where um, you can see the Enterprise being pulled out of space dock. Captain Kirk and his crew are manning it. And someone over the comp says, Kirk, if you do this, your career in Starfleet is over. And he says, warp speed whatever yeah. he says as he's saying it he said you will never sit in the captain's chair again mm. and as he's saying it kirk is sitting down right, in the right. captain's chair yeah you know possibly for the last time ever yeah it's great and you know we've seen these characters as starfleet officers for the whole tv show this is now the third movie so seeing them go where uh this is more important to us than honoring starfleet honoring the federation is cool mm. i feel like too many movies after this have the characters like with the next gen movies every movie they're disobeying starfleet yeah, and yeah. it's like it's like homer yeah. simpson at the nuclear power plant <laughs> yeah. do you even have this job anymore <laughs> yeah. um it also gives me um i i think i've mentioned it before but i just love the little scene of uh, uh uhura's deception yes she's playing the role of the uh the over the hill uh starfleet officer and there's this young buck going like oh well it's different for you you're old you've had your time in the sun i wish i was doing something exciting and so then when kirk and the team uh show up and are legally gonna beam themselves aboard the enterprise against orders she pulls a gun on him and she's like how's this for exciting and you know it just proves hey don't underestimate an older person yeah she locks him in a closet yeah. it's great yeah yeah it's like it's it's like michelle Yeoh winning the oscars and ladies don't let anybody tell you you're over the hill there you go there you go yeah exactly star trek did it first <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah star trek gave an oscar to a woman first yeah. um <laughs> The villain in this one is not the strongest, but still fun. Are you kidding me? It's Christopher Lloyd as a Klingon. That's the thing is that sentence is fun. Yeah. I think he's got a strange voice for a Klingon. Okay. And he's not the most compelling because he's just a random Klingon officer who's chasing glory. He's like, hey, if I can bring down the Enterprise and retrieve the Genesis device, I'm going to be hot shit in the Empire. Mm. Good enough. You know what I mean? Also, I think that this is the first sort of portrayal of the Klingons as we know them. 
They're like um, wearing those uniforms and having the that sort of ridge on their head. They are in the motion picture. They're in the motion picture, but they're they're. They don't look they're, exactly. They look the same. a little different, and they don't really do anything. They don't speak or anything like that. This is the first time there's a Klingon who looks like this. He's got the beard. He's got the hair, and he's talking about honor. Right. He's obsessed with honor. Mm-hmm. He's the first one. Fair so, enough. So like a lot of um, ice was broken. Um, I can in, see that in the, in the Klingon lore with with the um, with the Christopher Lloyd character. True. Um, another great moment in the film is uh, they realize that they are the the Enterprise crew realize they are overwhelmed. The Klingons are going to take the ship, so they beam down to the Genesis planet and set off a um, a self destruct countdown. Mm. The Klingons beam aboard. They're hearing the computer voice say something, and they don't speak English. When they do translate it, they hear the voice going five. Four, three, and uh, the get co- out! commander crew. <laughs> get out of there! Yeah. <laughs> it blows up. You see Crit the Scott. <laughs> you see the uh, ship f- in a flaming wreck heading towards the planet, and Kirk and the team looking on. He goes, "My God, Bones, what have I done? Oh, yeah. What you always do: turn death into a fighting chance at life." Yeah, it's a great scene. It's great. Yeah. And again, similar to uh, Leonard Nimoy's death in, uh, sorry, uh, Spock's death in Wrath of Khan. The reason that it feels uh, momentous to see the Enterprise going down at last is because in people's, the public's imagination, you've been following this ship since the 60s through mm. the entire TV show, in reruns through the 70s. It finally came back in the movies, and they say it's the same ship, just yeah, retrofitted. It's got a refit, yeah. uh, and it's finally destroyed. It's sad to see that yep. ship go down. Yep. It's another thing that and you new see movies, it in Kirk, like he's like, you know, he, he's good at it. He loves his ship. They made a really good point about that on. Um, I think it was Red Red Letter Media. Oh, yeah. How Captain Kirk loved his ship mm-hmm. and was really sad when you see it go down. But Kurt, or Picard, yeah. he doesn't care. It's just, his ship is just his ship. It's And he's a way more cold yeah. when, when his Enterprise finally gets destroyed. He just shrugs and goes, oh, well, yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's really nice, the sort of, uh, the difference in the two characters of the cap, of the captains, you know, like the Definitely. two first captains that we knew. Um, the, the way that... Um, that they characterize Kirk and Generations, which isn't my favorite. But as I mentioned, in the original series, he's really like a lovelorn sort of guy. He wants to be in a relationship. Mm. And in Generations, it's him grappling with the fact that he never got married. He doesn't have a real family. He has his crew, but, you know, he he, he does regret that he didn't have this other life. Mm. The ship is kind of like his surrogate wife, yeah, you know? Yeah. They refer to the ship as a she in that sort of naval way. So it's very sad seeing it go yeah, down. Yeah. Um, and I was saying that a lot of movies are way too cavalier with blowing up their ships when we haven't had enough time to really care about the ship. Uh, they blow it up, and it just doesn't carry any of the weight mm. as this first destruction. You yeah. know, they. I think after this, they were like, ah, that's an easy way to get people invested, and it's an exciting special effect. Blow yeah. up the ship. Blow up the ship. And and the cool thing is, is at this point, we've already mentioned it, an Enterprise doesn't come back into it for a couple more movies. Right, they have you to know? fly in the Klingon cruiser. Yeah, 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 which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, um, one thing I'd say um, um, that I liked, because I did watch this movie f- mm-hmm. for uh, for the podcast, and and something I didn't really pick up on before, which I really liked, was that um, Christopher Lloyd's character was completely in the right. He he points out like because um, Kirk is like you know I think he's killed his son or something like this at this mm-hmm. point. And he's real pissed off at him, and 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 Christopher Lloyd's just like y- you're outside, you're at a forbidden planet, which the Federation have told you not to be in a stolen ship, looking for a wa- a weapon of mass destruction made by the Federation. What like. This is an like this is an absolute act of war. You know, you're not wrong. And I'm coming after you for it. 
And it's like, wow, I love that. Well, see, I, I hadn't watched the movie before we started talking, so I'm like, hey, that's that's a nice yeah. bit of writing for yeah. a character who is otherwise a, a bit of a brute. Kind of a one-dimensional villain, but his, his motivations were clean and clear. You've got to give him his, his dues there. Um, I will say the final battle is kind of silly. It is, you know, a bust up on a planet. Yeah. The planet is falling apart and... Uh, uh, you know, classic Star Trek original series battle. It's just Kirk and this guy punching and wrestling each other. And uh, Krug, the character, picks up Kirk and he just goes, Give me Genesis! And I, I'm i being too nitpicky. It's a little bit cinema sins of me, but I'm like, how? Like, yeah, right. I, what, you mean the planet? Well, yeah. it's collapsing. You mean the weapon? Well, I don't have it right now. I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> and it ends with Krug hanging off a cliff. And the big end to his character is Kirk kicks him in the face and goes, I have had enough of you! And he falls to his death. And you're like, yeah. Uh, but I love that um, they really string you along because everyone loves Spock. Mm. Everyone wants to see him again. The movie's called The Search for Spock. Mm. And they don't give you they don't give you Spock until the very end of the movie. I think I think he has one line, and then they say ah, and the adventure continues. Yeah. And I think part of the reason they did that is because Leonard Nimoy, as mentioned, wanted to be killed off, and he said if you want me to come back for a third one, maybe more, I want to direct. Mm. And so he got to direct this one, and him not being in it allowed him to fully inhabit the role of director. Yeah, it was a very canny yeah. move. It was a great move, but there is another problem um, with the story of search for Spock mm. so in the Wrath of Khan as we said uh, uh, Spock puts his katra into, um, into, bones. into bones at the same time Spock's body gets thrown down onto the Genesis planet uh-huh. where it gets regenerated by the Genesis device like, like we say it gets turned into a boy and, uh-huh. and grows, grows rapidly if his body hadn't accidentally gotten caught on the Genesis planet mm. what was the plan with Spock's Katra. Yeah. Was was McCoy going to stay as like a kind of a schizophrenic for the rest of his life? Once again, Spock being a little bit liberal with that, uh, with that mind meld thing. Maybe ask someone if, <laughs> hey, right. I mean, that was an emergency in Wrath of Khan and he just didn't have time to ask. But you should ask someone before putting your soul into their body to like, carry. Do, do Vulcans have other like, I don't know, golems or something like that that they could have put him into? They didn't say. Yeah, I was wondering like, could they have just put him in his old body? Uh, oh, like his like his corpse. Yes, yeah, yeah, maybe actually Frankenstein yeah, yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. Or do they just do? They're like, well, there's no way of bringing him back, so we're going to purge his remaining katra from Bones's. Yeah, I guess that, mind. that maybe. Remember there was the um, there was the the I don't know ceremony or something that put his katra back into his body. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would have just expelled it from from Bones. Possibly body. if they didn't have like like a Spock body just lying around. Yes. Uh, since we're talking about the subject of him being resurrected, I like at the beginning of four, um, because uh, Spock is sort of brand new again, he kind of has to go through the character arc again where he's completely logical. Mm-hmm. He's doing like a test on Vulcan. And they're asking him all these, you know, science questions and he's able to answer them right off. And then the question is, how do you feel? He just doesn't understand the question. And his mother, uh, who is a human, Amanda, explains the computer knows that you are half human. So that's why it's asking you about your emotions. Right. Uh, and... He's kind of cold again. Yeah. Uh, Bones, like, kind of is, like, giving him, like, a, oh, it's nice to see you again speech. He goes, well, I may have carried your soul, but I could never fill your shoes. And Spock just stares at him blankly and goes back to his computer monitor. Yeah. And so it takes him a while to get back to his old self. But yeah. like you say, at the end of the movie, he's like, these are my friends. Yeah. So I think it's yeah, all in, come back in, to In him. part four, it's beautiful. Because yeah. even after he says, these are my friends, and, and Sarah kind of scowls at him. He goes, do you have a message for your mother? And he goes... 
yes, tell her I feel fine. Yeah. And it's just, whoa, nice little callback to a movie, like a movie ago. Yeah. And, li- and like I say, it, it just really subtly works into part six where he's quietly sort of integrated uh, who he is into his life. It's wonderful. Yeah. Excellent. Now, it's, it's fair to say that's the actual movies that we really like. Yes. Those are right. the ones that I all When really you get enjoy. to three, it, it is, it, I still think it's a very good movie, but it is definitely getting into the ones where it's like. This probably just appeals to Trekkies, and <laughs> yeah. even then, it gets worse. Yeah. Uh, my number six is actually the 2009 Star Trek film. Ah, okay, interesting. Uh, I'm imagining that is not on your list at number six. It is not. Now, I watched. Um, I watched. A, I wanted to refresh myself with this one. This is the reboot from 2009. Star Trek had laid dormant for quite a number of years after the next gen films kind of fizzled out, and. As I said, we're getting into the films that uh, maybe they're not great Star Trek, but I'll take a good movie Mm. over bad, bad movie, good Star Trek. Mm. That's my Mm. equation. Mm. Watching 2009, there's a lot of it that goes, runs against classic Star Trek canon. It's not as curious about science and philosophy Mm. as the franchise usually is, but it is a fun romp. Mm. Um, You know... J.J. Abrams has caught a lot of flack recently. Certainly, Rise of Skywalker did him no favors. Mm. I'm no, I'm no fan. What I will say is, he has a great skill for um, for reviving properties, for taking things that are old and making them feel new and exciting, and getting regular people interested in them again. Because like nobody gave a hoot about the, about Star Trek at, at you know mid 2000s. They're like, oh, that old thing, yeah, that musty yeah, thing yeah. that's been on the air too long. Yeah, and this 2009 film. It's fast. It's fun. I think another smart thing he did was he hired really hot actors to be in it. Right. You know, it's not just for nerds. There are hot people in this. Um, Star Trek should be hot. There's often like an undercurrent of like repressed sexuality to Star Trek because it was a family show on TV. But Roddenberry wanted the show to be a really sexually liberal uh, future. Yeah. you know, when the worst looking person on your film, the least attractive, I should say, is Simon Pegg. You're yeah. like, that's a pretty, that's a decent gradient. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it throws all the rules out the window. Um, you know, one example is the fact that uh, Jim Kirk, young Jim Kirk, is on his motorcycle looking up at uh, the Enterprise being built on Earth. It's a beautiful shot. It's, but it's a great shot. However... Yes, like I'm say, like I've said about First Contact, cinematically, it works. It's yeah. him looking at his destiny. But, as we all know in Star Trek canon, starships are built in space, in dockyards over Mars, I believe. And the reason they're done is because you're not fighting against gravity. You have to use so much more energy to lift the hull of a gigantic spaceship if you're fighting the gravity of the Earth in space easily done that's right and, so, and the original design of the Enterprise they kind of said that that's why the Enterprise is this weird shape that in, in, in sort of in spaceship sort of um, it works as a ship in, in a space in atmosphere co- uh, pop culture yeah. you didn't see it was all flying saucers before this mm-hmm. whereas the Enterprise said well there's no gravity what will we do we can have any shape you want and mm. they came up with the shape with the warp cells. so the fact that it's built in shape or in space, it seems it seems silly, but it's important to Trekkies. Yes, you know, I know. It's th- that's the sort of thing you notice when you're a Trekkie, not when you're a regular film goer. Yeah, sure. Uh, but it doesn't take away from the movie. I think the cast is all really good. Uh, Pine, Chris Pine, is very charismatic. He's great. He's great. Uh, Zoe Saldana, particularly in this film, is really giving a lot more than the script offers. Mm. She's trying to make something oh, yeah, out of this point. role, yeah, that's a very good especially point. when uh, the original role of Uhura. 
you know, a landmark for a woman of color to be seen on TV as a peer to white men. But her role, as Nichelle Nichols herself said, is, sir, they're hailing us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they were, tr- they were really trying to bump up her role and make her more important, which I appreciate. Uh, of course, I'm joining the chorus here. Everyone agrees. Carl Urban is so perfect He's as both. Yeah. He captures yeah. the cadence, the intonation, without doing a vocal impression of, of the original. Yeah, yeah. We He's, love Carl Urban. Every, he, like, you know. George Dredd, fantastic. He, he the is boys, a, fantastic. He is a national treasure he really of New is. Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed a couple things. They uh, in a couple shots they give uh, Christopher Pike the eye lighting. Oh right. In the okay. original yeah. series, sometimes they'll do this thing where they just do like a square patch of light over the eyes. Everything else is darkened, and they do that in this film, which I thought was pretty cute. This is the running down hallways movie. Yes. Because sitting on a bridge and talking to each other can be a little dull. They're like, we need to action this up somehow. The characters are constantly running back and forth between different parts of the ship at full tilt. Just make it a little more exciting for the people in well, their seats. Yeah, also, um, um, and it was the Red Letter Media guys, I think, um, who also pointed this out. And it, 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 they were comparing it to the Star Wars movies that mm-hmm. were made at the time that were full of CGI and uh, actors just kind of clearly in front of green screens, um, and J- so J.J. Abrams is, is he likes building sets, mm-hmm. and so when you see the characters running down sets and avoiding stuff, and like it looks real, it mm-hmm. it, it, it feels like they're in that environment. Definitely, um, and it's also what J.J. did when he finally started to make some Star Wars. Yeah, he went back to he, like like put the CG, still use the CG because it looks great. You're never but, not going to use CG where you where you can not use CG. Don't. I, I remember you know a I mean? video of him on location for Force Awakens. He was standing in a desert. He had alien people in prosthetics and puppeteering costumes behind him and just everything physical. And I was like, I'm really excited to yeah, see this. Yeah, that's what made us it feel like like old Star Wars yeah. again. And I think he did the same for Star Trek here. He kind of turned Star Trek into a Star Wars and making it an adventure. A little but he bit did it for very sure. well. Um, the, the, I think also one of the things that I really like, we haven't really given away the... We've buried the lead on the plot of this film. It's a very smart move in that it purposely, deliberately sets up an alternate timeline. Mm. It would have been so easy to just say, these are those same yeah, characters, yeah. and we're just doing new things with them, and we're not going to explain why it all looks different and all this. Instead, uh, in the prime timeline, uh, there is a disaster. Uh, the Romulans, who are another enemy of the Federation their star is going to go Nova. And so they have to evacuate the Romulans. Spock, who has long sought uh, reunification between the Romulans and the Vulcans, because they are sister species, which is their way of hand-waving the fact that they just reused the pointy ears, (laughs) a cheap way of doing a TV alien. Uh, He wants to help them, but his experiment to try and save their culture, uh, their son from not going Nova, fails and destroys the planet. Uh, They are sent... Through time, um, he's using some experimental stuff called red matter, sends them back in time, and that Romulan uh, wants to kill Spock mm. for destroying his homeworld. And he gets his revenge by destroying uh, the planet Vulcan. Yes. Um, and but so in traveling through time... He changes history. Yes, yeah, Spock coming into... Well, this time we call it the kelvin verse because the, the first uh, spaceship he saw was the the uss kelvin is yeah. destroyed by uh, right. nero as the bad guy the romulan right. bad guy his ship destroys the uss kelvin that's captain kirk's father and so that yeah. is the you know like back to the future that is where that line branches off into this yeah. line um 
it's a really nice way to be like, okay, we can have new adventures and it doesn't change any of the canon, which we Trekkies yeah. are very precious uh, about. Look, honestly, I appreciated it at yeah. the time. I was like, oh, look, they've explained why they all look different. That's nice. Yeah. You know? And an- another um, exciting turn to see uh, old Spock back. That's right. Leonard Nimoy comes back. And we haven't seen him as Spock since reunification in The Next Generation, maybe? Probably, yeah. Um, and yeah. He's, he said the reason that he came back is... Um, this was the first time that a director, uh, a creative team, had come to him and said, "We won't do this movie without you." So oh, he felt right. so he felt really important to wow. the production. It wasn't just, oh, uh, say the line, arch your eyebrow, and say fascinating." Yeah, you right. Know? They're yeah. like, "We want you to be. Uh, you are the center of this film, uh, yeah. and you're." It, without you, we'll have to do a completely different movie. Yeah. So I uh, and it works. I really enjoy it, yeah. and the action is all really good. JJ knows how to direct some exciting action. The scene where they have to dive off the ship land on the big mining device that is causing the seismic activity that's going to destroy uh the planet vulcan um just before they launch uh captain kirk well he's not captain yet kirk says to sulu do you have any uh hand-to-hand experience and he goes yes sir what kind fencing which is a nice reference to the episode where they all lose their inhibitions and sulu rips off his shirt and starts fencing because he always wanted to be uh a swordsman yeah uh that's a cute joke and a nice nod. But then when they get down to the planet, one of the uh, Romulans guarding the mining device actually pulls out a sword and they have a sword battle. I was like, this is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an exciting movie. It's not perfect. Uh, Star Trek, but I have other movies on my list that are like that. And like I said, watching a lot of these in a row, the ones that were just boring movies were so much harder to get through sure. than the ones that are at least exciting That's to watch. Right. That's right. Well, I went to see uh, uh, Star Trek 2009 with my cousin who was living in New Zealand at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a kid, the only other Trekkie I knew apart from the convention right. um, crowd, like he was the only other kind of like person in my life who, who was happy enough for me to ring up and, and talk about Star Trek for two hours. And and now he since I would say he's gone off Star Trek a bit. I think he's just seen too many Rathacan remakes and he's just done with it. Um, but when we watched this, we were like, "Hey, this is this is good." Star Trek feels invigorated again. And when the lights came up, we were just um, sitting talking about it. And there was an old couple in front of us, and they were a couple of old Trekkies as well. No kidding. And it was lovely because we kind of just started talking with them and everybody was very happy with the movie and we 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 kind of felt we got vibes of the old convention days of just like meeting a like bunch of old people. nerds who also like star trek you know mm-hmm. so that that was nice i i, I do have very fond feelings for the 2009 kelvin vs uh, remake this next one number seven on my list is the only one that i'm not entirely sure if it belongs in this spot or just above uh 2009 uh, the movie I have in number seven is Star Trek Beyond. Ah, now is that n- that's not number seven on your list? Number seven on my list is Star Trek Beyond. Oh no, kidding! We agree. We did it. We got one we go. that's lined up. I'm putting a little green tick after that one. Now it's been a while since I've seen it, but Same. I remember liking it. Same. I thought this was a big, nice, big turnaround from uh, from Into Darkness, yep. which I'm not that big on. Mm-hmm. I liked that it was a standalone adventure. Uh, they even have a joke at the beginning. Our adventures are beginning to feel a little episodic. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, that's what I really wanted. I didn't want fan service. I just yep. wanted them to do some original adventure with this crew who I like. Yeah. Um, they're trapped on a hostile planet. They have to use their resourcefulness. 
uh, trapping Spock and Bones who don't get along together. Like I say, having opposites stranded together can be a lot of fun for your character. Um, I love that, uh, well, I don't love, but Leonard Nimoy had passed away by the time they did this third right, film. Right, yeah. And the way they incorporate that into the script is that Spock Prime from the yep. original timeline has died, and this gets uh, the new Spock from this Zachary timeline. Zachary Quinto. Zachary Spock. Quinto. Yeah. He starts thinking about, like, you know, his mortality and the fact that his planet has been destroyed. There's a new colony, new Vulcan, all the surviving Vulcans live there. And he's thinking, the logical thing to do is for me to mate with a Vulcan and help propagate my species. Obviously, uh, we forgot to mention in this timeline, uh, him and Uhura are an item. They're together. Mm. She's very hurt by that. And so they break up. And that's, you know, a nice bit of melodrama for your movie. Sure. Sure. But it makes sense that Spock would do that. It does make sense. It's total Spock movie. It's totally in character. Um, There's a great great action sequence at the beginning of this, something that I've thought about before. so often it's two starships that are roughly equally matched, or maybe one's a little bigger, maybe one's a little smaller. But, you know, they've got roughly the same complement of weapons and crew and so on. In this movie, they are beset by a swarm of tiny little ships that attack the ship and rip it apart piece by piece. And, you know, they only have so many laser beams and photon torpedoes, they can't catch all of them. And I was like, this is a really cool a idea, yeah. idea. Apparently this also does come up... Uh, in an episode of Voyager, but in classic Voyager style, they don't do much with it. Okay, yeah. So I, I liked that idea for a, a thing, uh, for a, an action set piece. The villain is not bad. I will say Simon Pegg wrote this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that the premise of your villain being a Federation citizen who's jaded about the whole Federation thing is as original an idea as they think it is. Mm. They've done this a few times throughout Trick. Uh, so he's not the most original, but he's still pretty good. Yeah, he's, tw- he's okay. I think The twist is that he looks like an alien, but you discover that he was a human, and I can't remember how he like transformed himself into this yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I don't remember either. It didn't, I remember even at the time kind of going, oh, what? What? Oh, he's a human? Oh. I guess. And, and he started morphing into look a little bit more like Idris Elba. Yeah. But like it was kind of one of those things. It's like, wow, you got Idris Elba and covered him in rubber so we don't even know that it's him. Well, see, my take was like, uh, you want a good actor. And yeah, sometimes you are, it does feel like a waste. I felt that way about Christopher Eccleston in Thor 2. Great actor. You'd never know him under all the, that alien makeup. Christopher Eccleston. He was the oh, ninth oh, he's a doctor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doctor, yeah. Yep. And he's in... He was in Thor? Yeah, you don't even know, because he was the leader of the Dark Elves, fan-favorite character. Gone. Gone. (laughs) Completely. (laughs) Uh, I thought that, like, um, the reason they they made him take off his makeup is because he's a big star and he wants to show his face. And I was like, he should have just been an alien through and through. He should have just been Edris Elba, though, right? I I guess so. He should have just looked like Edris Elba and said he's an alien. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Anyway. Um, Clever use of the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys kind of became the unofficial like band of this new film they uh they play a song uh kirk baby kirk steals a car in 2009 because he's this is a way to show that he's rebellious he steals his dad's vintage car his stepdad's vintage car and he plays the beastie boys and he goes yeah and it's a (laughs) a little bit it's a little bit corny yeah in into Darkness, they have Beastie Boys playing while Kirk is sleeping with alien women. Again, you know, that's when he becomes the pop culture Kirk, not the Kirk from the show. Sure. This one, I really liked. They they found that the swarm of ships that the bad Idris Elba character is going to use 
have a specific frequency they all communicate on. And if they send a signal on that frequency, uh, they, can, they can't communicate with each other and they can't operate. So they discover it's basically a radio frequency. Right. And they blast the Beastie Boys and they played the song Sabotage. Yeah. Which is also a cute little reference to another classic uh, outtake that I know Maurice LaMarche loves to do an impression of. Shatner is arguing with a director on the set of Star Trek. All right. He's telling him to read it again. And he's saying, can you, can you say sabotage? You're saying it incorrectly. And the, the classic line from uh, that William Shatner spits back at him with contempt is, you say sabotage. I say sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I wondered. I love it. I, I wouldn't be it. surprised if that was also an intentional yeah. nod. Uh, that, and I'm guessing that happened during the making of the, uh, the Undiscovered Country, where, I think, where I Kim think, Cattrall's character describes what sabotage means. I think it happened, I believe it happened on the set of the original series. Oh, really? So I'm almost wondering right. if that line from Undiscovered Country is also a reference Maybe. to that little yeah, incident. Yeah, yeah, must be right. Because she does actually, say yeah. it in a funny way, very, very clinical. Yeah. Sabotage. Yeah. Yeah, because she said like something like a sabo is a is a uh, like a jandal mm. that uh, workers used to throw into the machines to make the machines break. I see, and you that's know? how we get and the that's word. That's where we get sabotage. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, did you have any more thoughts to share on Beyond? Because um, you watched it, did you? Have no, you I didn't watch Beyond, okay. but of the Kelvin verse, it's my favorite. Okay. Well, there you um, go. Um, I like I like that this Kelvin verse has brought contemporary music into Star Trek. Because, sure. And I'll tell you why. It's something I used to do anyway. Um, like like when you've watched all the Star Treks and you don't want to you don't need to watch the the plot anymore you just want to watch the visuals I would often put on music sure. and just have Star Trek on in the background and I kind of feel that's what they're doing they're just saying here's some Star Trek spaceships and the Beastie Boys you know it, it's they they need they they do need to find ways to make Star Trek cool and interesting yeah. to the youth yeah yeah so I liked I liked it for that so. Th- this was the movie that I wasn't sure if it should be above or behind 2009 well that's it I I, I mean th- I put it above because well the rules were what, what would I rather watch yep. and though I like both of those movies I'd probably rather watch beyond maybe it's because I've seen it a little less sure I don't know maybe who knows uh, number eight on my list okay this one I think is going to surprise you okay uh, I put my number eight as Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. I'm getting out my green pen because I put down Star no Trek way. V, The Final Frontier. I really thought this one was going to be a, a surprise. Because right. Star Trek V is not well regarded. No. And admittedly, we are now into the section of films that we, we are not great films. Yeah, you're not going to go to bat for these really, are you? No, I'm not defending it. But what I did find watching it again was maybe for the second time ever right. is... Yeah, it's kind of dumb and kind of goofy, but I found it very charming, right. and it was never boring. Right. It moved from one thing to another. Uh, something was always happening to keep my interest, whereas there have been there are plenty of films further down the list that could not do even that. Um, the plot roughly is about um, Spock's long-lost secret sibling, of yeah. which... There are now more. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the Sarek family is like a clown car of siblings <laughs> that they just yeah. keep rolling out. Uh, Cybok is his name. Yeah. And they mention he is part of that group from Enterprise mm. mentioned that has embraced their emotions. They call him the Laughing Vulcan. Mm. And uh, he is convinced. He's a bit like a religious zealot. He, like, goes around the galaxy collecting followers. There's, like, this real nasty-looking weirdo on uh, Nimbus 3 at the beginning of the movie with these crazy teeth. He just looks like this poor, horrible, disheveled wretch of a human figure. and um, Stuck out in a desert or something. Yeah, it? and... Um, 
he does this thing and he keeps saying, share your pain with me and sort of relieves them of it. Right. And that's why they go, oh, this guy's awesome. I'm going to follow him. The only thing that's weird about to me in this movie that I wish they had have changed is he keeps doing that. He keeps saying, share your pain. And with the Enterprise crew, they actually see visions of like difficult, painful moments of their lives, but they never really explain how or why he's doing this. And am I wrong? Even McCoy begins to go like, this guy's on the level. We should follow him. Right, yeah, yeah. The only thing that they needed to do was have him do a mind melt. And that explains how he does it. Yeah, right. He looks into your mind. He sees the most painful moment of your life and forgives you, relieves you of it. That's all they needed to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, So his plan is he needs a starship. He's gone to this planet, they say, is a joint effort to start a colony between the Romulan Empire, the Klingon Empire, and the Federation. Yeah. Joint venture to try and begin to work toward peace, but there are too many people at the table, too many competing interests, and so the whole thing has just fallen into uh, disrepute. You know, there's gambling, there's crime, and you see the three, like, uh, I guess... They're ambassadors di- or something. Ambassadors, yeah, yeah. diplomats yeah. who are stationed there, and you can see that they've they've given up. Yeah. And, it, and interestingly, David Warner is David the human Warner. one. Exactly, yeah. Um, I think he said, I like this one because it's the only film where I don't die in oh, Star right. Trek. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and he didn't have to wear any makeup because he's just David Warner. Exactly. And the, 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 the bar is really weird because, like, they're trying to make it alien and exotic. I think they were inspired by the Star Wars cantina, and anytime someone tries to copy that, it's never as good yeah. or interesting. Yeah. There's a, a I believe it's called a Katan, okay. who are the cat species they introduce oh, in the right. animated series. Yeah. And she's got three boobs and she's a stripper. Yeah. That's interesting and strange. They're playing snooker, but for some reason, the table has water on it. Okay. You remember the one where Kirk goes back in time and tries to change uh, the time he got stabbed and... Uh, no. Picard. Picard, sorry. Yeah, 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 Picard yeah. tries to change yeah. his history. He Dom gets, Jot. Dom Jot yeah. is the is they have a version of fake pool, but yeah. it like involves bumpers and like electronic things on the table. Should have been should have been Dom Jot. Dom Jot must have come after like I think so. water pool table. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh um, my goodness. He uh Cybok shows up on this planet, he holds it to ransom with his followers, knowing that a Federation starship will show up. He wants to commandeer it and take it to the center of the galaxy where he believes that's where God is. He's a religious mm, zealot. That's right. He, he does it because he thinks it's going to be great for everyone. You know, we're all going to discover, we're all going to find God. We're literally going to find him. That's yeah. where he is, which is like kind of interesting yeah. that like, he's not just, he's not just a dude after revenge. Yeah. The most tired true, thing in the world. Actually, yeah. He's like, I yeah. want, I think I'm trying to help people, mm. which I think is very neat. Yeah. And this movie's definitely on the cheaper end of Star Trek films, sure, which sure. is, but it still looks pretty good though. It's very strange that they decided to cheap out after, as I said, Voyage Home made the most money any Star Trek film had made. And maybe that could still be the case. I haven't checked for inflation Mm. with the newer ones. But, like, people have pointed out that the monitors on this film, rather than be, uh, you know, the way they would normally do it, is they'd have an insert after the fact, an optical effect, to put film inside that space. Sure. You can actually see the scan lines of it being a TV <laughs> yeah, that they right. filmed. Yeah, You go, yeah. that's that's taking me out of it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, do, they do this a lot anyway, but I noticed that they reused the uh, the big, lovely space station. I think it's regular one yeah. from Wrath of Khan. Yep. They just reuse that. That gets used so much, yeah. They, they reuse a lot of shots. Um, a very strange subplot in this film that they just kind of throw... Uh, bringing out of nowhere uhura and scotty seem to be an item in this film yeah yeah, they're a bit cozy she's like like he's like like, oh i've been working real hard last i had to miss our dinner and she goes i bought it for you and she's bought like ration packs he's like oh lassie you're so understanding yeah like 
I guess, I mean, they spend a lot of time together. So, but that's one of those things, like, because when I did start watching the other Star Treks and I saw that relationship, I'm like, oh, they, I didn't know that they were chums. Yeah. And, and then going back and looking at all of Star Trek, I'm like, when, they did, when did they become chums? They, the answer is they did not. <laughs> yeah. Um, the beginning is very, like, it's, again, endearingly charming in a, in a goofy way. Mm. Spock, Kirk, and Bones are taking their shore leave and they're taking it together. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, and they're camping and Kirk is rock climbing. Spock uh, flies up to talk to him with these completely impractical rocket boots. Yeah, yeah. The effects are not great. No. Uh, and he saves him from falling. They have some corny dialogue as they sit around the campfire. Row. They, they sing row, row, row your row. boat. You've never heard of row, row, row your boat, Mr. Spock? I, I, th- I don't know what they're going for. It's meant to be... I don't know it's, if it's, it's a be... bonding scene, right? Yeah, it's bonding, I yeah. guess. It yeah. doesn't feel very poignant. It's just like I'm watching three old men sing row, row, row yeah. the boat. But I do think that the like the film ha- is taking time out to show these dudes just hang out together. I guess They so. don't have any family. They're yeah. friends. They are family to each other. I suppose and, so. And I, I, I kind of like that it, it hits. In fact, that, that camp scene stuff is probably my favorite stuff in the movie. Okay. Um, and I'll, I think the other thing I like about the movie is that it's the original crew in those um, those burgundy uniforms mm-hmm. on a starship again. You know, it's it, it's got a lot of things that you don't see much of anymore in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the the scene ends with I noted a little House on the Prairie gag. Do you know that TV show? Yeah, yeah. You, it ends with all the family saying goodnight to each yeah. other. It ends. Good night, Bones. All right. Good night, Spock. Good night, Kirk. Good night, Spock. And so yeah. on. Good night, John Boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Who's John Boy? <laughs> there's a lot of gags in this movie. There are these Klingons uh, who are just hanging about in space. They've got nothing to do. They're probably patrolling the neutral zone or something. And they're just blasting space garbage. And one of the pieces of space garbage you see is the uh, the Pioneer 10 probe. This probe I recognized. I didn't know it by name, but I knew it on site because it has this gold plaque with, like, uh, it's sort of uh, like Da Vinci's uh, Vitruvian mm, Man. Yeah. yeah. And, like, you know, here's the scale of us to the earth, quite famous, and they just pew, shoot it and blow it up because they're bored and they're yeah, shooting yeah. they're shooting space garbage. Nice. The climax of the movie is quite famous. They it, this is a thing that bothers me sometimes. There there are a number of things that bother me. This is one of the more egregious Enterprise, you're the only ship in the region uh type things. They use that a lot. And it, no, this can't be the most egregious because there are ones where they are right by Earth. Right. The heart of the Federation and they're saying, you're the only ship nearby. I'm like, that cannot be true. Um, also, it ends with, there's this big cloud in the center of the galaxy and they say, nobody's ever dared to go in. Anyone who goes in doesn't come back. And they and Cybok has taken control of the ship. He's holding them hostage and he says, I command you to go through it. And they do and it takes about two minutes and they're yeah. through it. And I'm like... There was nothing there. Yeah. You're telling me that these scientists wouldn't have dared ever go through this cloud. Yeah. Humans who define themselves as explorers. Yes. Like that is their, the, the actual goal of Starfleet is for nothing but to explore. Absolutely. And, they, and in the center of the galaxy, they just didn't bother. Yeah. And it only took them five minutes to get there. Doesn't, doesn't, don't, doesn't every nebula interfere with their sensors? That's what happens in Wrath of Khan. Right, yeah. But yeah. they go in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, um, yeah they, so th- that's the problem with, with Star Trek V. It, it falls apart. Yes. At the, center of the, at the center of the galaxy, through the cloud, they find a planet. Cybok is elated. He says, this must be Eden. And they do indeed find a giant floating face. Yeah. 
And uh, he's like, I can take many faces. I've had many faces throughout the centuries, been called many names. And he claims that he is God. And he goes, take me aboard your starship and we shall go across the galaxy. And Kirk delivers a line that I know Shatner thought was real cool. Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. why does God need a starship? Yeah, love it. And I mean, you know what? It's a fair question. Yeah. Then he starts getting angry. And I think he kills Cybok. Right. And then it gets very awkward. He's like, the, this big floating head is like chasing Kirk. Uh, he is saved when a Klingon bird of prey shows up and it shoots the head and it explodes. Right. Yeah, which is yeah, kind of yeah. dumb. Right. Though what I did Cause write... Because it's, it's not a real head, isn't it? It's, it was a hologram. It's a projection head. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They never explain it beyond yeah, that. Yeah. It's just an evil energy gas that takes the shape of a face. Um, I do like that the Klingons are sticking to their tradition of killing God on sight. Right. Because they mention in one episode, Worf says, uh, Klingons have no gods. We slew them millennia ago because they were more trouble than they were worth. Ha, nice. That, that, nice. That, that tracks. Tidy, yeah. Um, also, perhaps the most romantic reunion for Kirk and Spock? At the end of this film, when they are reunited on the ship, uh, you know, as uh, Kirk often does, he softly says, Spock! And yeah. he goes to him, takes him in both arms... And it really looks like they're about to kiss. Right, right, And right. then, uh, and Spock's line is, please, Captain, not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah. Um, and the end of the film, because the ambassadors, including David Warner from Romulus, Klingon uh, Empire, and Federation are standing aboard a ship, and one of them says, never thought I'd be drinking with a Klingon, which nicely foreshadows the plot of the next film, That's right, where yeah. they make peace. Yep. So yep. Star Trek yep. V... A little bit goofy, but entertaining goofy. Definitely. So. Yeah. yeah. Definitely not one of the worst. Well, one of the le lesser ones, but yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. What have you got next? Number nine on my list is Star Trek The Motion Picture. Okay. All what, right. Not number nine on yours? Not number nine on mine. The subtitle I have right next to the motion picture is, I watched this only a few days ago, Boring But Beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, an astonishingly beautiful score. Uh, the visual effects um, are all really cool and imaginative and have this huge scope to them. Rather than try and compete with Star Wars, which had just come out, and mm. in some ways did give people at you know Paramount the confidence that, hey, space movies are in. Mm. The creative team said, rather than try and do Star Wars, which is an action-adventure, fast-moving, gung-ho, swashbuckler, let's try and do something headier. And I think really what they were going for was uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm. It's big, it's operatic, it's dealing in very existential ideas. Um, they really wanted it to be an event. Mm. And the score reflects that, you know, mm. those... Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith, yeah. those big ambitions, that great Klingon yep. score, which, by the way, do -do -do -do. did you catch uh, in the most recent episode of Picard? Yeah, I was they dropped that. that while, oh, fuck, man, did I love that. While Worf was uh, using his bat lift. As soon as Worf's face comes into shot, and they've, they've done it differently, like it was like... Um, Bom bom bom! Like they really like like used like I don't know their big tom tom big drums to do the Klingon score, and yep. it's like just like fuck, that's a hero moment. Yeah, that, that is what we watched Star Trek for. And uh, we can't forget, of course, this movie, the motion picture, gave us the theme that became Next Generation's right. theme, which yeah. is one of yeah. the best. Yeah, it gets yeah. me in a great. Still my favorite. I I love it. I hum yeah. it all the time. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, do you want to know where I put it? Sure, where did you put it on I next? put the Star Trek, the motion picture, at my... I don't even have to look it up. It's my number one. You're kidding it's me. It's my number one. But This surprises me. The reason is, the brief was, what do I want to watch? Like, what would I want to watch right. if I was going to watch a Star Trek movie? Uh-huh. And the thing about the motion picture is there's a couple of things. The big reason is that they just brought out uh, a 4K 
uh, ultra high definition version okay. of it. Mm-hmm. Right. This is not the first time this has happened. They, they, they also did that again in 2001, um, but they just used the old print. Right? Okay. So they just sort of remastered the old print because famously this movie was rushed. Um, the special effects were done by 2001 special effects uh, uh, master no um, uh, Douglas Trumbull. Also, John Dykstra, who had just been fired off of Star Wars, right? So, like, get two mammoths of, like, special effects pioneers. And they gave them seven months to complete the shots. Interesting. So it didn't get completed properly. The director, uh, Nicholas Myers, I think? Yes. Um, who had mostly done, like, film musicals. Right, okay. All right. Well, he felt that he was rushed, so he never, he never thought that it was uh, really the movie that he wanted to make. Mm. So... Just recently, they've re they've they've brought it out again. They've they've taken the the, um, the original camera negatives and they've rescanned them. So like it, it looks sharp. Yeah. They've they've regraded the color mm-hmm. so that it's not as cold. It okay. was never supposed to be that cold looking. The, yeah. the skin tones are now kind of coming out again. Interesting. Um, and apparently, it looks gorgeous. They've also redone the sound completely. Okay. Right. All all these elements that were rushed whatever it was 40 years ago you can definitely tell there are some shots that uh you can tell they put all of their focus on and it's a beautiful beautiful shot like i think of the uh when they're traveling inside viger this yep. great space entity there's basically what looks like a camera aperture like you would see at the beginning of james bond right you know those yep. curved blades that sort of come together to a point and it's like that but made of space and you're like this is um, this is a really beautiful this is just a beautiful visual effect. Yeah. But then there are others. Someone pointed out there's one shot where um, the Enterprise has landed on the surface. And there's one shot where you're seeing like a, uh, a side view of the landed Enterprise, the saucer right. section. And it looks really flat. Very bad. Right. There are a couple of matte paintings on Vulcan, which are, you know, creative and interesting, but really obviously stand out as matte paintings. I said, uh, yes, Vulcan as seen in Heavy Metal magazine. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it does, isn't it? Um, but also, all that's been redone. Okay. Um, and I'm very excited to see that. I'm excited to see that too. However, I recently watched it, probably not that version, and definitely not in 4K. I'm guessing the version you would have watched would have been the 2001, uh, which was also called Director's Edition. Sure. I don't know why they gave both versions the same name, but anyway. The the reason that it's not higher on my list is because... Uh, what it is is a long episode of the original series like the acting the the story that goes on the melodrama between uh, an alien entity and a crew member who we never see again i was like all of that happened in many episodes of the original series the fact that it's this mysterious thing that they don't know and the reveal that uh viger this mysterious entity who's taken over the body of one of the crewmen and is demanding uh it needs to know where it came from, and it's demanding them to go to this place. And when they finally discover what's at the center of it, it's the Voyager probe That's right. sent from Earth. Yeah. And they surmise it went to this planet that uh, Viger mentions of living, thinking machines, and they gave it thought. And now that it's acquired all the information it can, it needs to return to its creator. And it doesn't realize that the carbon-based units, that is what they call humans, are the creator. Yeah. I'm like, hey, that's a nice idea. But much like the original series, you've stretched it over way too long. Right. I think of the original series episode with, I've mentioned it before, the two beings who are half black, half white. Yeah. 
and their bigotry is based on their hate for each other is based on one is black on the left one is black on the right yeah that's all and i was like that's a nice idea this does not fill 50 minutes sure, of television. Sure. And by the same token, I don't think this fills the two hours. Yeah. So much of this movie is just them standing on the bridge and looking out at space. And the space is beautiful, but we're talking about movies and I need more from a movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think the pacing's been fixed a little. I've, I've read reviews where they said that is one of the things that they fixed. Right. Um, also, you see there's early sort of Riker-Troy stuff with, um, I think his name's Deckard. Sure. And... and um, you remember the name of the alien? Oh, um, Alia or something. Alia is that is that her name? Yep. Anyway, they were originally supposed to be. They were going to reboot Star Trek as a TV show. Right. And that's when they started writing. It was called Star Trek Phase Two. Phase Two. That's what it was. And they started writing the the Riker um, or the Deckard Alia story. Mm-hmm. And when you see them meet on the bridge, right, and then you cut to encounter at Farpoint and you see Riker and Troy meeting on the bridge it's the same scene I can see that yeah right? like like the, the, these kind of ex-lovers kind of being a bit awkward still have feelings and all <laughs> this sort of thing so yeah it's nice to see um, sort of like little shades of next gen coming in there but you're right it, it it's yeah, the movie definitely has pacing problems. It's it's very slow. There's even a scene in an already slow film. There's a scene where they go through a time warp and time slows down. Yeah, yeah. And they're talking like this. Yeah. I'm like, you, you're going to put me to sleep. This is yeah. interminable. Yeah. Um, I, I will say the one scene that I think everyone complains is too slow, but I actually think is a really lovely scene is the scene where the shuttle is bringing Captain Kirk to the refitted Enterprise. Right. Now yes. it's... yes. It's long. It's got this big, beautiful, triumphant score. Um, what I like about it is you actually feel like you are traveling via shuttle to meet the Enterprise because you see the space brackets holding the ship and you're traveling closer. Then you're going alongside it and you're just getting glimpses of it through the brackets. Then the ship has to do an about face and turn around. Or the shuttle has to mm. turn around. Then big grand splash of the score as we see the enterprise from the front then it travels alongside it and you're seeing all the different parts turns around again and docks in the uh place that receives shuttles and i'm like hey you should put a fine point on this because you know uh the people who haven't seen these uh characters since the show went off the air were just as excited to see the enterprise and Mm. finally see it with movie level special effects you know it's not just an obvious little prop hanging in front of a blue screen it's wow i really feel like i'm going on board the enterprise yeah so i think that's a great it's a great scene and it's it's one of the reasons i want to rewatch this movie because i really want to see it done with the sort of the special effects that was the original intention yeah yeah that 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 scene and it's also seen that they've like you know they've mirrored time and time again I think yes. I, in fact I think in the latest uh, season of Picard they sort of did a remake of that yes that scene and, um, and they get faster every time yeah I know right which is kind of sucks because the whole point of it is in that scene you, like it ke- keeps cutting back to um, Kirk and Scotty. Scotty and Kirk is just looking out the window like just taking it all in and Scotty is looking at Kirk yeah because yeah, yeah. Scotty's already seen it mm-hmm. but he's not saying anything He's shutting the fuck up yeah. and just letting Kirk enjoy this moment. And when it's done, he just turns and goes, thank you, Mr. Scott. And yeah. Scott just goes, aye. You know, and it's just like, you know, I know. It's beautiful. It's a very nice scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like, yeah, it's, it's nice that they took the time in the movie to do it as well. There's a scene of um, a transporter accident before they leave. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because Kirk is saying... Um, we have to leave right away because we've received a distress signal. And again, this is one where the 
it's in space dock. It's where they build all the ships, center of the Federation. They say, we have to go and deal with this when this ship hasn't had a shakedown. Yeah, sure. Which is crazy and silly and uh, doesn't never makes much sense to me. It's a, it's a little bug yeah, there. Yeah, you sometimes get the feeling there's five ships in the Federation. I know. Right? <laughs> which I'm okay with un- until they do the end of season of Picard season one when they show that they've got thousands and they of can all just warp in whenever they need whenever, to whenever yeah like, exactly um, and um as i i couldn't quite work out the point of this scene there's a transporter accident yeah they're trying to beam someone back t- uh to uh, federation headquarters from the ship and something goes wrong and you just hear this horrifying scream yeah kirk calls them and he says uh, are they alive and he says mm, what we got back didn't live long yeah right and you just assume oh their bodies didn't come back the right way and I'm like, oh, so that's quite frightening. That's a yeah, weird scene. That can uh, happen. Is that to set up that the ship isn't ready to leave Maybe, and so there's yeah. danger? Yeah, probably. But as soon as they leave space dock, uh, Sulu says, uh, transporters are now operational and acting fine, sir. I'm like, what was that what about? What was about, yeah. Was it something to do with getting McCoy on the ship? Because McCoy doesn't like to transport? No, later in the movie, he just beams aboard in his disco oh, suit and his beard. he's away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not my favorite. Um, oh, I have one other... Just, just an interesting little note. Uh, they never, they hardly ever have seat belts in Star Trek. Okay, yeah. Now the ships have what they call inertial dampeners, so that when they're traveling, when they go fast, all the people standing in the ship don't just go ah and fly yeah. to the back of the room. Uh, it calculates how fast they're going and accounts for that. Yeah. Um, in Star Trek, I think it's Into Darkness. It's one of the JJ reboot films. Um, there are these mechanical um, seat, seat belts that sort of come down over Spock's chest. Mm. So it's interesting to see seat belts, period. They, that did remind me just a little too much of like the way that Marvel films now have costumes and capes that just disappear and reappear at will. Yeah, yeah, it's a little yeah, too clean. Nanotech. In this film, the motion picture, what I really liked is the, uh, the, the arms of the seat fold down to be like leg clamps yeah. as sort of a form of seatbelt. Yeah. I don't know how practical that would be. Maybe you get your lips, your legs ripped I know, off. right? But interesting, interesting touch. Yeah, yeah. Um, they bring back Je- uh, uh, Janice Rand, yeah. who was not treated very nicely on set and was uh, dismissed from the show. Admittedly, the show had a lot of characters anyway that they weren't doing anything sure. with. So they let her go, but people think... I. People have surmised that Roddenberry let her go because... I've he heard was, her account of it. He, he, They were having an affair and he wanted to end it. I don't know that they were having an affair and he wanted to end it. I think that um, what, what, what she said is that an executive, right, didn't name okay. him, but it, it seemed like it was Gene Roddenberry, uh, made a pass at her, uh, locked the door, um, and, and when she wasn't them, um, she was like, no, 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 no. Not willing. He's a professional. Um, he... Flew into a rage. Right. And um, then she got fired. Well, all I can say right. is... So I'm that's glad, her side of the I'm story. glad she got to tell her story, yeah. and I'm glad that, uh, you know, things are changing now. I think what happened with her was she um, she got embraced by the um, Trekkies. The in, yeah, the fandom in, in conventions, and it gave her uh, a platform to tell her story. Sure. And, and you know, Trekkies were like, well, that's not what we stand for. I just um, finished we, reading we want her back. a really good book called, uh, it, it's a title that grabs you, I'm Glad My Mom Died. I know it, yeah, yeah. About yeah, uh, yeah. Jeanette McCurdy, who yes. was a star of a Nickelodeon uh, sitcom. Yeah, iCarly. Yeah, yeah I, I've never I seen these shows. Me neither. But it was, a, it was really quite a heartbreaker just hearing what it's like having a real hawkish stage mom who is living her dreams through you, yeah. being put through the grinder of being a public figure and a celebrity when you never wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, and people 
treating you badly and trying to take advantage of you. Really, really difficult stuff. Yeah, so right. I'm personally, I'm glad that the Me Too movement uh, has happened. Yeah. And people are now... that we, we I think we take the posture of, let's try believing the victim first before we dismiss them right, out of yeah, hand. Whereas yeah. in the 70s, you know, with Gene Roddenberry being a creep, they yeah. would have just gone... He's the man in charge. We listen yeah, to what, what he says. Yeah. yeah, what can yeah. we do? We can't yeah. do anything. So yeah. glad that's changed. Any yeah. final thoughts on Star Trek, the motion picture? No, that, that that's it. Just want to see it. I heard it's beautiful. I heard it sounds great. I want to see it. Fair enough. Yeah. Now let's be, let's get back to our list. This is exciting because we're getting down to like, for me, and I imagine you as well, the dregs. Yeah. We're up to number 10 on my list. Okay. Um, what I have is Star Trek Generations. That's yours? No. I had uh, Generations as my number nine. Okay. Right. So we've just flipped, uh, I think, 2009. I have to say it still bothers me that they just called the movie Star Trek. Right. I hate it when um, a film series gets a reboot, a new entry, and they just name it after the franchise. Yeah. Because then evermore, you have to go to the disambiguation page on the Wikipedia. Do you mean Star Trek, the franchise, Star Trek, the original show, which was called Star Trek, or the 2009 film? So now we all just call it 2009 Star Trek. That's right. And like, just give it a little subtitle. Yeah. Star Trek Reborn. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I know. There's, There's lots of sort of like... Like sort of tropey names like that they use, like Star Trek Legacy or whatever. Yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. Don't, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to go into other movies that like like Scream really annoyed me. Because oh, right. It was like Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4, Scream, Scream 6. Yeah, you come know? on now. Like the, the only one that's worse is the Fast and the Furious franchise. Okay, yeah. Which is uh, like... Hey, at least they know. get creative with their like their their subtitles. Like um, Fate of the Furious with the eight, yeah, and then Fast Nine, and then I think the next one's just uh, Fast X because it's right. ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're having fun. Scream. It's like they were embarrassed that they were doing a fifth one, and they yeah. didn't want people to know. They're like, let's just call it Scream. Just come on, yeah. You're Scream V. I know, right? I think it. giving up on the V is like that was that was a bad idea because Scream VI. They've they've turned the M at the end of Scream into a VI for Scream go. Six, and I'm like, yeah, that works. And V, this is weird, but like V is like a sharp letter. It just seems mm. like appropriate for exactly. the franchise. Yeah. yeah. So Star Trek Generations, right? Star Trek Generations. Uh, this is uh, probably most famous because it's the movie where Jean-Luc Picard and Captain Kirk meet. Finally. Finally. Yeah. Um, now it begins with Captain Kirk uh, doing a tour of the of the bridge of the new Enterprise. Uh, I believe it. Yeah, it's the Enterprise B. Is it the Enterprise B? I think it is. I thought. Now let me work this out in my mind. So the the original Enterprise is the one we see in the TV series. Yeah. It gets refitted in the motion picture. That's yeah. Enterprise A. A. Yeah. It goes down in Star Trek Three. Ah, yeah. Then yeah. in Star Trek Four, they're building it. They've rebuilt Actually, it. I wonder when it gets refitted. I'm not sure if it is the A. We. I could always we, be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, they're touring A Enterprise. Yeah. And uh, they've got the captain is the guy from uh, Ferris Bueller's yeah, Day yeah, Off. Yeah, it's Cameron Fry. Which is actually yeah. very good casting because he said, like, I never saw myself. If I was going to be in a Star Trek thing, I'd be a red shirt. So having me as the captain is the perfect, like, oh, Captain Kirk, we need you to step in. This guy's not right. ready. Yeah. Though, again, it's the trope of this ship has just been built. Uh, it's obviously in the dry dock. Not everything's ready. There are, like, press aboard the ship, like... Uh, 
interviewing people. And Roger Ebert pointed this out in his review. He's like, I would hope that in like 200 years, they would have better, they would have a much better way of lighting people because what they have is the, uh, the press have like little hats with a light shooting directly out of it. And it's just really awkwardly, it's like they're shining five torches at his face that are moving around. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, Scotty and Chekhov are also there yeah. to collect a nice paycheck yeah. for doing a cameo. That's right. Um, and yes, uh, Captain Kirk, oh, distress signal, we need someone to take over, it's gotta be you, you're the only ship in the fleet. It's like, yeah, it's the only ship in the in the universe, yeah, yeah, according yeah. to these films. Yeah. And what they find is uh, a big wave of cloud-like energy, and uh, the he, Nexus. The Nexus. He runs down to one of the floors to do something, to, you know, he has to go down and fix this thing. Yeah, it has to be him. Has to be him, and... Uh, that that part of the ship, uh, the hull is compromised, and uh, as far as anyone can tell, he's been sucked out into yeah, space. And yeah, the hull, the, the, the Nexus hits the ship, the whole side of the ship gets torn off, um, and then what happens in, in Star Trek, if the side of your ship gets torn off, like a shield almost immediately goes up, mm-hmm. but there is a, there's a, a, a moment between a shield going up, uh, uh, so there is like the vacuum of space there, and anything in the room will just get blown straight out. Yeah, and um, I know and that Captain like, Kirk got blown out. Yeah, and the shields I know can like move around. Like if they're under attack, they'll say uh, shields to the to to the forward hull or whatever. Yes, you yeah. know, wherever they need to concentrate the shields, that's where they need to go. Yeah. So maybe they weren't there in time. Yeah, that's it. They, well, anyway, what happens is um, um, Scotty. Uh, goes down, sees the big hole on the side of the ship, and who was down here? It was Jim. Yeah. And he's gone. And then we flash forward the to death the... death of Jim Kirk. The apparent death of Jim yeah. Kirk. Yeah. Um, quite unceremonious. But none of us believed it. Like when of you're, course. Like, like, like uh, I saw it when it came out, so, so... I never saw the trailers or anything, but surely they were selling this movie as, it's Kirk and Picard together it, at well, last. Well, we'd seen pictures of Kirk and Picard together, so yeah. when... when fake death happens, you just kind of go, oh, well, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um... So we flash forward to uh, 100 it, years, 100 years well, in the future, give or take, maybe however 80. long yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. to the time of the next generation. Yeah. And uh, kind of fun. They're doing like a holodeck simulation. Most of the time when they do holodeck uh, simulations on the show, it is your classic uh, Paramount backlot set. Yeah. Like, oh, we're doing Sherlock Holmes. Here's our Victorian London uh, set. And I thought, you know, that's a much more elegant way to employ those backs backdrops rather than we're going to a planet where they once read a book about uh, <laughs> yeah. Victorian London and decided that's what we're all about. Um, but for the movie, they decided to go a little bigger and they are actually aboard a uh, an old sailing ship. Yeah. And it's cool. It's an outdoor environment. It's not something they could have done on the TV show. Yeah. Very fun. It's called Enterprise. They, it's called Enterprise. Very cute. And they're doing this as part of a ceremony to... Uh, Lieutenant uh, Worf is, Lu- is being upgraded to Lieutenant Commander. He's getting he's getting a promotion. I will say I thought it was a little, a little bit uncomfortable that, like, they bring him out of the brig in, like what look like chains and sort of slave garb. Yeah, in a like, galleon. This is yeah. this is one of your few black characters on the show. Yeah, I don't know yeah. about this. I, I, but Jordy's there. He says it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um it's kind of like a it's just a little game they're playing. Yeah. Like they're like they're like, you are accused of being an excellent officer. <laughs> um, so he gets promoted. Uh he's made to walk the plank. Mm. And then Riker says, uh computer Remove the plank. And he falls in in a big, hilarious slow motion shot. And he goes, I think you meant retract plank. Um, you get to see uh, Warren angrily, uh, Dorf 
what am I saying? Warnendorf? <laughs> Michael Doran's wharf. That's right. That's right. Thrashing angrily around in the water. There's a Did, lovely bit with Data. Doesn't understand uh, the point of this prank. And they, well, everybody's laughing. Everybody's laughing because someone fell in the water. And he's like, ah, I understand that. So he just pushes Beverly into the water. That's right. And she's pissed. Yeah. This facilitates one of the worst subplots uh, in a Star Trek film. Because he is embarrassed that he pushed Beverly in the water and she's mad. Which, by the way, there's no scene afterwards where she's, you know, treating him angrily, huffy with him. And he doesn't understand, oh, I've really upset my friend. Because he pushed her in the water and was told, not funny, Data, he decides, I am finally putting in the emotion chip. Right, right, Uh, right. In season seven, I believe, he discovers an emotion chip that his creator built specifically for him. Yeah. But in the TV show, it makes the much more artful choice, I think, of like, someday... I'm not ready for it yet. Yeah. And then I just thought that the uh, the the inciting incident that makes him decide to finally pull the trigger on this was a little arbitrary. Right. Shouldn't right. it have been something more emotional? So, shouldn't it have been something like that he really couldn't understand other than just, my friends kind of miffed at me because I pushed them in the pool. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It does seem a little, um, yeah, he's been a bit, uh, I don't know, fickle. Yeah, so um, it flimsy, flimsy already. But then as soon as he puts it in, uh, they let Brent Spiner... Uh, his comedy stylings out of the bag and boy oh boy do i not like that yeah (laughs) he's so annoying data not funny (laughs) no really he's never funny in this movie um he's oh god he's doing horrible little voices he's laughing at every terrible joke he makes it's so unpleasant he's like um at one point i remember he says like i guess you could say i have a magnetic personality (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right i hate this guy yeah here's the thing i don't understand is data has been like this like soft-spoken quiet sort of innocent childlike character throughout the whole series and then the second he gets emotions he stops acting like himself at all he's not just data but now he experiences feelings he's this horrible stand-up comedian yeah he's like oh it's i don't think they're doing a parody but it's like a parody of an annoying uh unnecessary comic relief in a movie absolutely uh it's really really unpleasant um there's a scene where uh his um his emotions chip malfunctions and it's truly one of the most hideous shots in a movie i've ever seen first of all it's a close-up of brent spiner's face which is bad enough (laughs) he's laughing and grinning at one of his stupid jokes Everything in this movie, for some reason, has this, like, yellow filter over it. Yeah. It's real gross. And then something goes wrong with the chip, and, like, the veins in his forehead start bulging, and he's grimacing, and he falls over flat. Horrible shot. Uh, just awful to look at. And uh, we learn that the emotion chip has been fused to his positronic brain, and he can't remove it now. Yeah. There's a bit of drama with him and uh, Picard, where he says, I don't want these emotions! And Picard tells him, oh, we all have to learn how to integrate emotions into our lives pretty simple and um i did think it was pretty funny that uh he instantly requests to be deactivated once his emotions get the better right, of him right. he's basically saying like you know what i experienced one bad emotion i want to die yeah and when the uh the duras sisters who are sort of the b villains they're like the heavies for the actual bad guy yeah. when they show up um he instantly volunteers to be uh the hostage to beam over to get Jordy back who've been who's been kidnapped by them and again i just quietly laughed i was like this guy really wants to die he's sick of these emotions already (laughs) (laughs) and it wraps up in a completely uh uninteresting way where he just goes i have decided not to let my emotions run me 
And like, it's like you've read a screenwriting book. It says at the end of a movie, a character has a problem. They learn a lesson and they resolve it. But like, he never, he never learns anything. Yeah, there's no reason. Picard just tells him, you've got to learn how to integrate these into our lives. And then at the end of the movie, he goes, okay, done. Yeah, yeah. Real and, bad. And by the next movie, they've kind of, I think they've backtracked a little in that they say he can switch it off. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, they, they sort of walk that back more and more with each movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I do not like the B plot. Yeah. Just bad, unpleasant. Yeah. Never should have. Well, done it. I have a theory anyway. This is like my head cannon, my fan head cannon. Um, in the series, um, Data made a daughter. Right, yes, um, Lal. Lal. And um, Lal's positronic network failed because Lal started to create emotions and start to feel emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she shut down and malfunctioned. And and so, in in in, in fact, she, it's kind of like she died. But Data said he took everything she was and saved her onto him. Mm-hmm. And I just think that would have been an exquisite way for data to start developing emotions if right. that's what they wanted to do sure at that point this sort of idea of a malfunctioning chip was, yeah uh, and and also um people have pointed out um you know data is often seen as like um many people have uh sort of headcanoned him as being like uh an allegory for people on the autism spectrum yeah someone who doesn't experience emotions in the exact same way and sometimes has trouble uh immediately understanding social cues but the thing is throughout the series he does experience emotion like when he says like i will miss the stimuli of interacting with you you know what i mean it's like you're saying you're going to miss that person right yeah yeah and he met he has friendships he has relationships i think he says that to geordie right Uh, you know what i'm just thinking off the top of my head what would have been more interesting is if he puts the emotion chip chips in and nothing really changes like he discovers actually you know, it's like Pinocchio. You had it inside they you were all there. along. Yeah, exactly. Because he is supposed to be Pinocchio, isn't he? Yeah. The, the, he wants to be a real boy. Yeah. Anyway. So, very, very annoying. The yeah. the, the gist of the main plot is uh, this guy, Sauron. Yeah. Takes a lot of effort for me not to say Sauron. Right. Sauron. Yes, yes Sauron. He's um, also an Elorian, which is the same okay. species, humanoid species, look exactly like humans, that uh, Guinan is. That's Guinan, right. played by Whoopi Goldberg, the psychic bartender, who I put in my notes that... Her vaguely defined powers are mostly shown through um, meaningful looks. Yeah, <laughs> like that's mostly what she does. Or sometimes putting her hands up like claws. To have a little well, yeah, if she was to take on cue. Yeah, <laughs> what was she gonna do? We never find out. No, and um, he his whole thing again a bit like Cybok, like you know, not the most interesting villain in execution, but on paper kind of neat. First of all, who played him? Oh, you, that's um, and Andy Ma- Roddy McDowell. Is it no, no Malcolm McDowell? Yes, Malcolm yeah, McDowell. Yeah, Roddy it, yeah. McDowell is his brother, who's in. Uh, oh, okay. Who's in? Um, oh, what's it called? What's the vampire movie? I keep Fright wanting Night. to say Night Eyes. Fright Night. Fright Night. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, yes. yes. Malcolm so, McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. So he's great. Like the, the, you get Malcolm McDowell to be a villain. He's fun. The thing about Malcolm McDowell is, if he pops up in any movie. I'm like, this is going to be just okay. Right, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Nothing to do with him, <laughs> but like, he just has a pattern. Well, that's the thing. He, he's, a B ma- he's a B-movie actor, you know what I mean? Sure. And it's, you know, I mean, let's face it, Star Trek is just a B-movie that just got a budget. Yes. Um, so it's kind of nice that they bring in sort of B-actors like that. Um, sure. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's good. His thing is that he wants to get back to the Nexus, which is this cloud of space stuff moving through the universe. And if you get sucked into the Nexus, you experience timelessness and total joy. Mm. You experience whatever your happiest memories are. You experience that. Whatever you want, 
you can have it. And yeah, it's pretty much utopia. It's utopia. Just flying around in space. And he doesn't want to leave, which is interesting because it's not just revenge. He doesn't want to kill someone. He's like, I just will do anything, uh, you know, even criminal things to get back mm. to this happiness. Where it begins to fall apart is in the final act where he is going, he has a weapon that will destroy a star and it does this in about 10 seconds. Again, this is Star Trek foregoing the science uh, yeah. groundedness that it was known for yeah. and just going, ah, whatever needs to happen in a movie. If you launch a rocket from a planet yeah. to the sun. That's going to take a few days. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Instead, it takes about 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And somehow turning off the sun is going to affect gravity and cause the Nexus to change course and come down I guess, into the atmosphere of this planet and pick him up. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy that he's standing on a mountain on this planet that happens to look like Southern California, and it's going to pick him up from that exact spot. Yeah. It's too... Also, it's so convoluted. Like, blow up a sun to make the Nexus move so that it comes into the path of the planet you're standing on. How about you take a spaceship, fly it into the path of the Nexus, done! Steal one shuttle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're not going to... If he, if he knows anything about Starfleet, they're not going to instantly decide, okay, we're going to destroy a shuttle because someone stole it. If there's someone in it, they're going to try and bring them back. But if you get away, then they'll be like, oh. Yeah, but also he's like like really ancient the way Guinan is. So surely he's like earned some money over the course of his long life that he can just buy a spaceship, you know? Yeah. Or even in Star Trek world, where they're in the Federation where there is no money, just go and take one. Yeah. They're free. People steal shuttles all the time yeah. on the TV show, right. I, feel I know, like. right? Yeah. It's not a great plot. No. Um, but what happened, it does, the Nexus is the way that they're able to explain Jim Kirk coming into uh, this century and meeting yeah. Jean-Luc Picard. Because Jean as it turns out, he wasn't He wasn't into sucked space. into space or blown out into space. He was sucked into the Nexus. Yes. And he's in there. And uh, Jean-Luc Picard trying to stop Soren on this planet uh, gets sucked in himself. And at first he experiences like uh, quite an eerie, it made me think of the way it's shot. It's very like, it's it's a Christmas scene and he's imagining the family that he never had. Yeah. It, it, it looks like um, Eyes Wide Shut. Right. There's something very sinister about this Christmas. Um, and then it, it's sort of like a dream where it can flash through different scenes. You know, one minute you're in this Christmas home, next minute you're outside somewhere else. Yeah. And he runs into uh, Captain Kirk, who is reliving his dream of um, he never got married and he is disappointed by that fact. And so that he... He's in the home where, in his real life, he told his girlfriend, I'm going back to Starfleet. That's right. Uh, and this From his point of view as well, he has just arrived in the Nexus. Yes. Even though it was 100 years ago for, for from our point of view, mm -hmm. like, for him, everybody, like, or he was supposed to arrive in the Nexus at the same time, you know, so he's just got there. Yeah. Time is weird and dilates differently. Yeah. Uh, and he's, this time I'm going to tell that girl I'm going to marry That's her. That's right. There's a girl upstairs. He's making eggs. Yes. And you know what I was thinking about is... They say some name. It's like Rebecca or something. Okay. Uh, and I said, hey, why wouldn't it have been Dr. Carol Marcus? All oh, right. Because she was a long-time relationship. Things ended badly. She was the mother of his child who was killed. Surely that would be the relationship. He's like, I want to do this differently and I yeah. want to raise my son. And you never see the girl. Like no. when they walk upstairs, suddenly they're somewhere else in the dream world. So why not just name drop Carol Marcus? Yeah, I know, right? Seemed it's odd. One of those things where you kind of feel that they don't watch their own stuff yes like the writers and, and like i don't get it i'm like if you're an audience member and they say carol instead of rebecca what who cares no, yeah. it doesn't matter yeah yeah we have to talk about uh the uh jean-luc picard shaped elephant in the room right which is this is where they really began to change 
who he is. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's something that actually frustrates me a lot. Um, we're going to talk probably in the next generation segment a little bit about the episode Best of Both Worlds. But on par with that episode for me is the episode that comes immediately after. They've had this big harrowing experience and they all have some shore leave and they need to repair the ship. Uh, Worf has his human parents come aboard. Uh, which is a great insight into his character because you find out he was raised by humans, this lovely old Russian couple, and he had big trouble fitting in at school because he was a Klingon, and he acts really differently than other Klingons. He's very stoic, mm. whereas Klingons are typically quite, like, hearty and passionate. Mm. And, they're, they're, they're space pirates. They're space kind, pirates. Yeah. So it's, it's a fascinating uh, little character study for him. But even better is Jean-Luc Picard goes home to the uh, Picard vineyard and we meet his brother, uh, René, yeah. who is like a real cantankerous old guy who runs the vineyard, maintains the family home, and he's quite bitter. He's bitter that his brother has gone on, has left home, left the family business to him to take care of, um, and is, you know, loved and lauded by everybody. And there's a lot of tension between them. And he has a son. Um, I made a mistake. Okay. His brother is Robert. Robert and right. his nephew is René. And René is very taken with Picard and kind of has his eyes set on joining Starfleet and exploring the galaxy, which Robert is against. Yeah. Um, a, a really just great, really well-written family drama sort of episode. I really came to like those characters. And it just added a bit more insight into who Picard is, getting to see what his family is like back on Earth. Um, and the episode ends, people point out, with uh, Rene look, sort of looking up at the stars and thinking, you know, about his future, perhaps. Come to start this movie. Mm. Uh, they know they're going to do a series of films with the TNG crew. And they go, okay, we want the bond to be closer between Picard and his crew because he's always kept them at arm's length. He's a very, you know, sort of a distant captain. Mm. You know, genial and likes everybody, but mm. he keeps his distance. Yeah, yeah. For this one, we want them to be a family. How can we do that? Well, maybe we need to kill off his family. And what we learn, uh, as written in the script, is uh, they burn to death in a fire. That's right, yeah. And I'm still taken aback by this. I'm like, you... You gave them the most horrifying death imaginable. Yeah. This, you know, cantankerous but sweet brother of uh, Jean-Luc Picard and his lovely young nephew who had so much ahead of him. And you burned them to death. Yeah. What the, what the hell? Yeah. And it was here's, hardcore. Here's what else I was thinking. Where mankind is in the future. Obviously, like, we've all decided, hey, human life is worth something. It has an inherent value. We want to make sure everyone has a place to live. Everyone has enough food to eat. You would also think that safety, particularly fire safety, would be of paramount importance. And with the technology they have, would be 200 years better. Absolutely. So look, I'm not saying that an accidental fire can't start, right? But surely the fire suppression systems are much, much better. I just don't understand. They have force shield technology. Yeah. Right. Surely every house should have a force shield installed, which we know that they do, um, because it comes up in later ones. Right, you put up a force shield around a fire, it runs out of oxygen, it's gone. Yeah. What's the problem? I don't understand. I don't know why it had to be such a grisly death for this family. Um, you know, wouldn't it have been just as simple to just, you know, crib from Superman and go, oh, Robert passed away. He, yeah. he had a heart attack or something. Sure. You know, he was yeah. a laborer. He was quite old. And you don't, and you just, you, you just kill him off. We don't need to see, I have no illusions that they were going to bring, uh, Rene into it. Yeah. But just say, your brother passed away, that gets him thinking about the connections in his life. I, I hate it. I hate that they burned to death. Yeah. It's, it's wrong. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. I agree. It's, it's bad. Um, I will say, 
in fairness, uh, Patrick Stewart does deliver. He, he plays that scene really well. Yeah. Like you really feel that this man who has often kept quite a brave face in front of his crew member is really breaking down in private, talking mm. to Counselor Troy about his family and how sad he is to have lost them. And I bet Patrick Stewart loved that opportunity as well. To sure. Flex those muscles. Absolutely. Get to play a bit more emotion. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're trying to begin to maneuver Picard to be closer to the crew. And I just thought that was awkward and forced. Yeah. Um, and also, you'll start to notice in the TNG movies that they also start pairing up Picard and Data a lot more. It becomes the Data-Picard show. Like- because, obviously, what they're thinking is uh, the captain and his logical, dry, uh, you know, friend on the ship, uh, that's Kirk and Spock. Yeah. That worked well in the movies with um, with the, TN- with the uh, TOS crew, so we're just going to replicate that. And again, it just doesn't feel natural. Suddenly, Data is his best friend, his confidant. You know, you know that uh, Picard had a number one. Mm. The reason that that relationship between Kirk and Spock worked is because that's what the show was about. That's right. It's not what TNG was about. That's right. They're just yeah. suddenly positioning him to be buddy buddy with Picard, and I don't think it works. Yeah. Now, uh, thinking about the um, the uh, Kirk and Picard thing, everyone agrees that it was a letdown. Yeah, I, I, I've I've summarized as what happens between them together is uh, Kirk and Picard meet in the Nexus. Uh, they make breakfast. Mm. Uh, then they ride on horses and each do one jump. Wow. Then they decide to leave the Nexus and wrestle a guy on a rickety bridge. And then Kirk dies. Yeah. Suffice to say, it's this not for real. It's not exactly what fans had been dreaming of. No. Pretty unexciting. No. Now, I was looking at the production history of this film and apparently... Um, one idea that was floated, but they just couldn't figure out how to make it work, was Kirk versus Picard. All right. Which is so much better. Yeah. Right? Um, the art of taking a TV show and adapting it for the big screen is um, its an interesting challenge. One thing that you often see uh, TV shows do is they pull the cord on something that they would never do in a regular episode. A very simple example is like... Um, SpongeBob SquarePants. Plankton's always trying to get that Krabby Patty formula. What if in the movie he finally does That's it? That's right. It's, yeah. you know, a, a good way to get butts in seats. Yeah. Um, another thing that you can do is use the movie as a way to sort of address or answer some sort of meta commentary, some criticism of the show through the movie. One of my favorite examples is uh, uh, the Batman film that they did, uh, Return of the Joker. That film is a bit like TNG, set in the future uh bruce wayne is now retired as batman uh and he's uh got this new kid terry mcginnis as the new batman he's given him a new super suit it's got all this technology stuff you know but the fans obviously for many fans just couldn't get over the hurdle that's not batman if it's not bruce wayne it's not batman so in this film uh they have uh the joker has mysteriously returned they're like how can he be back he shouldn't be alive they pull the cord on a big thing they'd never do in the show uh, spoilers, by the way, for Return of the Joker, he learns who Bruce Wayne is, and he shows up in the Batcave, and uh, Joker gasses him. So you're like, wow, we'd never see that in an episode of Batman the Animated Series. They also use it as an excuse to address that thing. You know, is Terry McGinnis the real Batman or not? The Joker is saying, you're not Batman. I have no interest in Terry McGinnis. Right. My rivalry is with Batman, the real Batman. So I'm thinking that a big thing for fans of TOS when TNG came along was, you know, that's not my captain. You know, Kirk is my captain. 
who's this bald guy? There, there were like bumper stickers and things you'd see at fan conventions. Be like, forget the bald guy. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. People were not happy. Oh, we, on, at conventions back in the nineties, we'd have fights in the car park about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think um, having a Kirk vs Picard movie is like a really good natural move and exciting. You know, <sighs> have you got an idea? I sort of have an okay. idea. It's not as detailed as my first contact ones. We won't be here all day. But uh, what I'm thinking is, you know who loves to uh, test Picard and loves to sort of, you know, challenge him? Q. Q, yeah. Q never shows up in any of the movies. Ah, right. That And he's like a godlike being, a trickster god who's obsessed with Picard. And I think in-universe, everyone does sort of look back at Picard as sort of this lion-hearted hero of the Federation. He's a important figure. So... It really seems like a simple cinch to me to have Q go, oh, you think you're the greatest captain of this generation? You're going to fight the captain of the last generation. I haven't quite worked out the hows and whys, though it would certainly work like a Marvel comic. Every Marvel comic is you have two characters that people want to see fight. The first battle goes to one character. Second battle goes to another. Third battle, they team up and they fight Q. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not complicated. Yeah, that could have been great. But I think it would have been much more satisfying than what we got. It actually would have been really nice to have... Kirk on his Enterprise with his crew, Picard on his Enterprise with his crew. Neither know which is which. It's like the kind of the um, the submarine episodes that they do. Like mm. they, there's Q has done some kind of trick so that they think they're fighting like like Kirk thinks he's fighting Klingons. Or sure, whatever. I don't know. You you know could, there's a lot of things you could yeah. do. Yeah, and but um, it would because the problem with Generations was that the the original crew really weren't in it. Yeah, and I get that. You know, they didn't want everyone to come back and maybe not everyone uh was you know in the best of health yeah and I, they, they had the nice sign off in part six I a suppose. really nice sign off so i get it they didn't yeah. all want to come back so if your movie's just going to be kirk and picard they fight each other yeah. though i will say i did feel for whoopi goldberg who said she showed up on set and said where's nichelle nichols and they said oh i'm sorry uh, she's not yeah. in this movie and isn't that a waste like oh, like it's you're, shocking you're too yeah. Important historic black figures yeah. uh, on TV, and we never got a scene of them together. Yeah. Not once. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's especially crazy. because like that's the reason Whoopi Goldberg did Star Trek. Yes, because right. she was Oscar-winning. Whoopi Goldberg decided to join the crew of the TV show mm-hmm. Star Trek, which Oscar actors didn't do back then. Yeah, because of Nichelle Nichols. Mm-hmm. It's just it's screaming out, get these two together. And the thing is, DeForest Kelly did a um a cameo at the beginning of next generation basically handing almost handing over the keys to them mm. and so you can say look medical technology is good uhura is still alive of course she's just older yeah easy yep. absolutely so a bit of a disappointment and we should also mention that at the end of this movie they crash the enterprise d yeah because they wanted to redo uh they wanted to build a new ship specifically for the movie yeah they sort of said that the original the enterprise d the one that we know uh, didn't look good on the cinema format. Sure. Which I don't believe. Me neither. Right, because it's it's kind of a it's a wide ship. It, in fact, if you asked me, it would probably look the best yeah. of any of the Enterprises. And on, uh, it's on, one on of my... Resolution. It's certainly my favourite. I was disappointed they killed it off immediately. Um, again, you see what I'm saying about, like, after Star Trek Three, they're like, oh, a great way to get people excited is to destroy a ship. And they do it in the first movie. Mm. After seven seasons, it felt disappointing to me. I also noticed that they were filming it differently. Lighting is a thing I've become really like, it's become a little picadillo for me. Like, I miss TV lighting that is nice and bright and even throughout. Like, every TV show now is filmed like a movie, and that means lowering the lights. Everything is filmed in darkness. Um, in TNG, the lighting's very bright, it's very smooth, 
And when they go back in time and visit the Enterprise C, which is sort of a wartime ship, it's much darker. And I'm like, that makes sense to me. In this movie, which is supposed to just be, you know, another day on the Enterprise that we've seen in the TV show, it's lit completely differently. Mm. As I say, it's got this yellow filter and it's all dark. I don't get it. Mm. Why do that if you're immediately going to get a new ship with different lighting? It's a, it bugs me. How about this thing? This is another thing that bugs me about the, the, the movie. By the way, folks, we are getting down to the movies that we probably don't like if you haven't guessed. Yeah. Right? Um, their uniforms just keep on changing. Sometimes they're wearing the next-gen uniforms, and sometimes they're wearing sort of like DS9-style uniforms. Yeah. Right? But, like so much so, in the last shot, you've got Picard standing there in his next-gen uniform, Riker standing right behind beside him in a DS9 uniform, and it's like... But, how are they wearing different uniforms if they're in the same navy? Yeah, uh, Mr. Plinkett, who does uh, from Red Letter Media, who does real nitty gritty uh, down to like the finest details, did uh, talk about that in his review, where he was saying like the I would think that like when Starfleet does their new uniforms, they give them to everybody at once and say like, okay, wear these yeah. starting yeah, Monday. Yeah, we're rolling them out on Monday, exactly. Yeah, because you don't want. Because you want the point of the uniforms, the reason they have those colors is so that you can easily identify who's in what field, command, uh, medical and science and engineering, uh, engineering I think, yeah. and assistance. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the uniform thing on Star Trek has actually just gone out the window. Like, it seems that you can have any uniform you want. And you can change it every single day. Whatever. Every every like, yeah. TV show has a different uniform. Yeah. Like even if they're taking place at the same time. That's right. That's right. It's it, crazy. But it's something that you know. Again, which we're going to be talking about a lot. You're going to hear it a lot as we talk about these TNG movies. They stopped caring about the internal logic of Star Trek, and we're just making popcorn fare. Sure. You know. Sure. So uh, generations. A bit of a disappointment. Disappointment. Also, I wanted to show you this. Um, an artist I really like, Nina Matsumoto, uh, watched Generations recently and uh, did this bit of artwork that made me laugh. They realized the Dura sisters <laughs> are basically Beavis and Butthead. That's great. So they've drawn them in the style of the Beavis and That's Butthead uh, title card. That got me pretty now, good. Now, I have to say, I I did like that. What are they? Bator and Lursa. There you go. Bator and Lursa. I, I was glad that they were in it. It was because, nice to have a nod yeah, from the TV yeah, show. Exactly. And they make sense as someone who was, you know, Soren pays to help him out with his uh, underhanded uh, deals. I guess so, because the Juras family at this point are a bit disgraced and they've probably fallen from grace in the Klingon Empire and need a bit of cash. Sure. I guess Klingons still use cash in that. No, in that I, I thought it was a good pull. Yeah. W- yeah. Which you don't see a lot of, and, and I thought it was a mistake. I was surprised that they killed him off as well. That was, like, genuinely thrilling in a good way. Yes. Um, All right. Are we ready to move on to number 11 on my list? Let's go to number 11. Number 11 on my list is Star Trek Into Darkness. Okay. Uh, Is that number 11 on yours? It is not. What is number 11 on yours? Uh, Number 11 on mine is Insurrection. Okay. I I think at this point they're going to be largely interchangeable. Um, Into Darkness was honestly a huge surprise that it was not bottom of my list. Right. As soon as we started talking about doing this, I immediately thought Into Darkness is at the bottom. It's a movie that's frustrated me since I first saw it. I think it is uh, It is a very dark and militaristic Star Trek film. It's, it feels very anti-Star Trek. And once again, returning to the fact that I just can't stand any retread of Khan, mm. which this movie mm. is. Okay. And part of what was so uh, frustrating about it is that J.J. Um, uh, Abrams and co. insisted that they were not doing Khan. Oh, yeah, exactly. And they cast exactly. Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. who was having a real moment in uh, in two thousand in the early yeah, 2010s. Yeah, he was Sherlock at the time. Sherlock really broke yeah. him out, and yeah. he felt overexposed. He was in too many franchises at once, and um, 
it, it was too much too soon. Didn't want to see Khan again. If you've ever seen this one episode of South Park, I can't remember what's happening, but um, the boys are pretty are certain that Cartman is planning to betray them for his own reasons. And as soon as they walk off screen, he goes, Little do they realize that I am going to betray them? And they go, I heard you. I heard you. No, you didn't. And then when he finally does reveal what he's up to, they're like, yeah, we all knew that. And he's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Very much J.J. So, yeah. Abrams being like, yeah. no, it's not Khan. It's yeah. not Khan. No Benedict Cumberbatch? Definitely yeah. not How Khan. How can he be um, uh, Ricardo Mantelbaum? They're nothing the same. No, 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 no. Yeah. And then in now, the movie, when he says the name Khan, he says it like, he, you expect a record scratch or something. He goes, my name is, and I'm in the theater going, Khan? Yeah. Khan? And he goes, Khan. <laughs> I, I know. I yeah. know. Yeah. Now, we'll just say this uh, Into Darkness is the second movie in the Kelvin universe. So that's when Chris Pine... Is, is Captain Stepped into Kirk. the role as Captain yeah, Kirk. Yeah. This is their... Yeah, Zachary Quinto is Spock. It's an alternate universe. Yeah. And the thing I liked about the 2009 film is that it sort of promised like, hey, we're going to have totally new adventures. You know, we can go anywhere, do anything. It doesn't have to be the same That's as right. the original franchise. So what do they do for their second movie? They go, uh, what's the most popular movie that Star Trek did? What was the second movie they did? Con. Let's just do that. Yeah. Now, I don't know if there's any truth to this, but uh, the prevailing theory among fans is that J.J. Uh, Abrams, after the success of Star Trek 2009, had been announced that he was going to uh, be doing the first new Star Wars film mm-hmm. in many a year. And people thought, and I tend to agree, it seemed like he was checked out of this one mm. and just wanted to film something and get off and do his Star Wars. Yeah, I, I guess they. Yeah, there is a feeling of that they they like they thought they they could do it by numbers. Yeah, which um, is disappointing. Uh, yeah. Honestly, a Wrath of Khan retread is the last thing that I wanted. There's also a big problem in the casting of Benedict Cumberbatch, speaking of him, which I've brought up to you before, which is the whole premise of this universe is that uh, from the time that the USS Kelvin is destroyed, which is when uh, Captain Kirk is a baby, his father is killed aboard the USS Kelvin, that's when this universe branches off into its own thing. Everything prior to that should be the same. Yeah. Ricardo Montalban, as Khan, I believe they say that he is um, a character of Indian descent. Okay. Which... On its own is a little bit problematic, you know, Hollywood just interchangeably yep. casting uh, people of color as mm. one another. But the character is meant to be this uh, character bred for uh, to be a superhuman, the result of genetic engineering during that fictional World War Three, And he is Indian. So for them to cast Benedict Cumberbatch, perhaps the most British man to yeah. ever exist as Khan, doesn't make any sense. No. How could he have changed? Why has he changed? Yeah. There's no explanation. It's just he was a hot actor at the time and they wanted him. And I think this is the like one of the few cases a character's race is actually important yeah. to who they are. Yeah. And changing that felt arbitrary. It was originally supposed to be um, Benicio Del Toro. Really? Yeah. And I don't know why, why he, he had to pull out or why he ended up not doing it. But still, not. But Benedict Cumberbatch. But, 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 uh, Benicio del Toro would have been better, yeah, as a can than Benedict Cumberbatch. But I still would rather no can at all. And I'm gonna say it. I watched it over the weekend. As I said, I'm surprised that I bumped it up on my list from bottom. But I think Benedict Cumberbatch gives a bad performance. Mm. I think he's hammy. I not. I don't. I I feel cringe every time he tries to like feel intimidating as a villain with his low rumbling voice and the corny lines that he's given i will walk over your cold corpses i'm like (laughs) this dude sucks it's and it just the fact that you're comparing him in your mind to ricardo montalban's amazing performance just makes it even worse yeah so that that whole element of the film 
no good whatsoever. Yeah. The film also, uh, like, Starfleet in this film feels very, like, American military. The fact that they have uh, the RoboCop actor. That's right. As Peter Weller? Peter Weller. Peter Weller, yeah. As, like, the Starfleet admiral, the way they're talking about it. The movie begins with basically Khan, like, uh, getting this guy to help him do an act of terrorism. Which is another thing. Um, Current Star Trek loves a bit of terrorism. Now, let me be clear. They don't love terrorism. They love terrorism as a plot device. That's right. Because... Uh, it's a real easy way to get people, their emotions up in a dander, to get them excited, to get them upset, and get you invested in a story. Mm. And it just, I don't know, I feel like Star Trek has dealt with terrorism before, but always in a much more artful way, where you're not just, like, gawking at all these people losing their lives. Mm. Um, there's even an, a, an, a line of dialogue that got clipped out in some airings from TNG, where Data is asking Captain Picard about, like, the definition of terrorism, you know, versus a freedom fighter. And Picard says, look, there are no easy answers. And he even name drops like a couple acts of uh, terrorism from the history books, but he also makes up like the fictional um, Irish uh, unification of 2020 something. And I think this is... It's coming up. This is when like the IRA in the 90s was like a big problem for, you know, the English government. So they were like, can't be mentioning that. Too incendiary. That's right. That's right. Anyway, the whole thing about this film is it feels... Like they wanted to write like a Jack Reacher film or something, which is Chris Pine went on to play him. Right. There's actually a lot of Star Trek content coming out now, um, including like Picard, that it feels like the two things they really love and just want to write is Jack Reacher or uh, Blade Runner. Right. Not that I think they'd be particularly good at writing either of those things, but that's the kind of stuff they want to write. They are not interested in Star Trek style stories. Um uh, another thing that I uh, wanted to say was um, uh, Peter Weller's spaceship, mm-hmm. uh, w- which was just a massive, huge, it was supposed to be a warship. The Federation were making a warship. Yes. Right? Um, his his plot is he is purposely, he believes that war with the Klingons is inevitable, so he is provoking them into a war. Right. And he's got this huge, big um, ship to do a- Again, the classic giant evil looking ship. Yeah, but except that it's just a like a big giant black version of the enterprise i know which is so dumb we the one thing we know that if if one of the federation ships is in a battle one of the first things you take out of it is the nacelles Mm -hmm. right because they're just sticking out there and once you take out a ship's nacelle the ship is kind of dead in the water right yeah so why would you make a warship that can be so easily taken out bigger target it's crazy i uh in in my star trek fan fiction there's um there's that gag where um Data points a phaser at Yosemite Sam. This is a Who Framed Roger Rabbit Star Trek crossover, for those who don't know. And uh, Yosemite Sam does that thing where he pulls out, like, an even bigger gun, and then a bigger gun. And Data begins to explain to him, you understand that a larger firearm does not make him a formidable weapon. In fact, the longer barrel will actually slow the bullet. <laughs> Yosemite Sam doesn't care. Yeah. But like you're saying, a bigger weapon does not mean a more effective weapon. Yeah. In fact, it means easier to hit. Well, when you think of like the Defiant, which I guess in, in canon happens later on, the Defiant is a, a warship that the Federation built uh, 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 to fight the Borg. To fight yeah. the Borg. It's, it's small, it's compact, yeah. it's neat. It's overpowered um, in this tiny little compact frame. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, it looks. I'd say it's more like the Millennium Falcon than, yeah, right, than, right. A, than a Federation ship. Mm-hmm. But that's what you expect when because all the other ships are built for exploration, mm-hmm. right? So it, like like to build a warship to, that looks like an exploration ship doesn't make sense. But it's just it's just 
dumb blockbuster logic. Bigger yeah. and painted black yeah. must be yeah. evil. Uh, look, it's still happening. Biggest explosion wins. Yeah. That's yeah. how you end the movie. They uh, they also introduce the Klingons in this movie. And I got to say, I don't think they look very good. Uh, they get worse, but... They, they look similar, but unnecessarily different. I also mm. noticed that everyone in this movie, like Chris Pine has piercing blue eyes. Everyone seems to, including the Klingons. Right, yeah. It's just, it yeah. takes me out of it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, Um Now, look, uh, what I the reason that I bumped this up is because, well, my complaints about some of the other movies have been that they've been boring. Mm. This movie's not boring. Sure. J.J. Abrams and uh, his team at Bad Robot, they know how to make an exciting movie, if nothing mm. else. I was mm. never bored. It moves along at a fast clip. Most of the problems really happen in the third act. Uh, right. Once Khan goes full evil, he takes over the Enterprise. Oh, more terrorism. He is going to crash uh, the ship that he's taken over into uh, Starfleet headquarters. And then he's on the run. Uh, we should also probably mention uh, in, a, in an extremely embarrassing scene, uh, they do uh, an inversion of Spock's death. Mm. They have Jim give his life to get the ship working again yeah. so they can get out of there, whatever's going to happen. Yeah. He dies behind the glass. And, like, that's already lame and on the oh, nose enough. extra puke. But then, I was waiting for it, uh, they have uh, Zachary Quinto on the other side of the glass, uh, you know, watch Jim Kirk die behind the radiation shield, and then, for no reason, he shouts out, Khan! Yeah. And it sucks. It's yeah. a terrible delivery. Yeah. It's embarrassing to watch. Yep. And be, yeah. The thing is, w- the famous moment from Wrath of Khan, when Kirk just yells, Khan, ah, Somehow, William Shatner is able to sell it. Yeah. And also, just about though, like he did get a bit like people snickered at him. Sure. You know? And also, it's it's actually quite a short shout. It's mm. not at the top of his lungs, and he's and it's closer to his character as well. Closer you to his character. You can expect Kirk to do something. Like and that. he's on the phone. He's he's talking to Khan. Yeah. So this is him just like you know shouting, "I'm Khan, you yeah. son of a bitch." Yeah, yeah. Whereas Spock is saying this for no yeah, reason. To, yeah, to release frustration to no one. This guy. His captain, who he barely knows and doesn't even really get along I with, was gonna say, has been killed. If you, uh, it's been pointed out before that, like we know that in the original series that they like each other because they worked together for many years. Yep. They care for each We've other. We've seen it since the sixties. In the first film, they hate each other through most of it, but develop a grudging respect. In this movie, you know, they're hanging around, but the movie just says, "Oh, they're best friends," and he is so distraught by the death of this person who he's not liked that much. Uh, who he's known for maybe a year or something like that. He's so distraught that he completely lets go of all his Vulcan uh, training. This is the worst. This is the worst. I hate this. Action hero Spock. And, you know, I've talked to people who don't know Star Trek that well, and they go, ah, it's it's to show that he's that upset. And I'm just like, it's completely the wrong time for that. Yeah. There are occasionally in the TV show there, I think there's like an episode where something affects Spock, his mind or something, and he suddenly all his emotions are released. Oh, the Ponfar episode. Yeah. The, the, it's fuck or die Friday. Uh, <laughs> the Vulcans need to mate every five, however many yep. years, a, gr- a bunch of years, and uh, it's when their emotions get the better of them. They're in heat, yeah. basically, and they yeah. have to release it either by mating or challenging someone to a ritual battle to the death. That's where this music comes from. That's right. Da, 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 da. Um, William Shatner takes his top off. As he always yeah. does. In the Futurama episode, there's a great gag where as soon as the space gas orders them to fight to the death, he just immediately rips his shirt <laughs> open. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. Spock losing is cool. Uh, 
Khan has crashed his ship into uh, into the street and on Earth. There's uh, people running around in the rubble. It all just feels very insensitive, really. Mm. And uh, Spock is running down the street, chasing him so that he can punch him to death. Yeah. And this is just so against the grain of what Star Trek is that I, I can't stand it. It's yeah. stupid. Yeah. And Uhura shows up basically to say, stop, you'll kill him. And she says, we need his blood. There's also the the problem of the magic blood. Okay. Well, that, before we talk about that as well, though, mm-hmm. uh, talk about other characters in it, mm. um, and our our you know our guy Carl Urban, yeah, who we love, yeah, pretty much written out of it. Yeah. You know, there's not very much for him for McCoy to do in this movie. Even in the poster for the first one, the uh, the triumvirate of characters that you see is not Bones, Kirk and Spock. It's Uhura, yeah. Kirk and Spock. Yeah. Which hey. If you're going to do things differently, you can change up the order. Yeah. Giving giving the black woman more to do I is think that, not a problem. You can see, yeah, you can see why they would do that, and, and so the motivation to do that is fine. Yeah, um, but, but he is such a fan at, favorite. At the ex- yeah, at the expense of uh, this like great performance, like like okay, I think Chris Pine does a really good Kirk. Mm-hmm. I think Carl Urban's um, uh, McCoy is even. It, it, on par, if not better, I'd say so. Um, and and he was great in the first of the the Kelvin Star Treks. Mm-hmm. Just to sort of get it's, rid of him for the second one, it was like that's a shame. That's why I think Beyond does a nice thing by pairing him and Spock. They together. bring them back give together. Him, together again. Give him yeah. something. That's to right. Do. That's right. They, they fix it anyway. We'll go back to the magic blood. The magic blood. So, so look, in my memory, it was simply that. Uh, this Tribble's blood saves his life. And I was like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's, they, they do a little bit more work than that. So because Khan is a, um, a superhuman, uh, he has regenerative blood that causes him to, you know, heal from wounds faster. They put that into, I think, like a dead triple or a dying triple, and that brings it back to life. And you go, hang on, putting human blood into an alien, that doesn't work. Yeah. But it's their way of saying, oh, his blood can, like, bring people back from the brink of death. So... They put Kirk into cryogenic freeze, and they go, if we can get some of Kirk's, uh, some of Khan's magic blood into him, he'll bounce back. Now, what I said before about the reason Spock's death works is because the creative people behind it actually believed this is the death of Spock. So it, it reads. Yeah. And the and movie ends on a kind of somber, sad note because it's, you know, exactly. Spock's dead. And you even have to go through the entire runtime of another film after that before you get Spock uh, revived. It feels like you have gone through something to earn this character being brought back from the dead. This film, Kirk's dead about 20 minutes before they bring him back. So I'm sorry, I don't feel a thing. Yeah. Not to mention, we um, there's also just no way that they're going to kill off Chris Pine as Captain yeah. Kirk. I don't believe it for a second. Yeah. If anything, I think it would have been a cooler move to actually kill him off. Kill him off, Spock is now the captain. That's what I want from this mm. reboot franchise is don't just give me reheated Wrath of Khan, just the classic hits with new people. I want to see new things happening, new dynamics, different adventures, you mm. know? Yeah, yeah. And also, like, now that we know that Khan's blood brings people back alive, you need to synthesize that. Yeah. And death is over, right? That's something that's a real problem in the J.J. Abrams films, is he is action and adventure first, science second. Now, writing Star Trek can be difficult because there's so much science stuff and technical uh technicalities to the way the ships work that it can be a challenge you need a technical advisor to help you Mm. do it but jj abrams constantly throwing the science out the window makes in in its own way makes the universe harder to write for in the first movie scotty has invented transwarp beaming so you can beam onto a ship at warp 
which already goes, well, now the Enterprise have this huge advantage over every other uh, enemy they come up against. I just go, you just keep writing these fantastic technologies that uh, negate all the stakes, you know? Mm-hmm. Actually, there's another thing in Into Darkness uh, that I thought about. Um, uh, New Scotty, now played by Simon Pegg, mm-hmm. he ends up on the big dark baddie Enterprise. Yeah. And... Um, He's trying to do a thing. I can't exactly remember it. I've seen this movie once. And uh, he gets caught by uh, one of the crew on that ship who holds him at gunpoint or something like that and says, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? And Scotty kind of like, he just goes, oh, I'm sorry. And hits a button and blasts that guy into space and kills him. Yeah. Right. And it's like, wow. Our heroes, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah. That was a bit harsh. And also Captain Kirk is not a great guy in this movie because... Their plan is they know that Khan is hiding out on uh, Kronos, the Klingon homeworld, and basically Admiral Robocop uh, is go- you're going to go kill that guy, and it's going to be a big secret. McCoy objects to this. It's like, yeah, this is an uh, an extrajudicial covert black ops uh, execution. We shouldn't be doing this. This is not what Starfleet is about. Scotty objects to the fact that they're being given these uh, weapons uh, by Admiral Robocop, and he doesn't know what's in them. And he quite correctly says, hey, we've got a lot of really delicate science going on in here. We've got a warp core. If something reacts with the warp core, that could be the end of everyone on board. And Captain Kirk orders him, like, just do it, okay? This is America, buddy. Just do it. (laughs) And uh, Scotty goes, I'm sorry, I have to resign my commission. And so he does. Yeah. It's, yeah, Kirk's not a great guy in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost forgot, but I have to mention the opening of this film, which has, uh, yeah, made me unduly angry for a very long oh, time. Oh, I know what this is about. They open up, J.J. Abrams, he wears it on his sleeve, he loves Spielberg. Right. And that would include the Indiana Jones films. The Indiana Jones films always open up with sort of an unrelated adventure. Mm-hmm. It's Again, thinking back to George Lucas's love of film serials, yep. George Lucas helped develop the Indiana Jones series. Uh, it's like your uh, last time on Indiana Jones, an mm. adventure in progress. And yeah. then he goes you back. You notice that all James Bond movies start off like that. And that that's too. what Indiana Jones was supposed to be. And Spielberg said he wanted to make a, a James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. And Lucas said, I got something for you. Yeah, let's and create something Indiana new, Jones. which yeah. is nice. Yeah. Uh, this movie tries to do that by showing you, here's a Starfleet adventure. Every single thing that happens violates Star Trek rules in a way that irritates me. Now, look, the point is that Kirk comes home and gets in trouble and gets removed from the captain's seat. So there's a purpose to it, but it still bothers me. It still bothers me to see it. So they're, they're on a planet, Nibiru. They're running through the forest, these two masked figures. They've stolen this uh, totem or something from this uh, primitive species, this developing culture. And uh, first of all, they take their helmets off. They take off their masks and you can see their faces. And that's so you, the audience, goes, oh, that's Kirk, that's McCoy. Why would they not keep the the the, uh, the hats on while they're still running away? Mm. The point is, we don't want these we want these things to think they're being stolen, maybe by one of their own. We don't want to expose them to the fact that alien cultures yeah, exist because they do not look human. They're quite different. Though. They're very different. They've got they've got chalky faces. They've got these big you know big black uh, Area Fifty One alien sort of eyes. So first of all, taking off the helmets, uh, no so, reason, yeah. no reason, bad. Uh, second of all, they're stealing this uh, important item, this culturally significant item. I still don't know why they're doing that. I think it's as a distraction mm. because there's a volcano on their planet that's going to blow up and they need a distraction. I'm like, uh, I, I, I believe the story is that 
the volcano is uh, causing a disruption that won't let them beam a weapon in there. So they need Spock to go in in like a heat protected suit and plant a device that's going to stop the volcano from blowing up. Mm. Um, so they need a distraction. So they steal this item. What happens next is they 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 run, jump off a cliff, and swim to the Enterprise, which is underwater. Yeah. Now, look, to someone who doesn't know Star Trek, they're like, oh, so what? It's hiding underwater. That's an interesting new environment for you to see in. That is the worst place to park a starship. Starships are built in space, right? If, if I have Star Trek uh, action figures and stuff, and what you find is they're not aerodynamic. They fall apart. They, uh, they're, they're quite awkward. Mm. But in space, doesn't matter. That's right. You know, it's built for the function of here's where all the people live. Here's where the warp nacelles are, whatever. Uh, the reason you don't build it on Earth, which they do do in the 2009 film, is because you're not fighting against gravity. So not only, the, you know, the ships are never meant to go into the atmosphere of a planet because so much can go wrong. If a ship that size crashes onto a planet, that's going to be a huge, huge, devastating yeah. problem. Um, that's why they have beaming and shuttles because yeah. this giant thing's never meant to go onto a planet. Not only have they taken this uh, ship into the atmosphere of a planet, of a developing culture... They've parked it underwater. It's never meant to be underwater. Yep. Not only do you then have to fight against the weight of water to escape, you also have to fight the weight of uh, of the gravitational pull. That's it's right. all just so... It, it's not necessary as well. No. Like, you just... You keep your spaceship, like, like so high, uh, you know, in the sky that mm-hmm. they can't really see it. It's just going to look like a, like a little star. Yeah. You beam them down onto the planet like they've been doing... Since 1967 or whatever it was. You know, I mean, they wanted, fly them down. they wanted to do something that we hadn't seen before. But I know. what they did was stupid. It, look, it looked really cool seeing the Enterprise come out, up out of the water. But you kind of, you see it look and you go, oh, that looks cool. But wait. Yes, <laughs> like it, it was just, it's just, yeah, it was, uh, it was, and, and it was st- definitely, um, uh, uh, like, like, um, it was definitely just for the aesthetics of it yep. looking good. And uh, Spock is going to blow up. Uh, he's going to stop this volcano from erupting with a device that turns all the ice. It freezes all the ice, which uh, I don't know about the science of. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a volcanologist. It's kind of cute that they send the Vulcan <laughs> to the yeah. volcano. Yeah. But like, just freezing all the ice. That's gonna cause freeze the the, the lava. lava. Yeah. They yeah. freeze the lava. Yeah. That's gonna cause a problem, right? That's just gonna back up and explode even else. worse. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also later in the movie. Uh, Pike says to them, like, you went down there and used a cold fusion device on it. Uh, it took me one second to Google what is cold fusion. Cold fusion does not create an explosive uh, freezing explosion. Uh, in fact, the reason it's called that is because regular fusion needs to be very, very hot. Right. This is a kind of fusion that takes place at room temperature. It's oh, okay. not freezing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it took me one second, but for the dumb audience people, uh, oh, cold fusion. Yeah. 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 Uh, and sure enough, the, uh, the, uh, film, uh, the scene ends with the, the, uh, the primitive species seeing in plain view the Enterprise fly off. They start drawing a picture of the Enterprise. And it's like, you guys have altered the course yeah. of their society yeah. irreparably. Yeah. And, you know. Which is the point of the Prime Directive, which is dear to the hearts of all us Trekkies. Yes. It's like the, the founding thing, which is you do not interfere with alien species, even though at times it can be like morally difficult. Mm. If, if if Captain Picard, if Captain Kirk were written as he should be, I think he would say we have to let uh, this volcano erupt. Yeah, it's not our job to play God and interfere. As horrible as that might be, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I hate that opening. I hated the ending. Yeah. Uh, the best thing I can say about it is the action is at least exciting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll give you the action, but I hate that it's 
feckin' Spock doing the action and, and and Benedict Cumberbatch. No, I don't like this movie. No. This this I put it in my number twelve, which is like second from the bottom. Absolutely. I just, um I yeah. do have a slight just a pitch. It's not even like a big idea. It's just something different. What I kind of liked about this is um that for about half of the film, Khan is actually kind of a victim. Right. He, he's the victim of evil Admiral Robocop. Uh, I think he's Admiral Marcus. He is Carol Marcus's right, yeah. father. They bring her back and so that she can have like a gratuitous scene of her in a bikini or in her underwear yep. for no reason. A pop culture detective did a video um, recently about, it's called The Ethics of Looking, and it's about how many scenes in film and TV normalize this idea that part of growing up for young boys maturing is to spy on women right. undressing without their knowledge, which is wrong. It's yeah. not normal. Yep. shouldn't be encouraged. And yeah, this movie has that trope as well. She is undressing. Uh, she asks Captain Kirk to turn around and not look. He does anyway. And then we get a nice gratuitous look of her sexy unclothed mm. body. And you're like, yeah. that's not on. Yeah. And for no reason. For no reason. And they're also not even equal opportunity objectivists. That's right. Uh, there was a scene of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch having like a sexy angry shower oh right hey, look he's not my cup of tea but you know give us a bit of give us a bit of uh, man flesh if you're gonna right. do this right you yeah. know what i mean yeah exactly I'd, I'd like exactly to... right yeah but no they're just objectifying women so okay. yeah. uh, just another point against it my yeah. my pitch for fixing this slightly is uh i think that khan and kirk should have worked together in this one Okay. I'm thinking about the uh, the quote from the famous episode where we first meet the Romulans, I believe, in the original series, Balance of Terror, where before the Romulan commander dies, he says, in another life, I could have called you friend. I'm like, this is another life. Yeah. Could we not see something different than just they're friends for about half of it, but they're not because he's a bad guy. He, uh, he smushes the brains of uh, Admiral Robocop in another completely hammy, bad cringy scene where he goes like you should have let me sleep and his jowls shudder as he cracks this guy's <laughs> head open boo terrible and yeah. he just turns bad again and also um spock prime spock played by leonard nimoy shows up for a cameo and he's kind of like the watcher from marvel he says i promise that i will not interfere with your destiny by telling you things you may encounter but i am about to yeah. <laughs> khan is the most evil supervillain we've ever encountered and part of me also just goes this again feels like the fame of the character is interfering in the universe. Like, sure, he was a bad guy they encountered twice, yeah. but the worst bad guy ever? No way. They had a they had a space skirmish with him. Yeah. You know? Um I th- I think the probe from Star Trek 4 was about to destroy the entire planet Earth. Right. That was pretty bad. Yeah. So, uh I think they should have teamed up. They should have been like, "Hey, we can see your point of view." Khan goes, hey, look, uh, Starfleet is never going to allow uh, me and my buddies, my genetically engineered buddies, who technically are war criminals, to hang out in the Federation. We're going off to find our own planet. And Spock Prime just says, may I suggest that you avoid SETI Alpha 5? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be lovely. Easy. Beautiful, yeah. Okay. All uh, right, so that was my number That was my number 12. Mine is Insurrection. There we go. Um, the reason I put this at number 12, and I was really quibbling, uh, I might as well tell you now, uh, my... By, by process of elimination, my number 13 is Star Trek Nemesis. Yeah, agreed. The reason that um, Insurrection isn't last is, well, look, it, Star Trek Nemesis is an ugly movie. This is merely a bland visually yeah. movie. Yeah. And it is ambitious. It fails, but it is at least trying to say something. I think it's saying the wrong thing. Um, the movie is about this planet. Um, 
were they? The Baku? Sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds like a Star Trek word. Yeah. Um, they live on this planet. They're this commune of peaceful uh, people. It's kind of interesting. They say that they at one point developed, you know, technologically to the point where they could have gone and traveled the star, but they sort of rejected it. They wanted to go back to the Earth. Mm. They're kind of space Amish almost. Yeah. And the reason they love their planet is because it has this special radiation that stops them from becoming sick and lets them live effectively indefinitely. Now, uh, Starfleet, uh, working in tandem with uh, the Sonar, this nefarious race, they want to move the Baku so that everyone in the galaxy can take advantage of this uh, of this magic radiation because it's going to heal a lot of... It's going to make a lot of sick people well and yeah. make people live longer. Uh, what I sort of noted about the difference between the Sonar and the Baku is the Baku, they're all white uh, and they are like this, uh, we must return to the past. It's sort of... It gives me slightly conservative uh, feelings. Right. It's very, we must return to the past, you know... The old ways were simpler and better. In fact, they're all white. It's just a little odd. Mm. The, by contrast, the Sona are like these very decadent uh, creatures who like live off of um, um, technology and they constantly have to have plastic surgery done because like they say, oh, your species is like born sick and you need like your skin regenerated regularly. Mm. Yeah. And they look real weird. It just so happened I had watched Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's right. The yeah. night before, yeah. Yeah. which has this subplot. It takes place in Terry Gilliam's, you know, favorite universe, which is a dystopian bureaucracy inspired by George Orwell's 1984. And uh, the mother in that is addicted to plastic surgery and is constantly having her face stretched like taffy. That's right. And she gets younger and younger in the film until she looks like a young woman and is telling her son, oh, stop calling me mother. You're embarrassing me in front of my suitors. The, the bad guys in this are basically that. They, they, yeah, they have they their faces like. yeah. stretched. Yeah. The main bad guy, whose name I forgot, <sighs> Ruoffo or something. Yeah. Well, he's played by F. Murray Abraham. There you go. F. Murray Abraham. From uh, Amadeus, That's right. if you've ever seen yeah. it. The yeah. great, he's, he's fantastic. Re- really great I think movie. he won an Oscar for Amadeus, actually. I believe he did. Yeah. Salieri. And I think oh, I could check this as well. Was it Michael Westmore might have done the makeup in that as well? I think he does. Also won an Oscar? Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise not me. In, not in Star Trek, in Amadeus. Oh, oh. Well, for, I'll, you know, I'll put that, I'll take that out of I bet, I bet the costume people got an award for Am- Amadeus. Right, yeah, yeah. Because it's a Mozart probably, period yeah, piece. Yeah. But, but, um, F. Murray Abraham's wearing old man makeup in it, and it's uh, very you're good. Right. And I think he might have gotten an ask for that. The <laughs> only thing that makes me think it was Michael Westmore was the old man makeup that he does on Brent Spiner. I was going to awful. say, there's yeah. a lot of old makeup <laughs> on, um, in Star Trek, and it's always real bad. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. put a bunch of putty on their face. They did it for DeForest Kelly. When he oh came back on the first yeah. episode of Next Gen, I was like, guys, you don't need you to put old man it. makeup yeah. on this 90-year-old. <laughs> no, right? Just say, this is what a 130-year-old looks yeah. like in the future. Yeah, that's right. Which is, you'd expect. As people have pointed out, uh, there's like one where they see like the old crew of DS9, and everyone's like, uh, this entire crew stays hot as they get older. You did not need to put these like jowls and yeah. you know lines all over their face to tell us that they're old. You couldn't have predicted it. Mm. Anyway, they want to move the people. And... Sort of the center of the film is the ethics of forced relocation, which is a real-world serious uh, topic. Uh, and I have to admit, I do kind of like Picard's speech that he gives, because Federation is saying, look, it's 200 people being moved in order to heal billions. And he says, how many people does it take before it becomes wrong? Mm. You know, it's an interesting ethical uh, conundrum. And so I thought that was interesting. However, they've already done this. They did this in an episode. Uh, I looked it up. It's called Journey's End. I believe it's the last episode with Wesley Crusher. Okay. 
the uh, the Federation has made peace with the Cardassians at last. There's been a long-standing war between them. Part of the, um, I don't know what you'd call it, the treaty, the accords, uh, they've given up certain sections of territory to the Cardassians. And one of it happens to house Native Americans. The Native Americans, uh, basically having been treated so per- poorly throughout Earth's history as they have been, have just decided to leave Earth and find a new planet. And they said it took us decades to find a planet with the correct spiritual properties for us to live in. So we can't just get up and move to another planet. And uh, in that episode, Picard and the crew are basically, look, we have our orders. Um, you're not, not, no one's going to be harmed. And also, we don't dare risk uh, war with the Cardassians again. So I'm sorry, we're going to move you by force. Okay. Wesley thinks this is wrong, and you can definitely see his point of view, why he would think that. He warns the Native American people, the uh, uh, Puebloans, if I'm saying that correctly, it would be a miracle. Uh, he says, hey, they're planning to move you. They're going to beam you onto their ship without your consent. And he gets seriously torn down by Picard. And so it's just a much more interesting episode with, I think, a more interesting resolution because it's not just bad guys versus good guys. In the end of that episode, the Native American people decide we're foregoing um, Federation um, citizenship and the Cardassian, who happens to be sympathetic to them, he wants he doesn't want there to be war. He says, look, they'll be part of the Cardassian Empire and we'll, we'll look after them. We'll be the new governance over them. Right. Far more interesting and nuanced. Yeah. In this film, it's just... The Sonar who want to move them are evil, and the Baku are innocent and good, and that's it. Yeah. It's lazy. Yeah. It's it's not a good movie. It's it's its biggest crime is that it is dull. Oh, it's so it, dull. It feels like a, an episode of the TV show, which, you know, if, if there's any sort of criticize or, 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 or uh, criticism of the movie series, it's that it didn't feel enough like the TV show. Right. This one... Is the, is the one that does feel like a t- an episode of the TV show, except not a great episode. No. It's a, it's always a balancing act, as we've said, between being a good movie and being good Star Trek. This one is more Star Trek than it is movie, but it's not very good Star no. Trek. And I think it lands on the wrong side, and it's clumsy, doesn't really explore the issues. It never really asks the question of, what are the ethics of everyone in the galaxy living indefinitely? You know? Yeah. Like, if we continue uh, having children at the same rate, is the universe going to fill up? I guess that's less of a problem when you have food replicators that can be... Like, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. But they just never asked that question, which felt interesting. And also, um, Insurrection also has another um, evil Data um, event where Data loses control and goes kind of rogue. Right. Which has happened a few times in The Next Generation as well. So so many times, in fact, you would kind of have to decommission Data and say he's just too dangerous to have around. Like, he he gets, like, a a gash on his head and he goes evil. Right. (laughs) You know? And, um... This movie also ends with uh, sort of, I, I say, the return of Jean-Luc McLean. Uh, yes. He, he is, he's got his guns out. It looks like they're fighting in like a parking lot. And he's just an action hero. He just like tells uh, the evil uh, Ruafu, he's like, time's up, beams back to his ship and blows them up. And you're yep. like, what happened to like the, the moral guy that I fell in love with on That's the show? Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, also, um, this is the second movie in a row now where they've said, like, to hell with Starfleet orders. And they do it again in the next one. At a certain point, you go, are you guys even part of Starfleet? That's right. Yeah. You can't yeah. just keep throwing away the rules. Data yeah. has a line. He's like, I believe I speak for everyone when I say, to hell with our orders. Yeah. And then he gets out the guns and he goes, lock and load. I'm like, what the hell is this? This yeah. is not Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, 
there's the very embarrassing subplot where the uh the sonar uh, the baku radiation is making everyone act like younger which I'm like, I, I didn't understand that that was how it worked it doesn't reverse aging it just slows it basically indefinitely and heals sickness but suddenly Riker and Troy are acting like like horny teenagers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. People have said like they're they're like Doris Day and uh, Rock Hudson in in this in like their flirting scene. Yeah. It's very it comes out of nowhere and Damn the fucking cardinal sin happens, right? They shave Riker's they beard. They shave how do they not know? Look, they do have one line where she says, like, ooh, I've never kissed you with a beard before. It's weird. And then you cut to them in, like, a hot tub and she's shaving him because I guess she likes him clean shaven. He looks so much worse. Yeah, I know. It doesn't suit him. He's got, like, a, a better shape to his face, his chin, his jawline when he's got yeah. that beard on. Yeah. Look, folks, there's a rule with Star Trek The Next Generation. If you if you turn on an episode and Riker doesn't have a beard, chances are it's not a good episode. Yeah, really. Right? As um, soon as he got that beard, everything in the universe all, everything right. Everything right. Yeah, exactly. Um... So to take him, his beard away for a movie is just... Oh, no, I don't know what they're thinking. Also... They wanted to make him look young, but yeah, it didn't work. No. Like, it didn't suddenly he's got jowls he's and jowly, like a butt exactly. chin. That's right. That's right. Because you take away... like we, we were used to his beardless face when he was 10 years younger than this. Mm-hmm. You know, So now he's aged up. So you take away the beard. We can see his old face now. Now, that reminds me. Uh, starting with... The, was it... I believe... Is it First Contact where Jordy for the first time does not have his visor on? Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, in, in Generations, Soren kidnaps him. Oh, yeah. Steals right. his visor, tinkers with it. So I think that's when he starts not wearing okay. it. Okay. That was basically a demand of the actor LeVar Burton. He said, look, I've done seven seasons playing this blind character who is able to see through the miracle of future technology, this visor that he wears over his eyes. He said, for the movies, can we just say the technology got better? Now I can actually show my eyes and just say, I've got you know, technological things in my eyes that let yeah. me see. And I, that's fine by me. Mm. What I didn't like is in this movie, uh, the healing power of the uh, of the magic radiation uh, makes his eyes work again. And he's saying, oh, I've never seen a sunset before. It's so beautiful. What, what sat wrong with me with this is I've always thought that Geordi being blind but able to see and participate through technology is cr- really quite a positive message. There's even an episode where someone says, oh, you're blind? You know, on my planet, we would have just culled you at birth to, you know, f- so you wouldn't have to suffer living. And he says, like, hey, I'm not suffering. Yeah. I'm participating. Yeah. Who said I don't have anything to contribute because I'm blind? In this film, he's able to see again. And what I thought was, that's a nice moment for people who aren't blind, for people who are able-bodied, who go, Ooh, wouldn't it be horrible to be blind? Oh, isn't it nice that he's able to see again? For people who are blind, if they're going... That's never going to happen for me, you know. Doesn't yeah. mean anything. Yeah, there's something. There's something as well. I'm trying to think. There was an episode where they were talking about enhancement, and they were again it. They were again some kind of enhancement. Sure. And whoever they were talking to pointed out that Jordy can see better than normal humans because mm-hmm. of his, um, you know, because of his visor. Right. And the point was, why don't you get everybody in Starfleet and cut their eyes out and give them Geordie vision? Because it's actually better. Right, right. Um, Geordie was supposed to be... And also, when his eyes fixed, I always believe, believed he'd fake eyes. Hmm. You know? So, okay. So when his eyes, like, went brown and were, like, normalized, it's yeah. like, what happened to the fake eyes? You right. Know, did they pop out and, like, the, the new eyes just grew back in or something? Right, right. Like, like Judge Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It is a good question. It is a good point that you raise. Like, he can see things that regular eyeballs cannot. Surely yeah. it would be, like, a step down. 
and yeah, I just find it insulting me. Like, ah, seeing with your own two human eyeballs, natural eyeballs is so yeah. much better. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like he's looking at a sunset and going, oh, where's the ultraviolet? Yeah. Right. I can't see it. I can't see the where's EM the bands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, also, um, we have to talk about Worf. Um, I believe generations. He's still part of the crew in the second movie. First contact. He has gone on to work on Deep Space Nine, but he shows up in DS9's ship, The Defiant. Yep. In this movie, it cracked me up. I laughed. He walks onto the ship and Picard, onto the Enterprise. Picard says, what the hell are you doing here? He goes, it's a funny story, sir. And then the camera just moves away from him mid-sentence. Right. It's just like, the audience does not care about Deep Space Nine. They don't care about why he's back. Yeah. And so he, it just cuts him off mid-sentence. He might yeah. as well go, so I says to Mabel, I says. <laughs> just moves away. <laughs> yeah. And the worst thing is, he has nothing to do. He doesn't do anything in this movie. He's yeah, just... He's comic he, relief. He's there mm. because, uh, well, people like Worf. I like Worf, so he's got to be in the movie. But there's nothing for him to do. Mm. Um, and, you know, talking about the radiation making everyone act younger, humiliating. They give Worf, like, a pimple, mm. and uh, they even... He goes, oh, it is a gorch. And that that's stuck in my head forever because it's the stupidest, stupidest sci-fi name I can imagine. Gorch. It just it hits the air wrong. You know, when when the Klingons get hurt or something, like they go, oh, we have multiple hearts. We we evolved to have redu- redundant hearts. Mm. They don't make up a word for heart. They just go, look, we just trust you to know that yeah, right. they have another word for it, but they're using universal translators. They couldn't have just said it's a pimple. Yeah. No, it's a gorge. And nothing comes of it. They just go, oh, they just do a little joke at his expense. Mm, not very noticeable. Yeah, uh, yeah. Carry on. Yeah. And it looks gross as well. Like, looks we disgusting. Not to tell Michael Dorn what he ought to or ought not to have done, but like, if I were him, I would have said, I'm not doing this movie because there's nothing for Worf to do. He just shows up because people want to see him. And the best you have for me is, oh, he has a pimple at one yeah, stage. Yeah. There's nothing. And and actually, that that uh, follows as well for um, um, Beverly Crusher. In fact, as soon as Worf pushes Beverly Crusher off the ship, or as soon as Data pushes Beverly Crusher off the ship and into the water, like we said, back in generations. In generations that's the end of Beverly Crusher in this universe. Yeah. He never, ever does anything important no. in any of the, uh, the next-gen movies. And in the TV series, there were whole episodes about Beverly Crusher. Yeah. I was a fan of Beverly Crusher, you know what I mean? It's, so it's to diffi- see her getting pushed aside like that was kind of weird. Yeah, literally pushed aside. It's difficult to write for seven mains, but even more disappointing that it just became the Picard and Data show. And yeah. in this movie, there's also the weird fact of like, the reason Picard wants to save this planet is because this MILF is down. That's right, that's right. She's and really into about it. her, and I might have brought this up in the last um, Star Trek episode, I can't remember, but... She's supposed to be like 130 or something years old, yeah. right? She looks much younger, but that's what she's supposed to be. And there's a scene in it where she falls into the water and she's like, I can't swim. She's like, what? In 130 years, you live beside a lake. You yeah. never learned to swim? Yeah. But what do you do in the summer? You know, with your no technology. I know. You know? It's, it's pretty dumb. I, and I have to say my experience watching this was pretty excruciating. Mm. Like first contact. There's some some goofy things that aren't scientifically sound where you can tell they're pushing aside science for the name of a fun movie. But it was a fun movie. Watching this, I was in pain. I was really struggling, A, literally, to stay awake. It didn't help that I was watching it on a warm, sunny afternoon. Right. Kind of like the Baku planet. But, like, I was just struggling. And I said, surely there's not that much more to go. And I checked. And there was another hour. And, wow. uh, and this was my response. <laughs> 
For those, who uh, for those who don't know, that's, that's uh, F. Murray Abraham. F. Murray right? Abraham. Yeah. Like, I don't think he does that much interesting in the movie, but he yeah. does deliver an insane scream. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I love that. I, I was I was really struggling to get through this one. Uh, so that's number twelve. Yeah. Again, we haven't been that far off. No, we haven't really. We've, we've always been, like been one like or one down. Removed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, most of that is caused by my wanting to see the motion picture. Yep. Uh, well, that brings us to. The last 13, the film. Worst. The worst Star Trek yeah. film, in my opinion. Yeah, that, same. Um, I had the same response to Insurrection as I did to Nemesis, which is, I don't think I'm ever going to watch this again. <sighs> like, it was no. a painful movie to get through. I don't like it. Life's too short. Yeah. This is two hours of my life that I did not enjoy. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, ugly movie, yeah. right? Gross, ugly movie. It's all dark. The color scheme is green, purple, and black. Yeah. It's just nasty to look at. The monsters, the remans are like these disgusting black, uh, white, like all white sort of like, they look like the kind of creatures that grow in like the parts of the ocean where there's no light and they have all the weird right. and disgusting looking. Um, there's like gruesome deaths right at the beginning. The Romulan Senate, they all turn into like right. yeah. sand. Yeah. And you know, part of me was thinking like, do you remember when Star Trek the Motion Picture came out and they were advertising like Happy Meals with it? Right. Like, the Star Trek franchise used to be a family adventure film that everyone could go and enjoy. Nemesis is such a nasty, mean-spirited, gross movie. Mm. Another thing that I fully object to, like, look, art is allowed to explore, uh, you know, taboo and dangerous and uncomfortable subjects. It has to be. But I hate that there is a sexual assault of Counselor Troy yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Deanna Troy has gotten married uh, to uh, Riker and they are fooling around and suddenly he invades her mind and replaces Riker with him. Yeah. And she's terrified and he has this awful line. He goes, I'll always be a part of you now. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's so gross, isn't it? Even worse. Even worse. Do you know what Picard says when she's explaining this? She, she The word she uses, it was a violation. Yeah. And Picard says... If you can endure more of these assaults, I need you at my side. I'm like, what? Gross. If she Gross. can endure more of these assaults? <sighs> and later in the film, she somehow gets her revenge in a scene I don't understand. Like, I don't know. I guess maybe she has a backdoor into his mind. Yeah, so she yeah. tricks him into doing something. Not enough. Mm, Not mm, enough. No, no, that's gross. It's very unlike Picard as well. Yep. Poor taste. To do that. Yeah. Um, really that, that, uh, what was it? Reman? Reman's. Ron Perlman. I, you know, Under I did heavy, heavy makeup. You it, would never know. It's a bit like Christopher Eccleston. I didn't know until I read the credits. I was like, who is he? Oh, he's the big monster man. Yeah. What a waste. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the movie opens with Riker and Troy's wedding, which is nice. But, you know, I often say that, like, when a movie franchise is out of ideas of where to take the characters, they'll think of uh, a wedding. Yeah. And then maybe kids after that. Sure. So they get married. Um there's no mention of uh, Worf and Troy's relationship, except that he is clearly drinking a lot and yep. doesn't look happy to be there. Yeah. I will say that's a better explanation for him being there, because he is going to show up for the wedding. Yeah. The conspicuous person missing from the wedding, Waxana Troy. Yeah, I know, right? Her whole thing. She is Deanna Troy's mother. She's this crazy, well, I say crazy. She is this larger than life spinster who's very romantic, very, you know, on the prowl. She's a cougar. Yeah. And she really wants her daughter to get married. And so for her not to be at the wedding. Yeah. And you know and what? she likes Riker as well. Like, she likes you know, Riker. Yeah. And I know that she wasn't uh, too sick to do a cameo in the movie because she was promoting this movie. Really? I saw I saw a YouTube clip of her on a like some local talk show just talking about Star Trek, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry. And uh, this line also sticks in my mind because it's just so funny. She's 
she's an older actress. She's of another time. I don't think she even... she probably didn't even see the movie. And based on the end result, I kind of hope she didn't. Mm. But they go like, oh, and Star Trek Nemesis will be in cinemas December, whatever. And she goes, yes, I'm sure it's going to be a real whiz popper. Oh, <laughs> you know right. I mean? Yeah, yeah. She's wonderful. So cute. I love what? her. But it's just, yeah. it's a serious, serious crime against like the I mean, character. Even in the story of the movie, this is only Troy and Riker's first wedding. They're going to have another wedding on, on Beta on Z. Beta Z. Her planet. it's going to be naked. You can't, you, no one wears clothes um, yep. on Beta Z. And I, I guess they kind of thought they'd either have to Austin Powers it. Right, you know, right. Um, how are you going to show everybody naked? Um, that would have been more exciting than what we got. Um, yeah, yeah, well. We end up with, um, here's another little line of dialogue that uh, stuck out to me. Um, Data begins his toast by saying, ladies, gentlemen, and invited transgendered species. Mm -hmm. Now, this is me quibbling. Okay. And language around this kind of stuff has changed a lot uh, since the movie came out in what, like 99, 2000, something like that? Not sure. Um, The thing is, a transgender person is someone whose gender does not match their sex at birth. Okay. Right? So if someone, for example was born female and identifies as a man, they would still be addressed as gentlemen. Mm. A, you know, mm. a trans woman would be addressed as ladies. Yeah. I, I, it might be, in today's language, it would be more accurate to say, uh, you know, ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary mm-hmm. guests, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that they were trying. Yeah. But it just stuck I, out Yeah, to me. at least their, their minds were, were thinking in the right way. Absolutely. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't make uh, sense. Also, Data, Data sings and uh, kind of stinks. I don't like him singing. Oh, Yellow Eyes. He brought out an album called uh, Oh, Yellow Eyes is Back, where he does Frank Sinatra numbers. I know he does. I, I'm I guessing do- that's what this is. I don't think I could bring myself to listen to oh, it. No, and have. also, Worf, like, says this line. He goes, oh, Irving Berlin. As if, like, does he yeah. know who Irving Berlin is? He doesn't like Earth music. Yeah. He likes Klingon opera. That's right. So, I don't know. Which sounds a lot like opera. Yes, you know, opera. Wait, like, but I kind of felt language. like Klingon opera should have been, like, way more metal. Yeah, you're right. You know? It should have. Um, let's see. Another thing I hate about... Okay, so Nemesis, right? It turns out there's a a clone of Picard. Yes. Who um, is played by Tom Hardy. Um, Good casting, I think. Uh, at least physically. Yeah, I, I kind of. Kind, kind, I mean, they, they, they have to make a, a fake prosthetic nose for I, Tom I, Hardy see, to See, I don't look. like when they do that. I know yeah. that, you know that movie... It's really obvious. You know the movie Looper. Um, yes, they, yeah. they they gave uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt all yeah. these prosthetics to make him look like a younger like, Bruce that's Willis. Right, yeah. I was like, look, I know I'm watching a movie. I can trick my brain into going, that's him when he's younger. Fine. Yeah. Have you ever seen, I've only seen like three quarters of it, this movie from like the mid-2000s, this silly comedy, 17 again? It's sort of uh, like a Freaky Zachary Friday. Quinto? Zach Oh no, Efron. Zach Efron, yeah, yeah. It's like and, a... And, and, um... Matt LeBlanc, or not Matt LeBlanc. Matt Perry. Matt Perry, yeah. And I just Luke, what yeah, went yeah. wrong in Zac Efron's life <laughs> know, that he I, turned into Matt Perry? No, it's just like, but it's a movie, so it's, it's, a, it's it. fine. Yeah. They, they do things like, um, Shinzon. Shinzon, okay. Nice, yeah, bad yeah. sci-fi name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Shinzon is supposed to be a young version of Picard. He's completely bald. Yes. Now we've seen that when Picard is young, he's not bald. Yep. Right? So that's a, you know, that's a kind of a, a tick in the, Once you again, weren't watching your own fucking show. It, it's a, it's another tick in, we think the audience is stupid and they won't understand that he is a young uh, Picard if he's not bald. Yes, exactly, exactly. Of course we're going to know. And, and also, uh, there's, a, there's a hilarious, unintentionally hilarious moment where Picard is looking at a photo of his younger self and it's Tom Hardy, 
yeah. in, a, in a cadet's uniform with a bald head. Yeah. And he's just got this, he's got this sassy little pose with his hips stuck out. Right. It's really funny. It's just a dumb way for the audience to be like, yep, that's him. All right. Though, as you say, he had hair for a while. At the beginning of the franchise, he had a crown going, mm. you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and they did, they did a flashback t- to when he was younger in... in um, in the uh, show. In the show. He get, the, the episode where he gets stabbed through the heart. While playing Domjot. A, a different guy, yeah. Yep. Domjot human! He's um, got a full head of yeah. hair! And they, they, there's a clip where it's Patrick Stewart uh, uh, playing a younger Picard, and they've given him a hairpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, so... This this was not not consistent. The plot is that uh, at one point the Romulans were planning to clone a rapidly growing Picard clone so they could replace him with one of theirs, mm-hmm. uh, but that didn't work out for some reason. Yeah, the, the um, uh, politics in 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 uh, the Romulus well, changed changed, and they, so they just they, they just stuck him, him. They stuck him on. Uh, there's Romulus and Remus, which are yes. named after the two le- the two people who founded Rome, yeah. according to legend. Yeah. Uh, Remus is the sister planet. The Remans are like an undesirable cast of Romulan society, and basically he was put into a mine uh, to do slave labor. Yeah, and they didn't need him anymore. Yeah, so, so they, they discarded stuck him in there. Uh, now, at some point, somehow... Uh, he, I guess, he gained favor with all the Reman slaves. They overthrew their masters, and now somehow he's shown up, and he has, wouldn't you know, a giant, pointy, giant, black, scary, yeah. spooky, super giant, scary ship. Yeah, and uh, th- that's where we get the line, you know, oh, it's a guillotine. Yeah, right. And throughout the movie, they say crazy things like, "It's got perfect cloaking. It leaves no tachyon trail, no ions, no nothing. Every other." Uh, cloak leaves something that you can sometimes detect that someone may be using it they just say oh this is perfect why just to up the stakes of the movie and you go wait a minute this guy's a slave on a slave planet you need like manufacturing you need industry to produce a giant spacefaring vehicle and it's like bigger and better than anything the romulans have i just can't buy it yeah it's ridiculous yeah, it's silly and yeah and and, and why is he in charge why is he in charge yeah. of all the remans like, uh, like how what did he do to gain that much favor that they'll follow him to their death you'd think that a human would be uh, that a human would not be their ideal leader yeah they'd kick the shit out of him all the time he'd be like a punching bag for them so uh and his plan of course uh get this somehow got a hold of this super scary radiation that destroys all organic life it comes into contact with boring generic yep. supervillain yep. weapon and he's going to destroy earth and you go why well, because the idiots at home are like, the I live there. I don't want them to blow up Earth. But why does the character want to blow up Earth? Yeah. No reason. Yeah. Um, What's it going to get him? He's got, and I, and I don't think this is part of his main motivation, but or, or the motivation that he's told his crew. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just pissed off and jealous of Picard. Yeah. Because he had this shitty life. He's got a few scars on his face. Yeah. You know, so he's like... You know, um, you don't know my, how hard I've my had. My face it. looks familiar, but it's seen harder times, or something like this. You know, yeah. um, um, so he does have so, one cool line that I kind of like. Oh yeah, what's it's, that? It's almost corny, but I kind of like it. He goes, "We are about to witness the triumph of the echo over the voice." Oh right, it's right. not too That's bad. Kind of cool, yeah. Um, but I don't really take his point because he's saying like, "You and I are the same. I know exactly how you think," and it's like, I mean, my point of view personally is like. It's our experiences and our memories and our relationships that make us who we are. 
what are we to learn from uh, from this? That if Picard was thrown into a mine and treated horribly as a slave for a million years, that he would he be would a, nasty, a shithead as well. He'd be yeah. a, a worse person. Yeah. yeah, I guess identical twins share DNA. Sure, right, but they turn out different. You know right? what? Even with the same upbringing, identical twins will turn out as completely different people. There's an episode of Next Generation where there's a transporter accident, and Riker is effectively cloned. They are identical up until that point. They have had the exact same lives, but they decide this one is not Will Riker, and he leaves. He makes a new name for himself. He mm. takes his middle name, Thomas. That's right, Thomas Riker. He's a new guy. Yeah. So I'm sorry. No, you're not the same guy as Picard. Yeah. You just not aren't. at all. Not at all. Um. Also, uh, we get a really stupid scene uh, where they take a dune buggy oh. down to the planet. <laughs> now, we know why this is. I'm just remembering how much I hate this fucking movie. It's, okay. it's because Patrick Stewart, <laughs> yeah. the actor who, you know, he's the lead of these movies, uh, said, I like dune buggies. Can we put a dune buggy in the movie? So they said, oh, whatever you want, Patrick. Yep. Uh, and so Jean-Luc Picard, who's like a quiet, measured guy, an archaeology nerd, he loves sipping tea, he loves reading Shakespeare and good books and history, is now this grinning idiot driving a dune buggy around. Yeah, yeah. And petrol head. Also, as people have pointed out, like, the Remans show up and are pew, 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 firing at them. And you're like, okay, well, now you're on a vehicle that can hold three people, that has no storage, that can only go so many miles an hour, and they have to get back on the shuttle. It's like, why would you not just stay on the shuttle? Because yeah. Patrick Stewart wanted to ride around in a dune yeah. buggy. Yeah. Once they started giving in to demands of the actors, particularly Patrick Stewart, who we're going to mm. come back to when we get to Picard, uh, I think that's when the series begins to really fall apart. Yeah. Because yeah. I get it. Picard is not always the most exciting character to play. But when you start going, nah, he takes his shirt off and shoots things with his big pythons and shoots guns and drives cars, you're like, well, this is some other guy. Mm. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, by the time we get to hear our beloved Captain Picard, he's gone. Even even just like, you sent this as a gift to me recently. Just a little moment of him dancing. I'm like, that's too much. Yeah. That's too that's right. flamboyant. That was Patrick Stewart between takes. I'm when sure. That, you know, when that happens. Or does that happen in a movie, actually? Maybe it, it does. It happens in yeah. this movie, I believe. Oh, does it? Oh, fuck. Or, or, or I, I thought it was an outtake, but actually, you could be I right. could be wrong. It could be an insurrection. Maybe he's, you know, giddy from the youth juice. Right, right, right. But even <laughs> so, you're like... He's he's like Hank Hill as a captain. He's like real measured, emotionally <laughs> yeah. reserved. He doesn't like talking about feelings and emotions too much. Yeah. Only in like broad, intellectual, artful sense. He doesn't really like getting into like, here's how I'm feeling. That's you right. Know what I mean? That's right. And the Red Letter Media guys pointed out on the last episode when he when he says goodbye to Riker for the last time, it's really cold. Mm-hmm. He, like he shakes his hand. Yeah. And that's it, you know? Um, he's not an emotional dude. He's just not. Also, uh, we have to talk a bit about... Um, Data. A bit about data. Okay. Okay, so here's the thing. This movie is called Nemesis, Mm -hmm. right? And Shinzan is supposed to be like a nemesis for Picard. Right. Okay. He's not. We've never heard of Shinzan before. He's just come out of nowhere. Yep. Right? Um, They know what they're going to do in this, at the end of this movie. Yes, which is... They, they kill off Data. Yes. Basically. Data sacrifices himself to save Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, Brent Spiner didn't want... I think he actually wrote this movie. I did see he had like a story credit. Yeah. Yeah. Him and a, and a buddy of his uh, worked on it. Interesting. Um, it, it, I, but it, this is what really annoyed me. In seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation, they couldn't think of anybody else who might have been a good nemesis to kill Data. Yeah. Lore, perhaps? Lore is his identical twin android, 
who's evil yeah. and bad. And we know him and we love him and we hate him. You yeah. know, uh, and he would have been much better to wear the badge of Nemesis. Can I, uh, Can I? since we're on the topic, can I give you my pitch for how you fix this? Yeah, yeah, tell it, me. It actually fits in quite nicely. Uh, I've, I've written this opening scene because I can picture it in my mind. You start off kind of the same. It's the Romulan Senate. Uh, and there's a security breach, an intruder in the Senate, a voiceover is saying, you know, alerting all the senators, and his voice gets cuts off before he uh, says who it is. And then a security guard is thrown through the door, and we see a figure standing silhouetted, and they warn him, oh, you've made a mistake, whoever you are. Uh, and then he steps out of the shadow, and they're all gasping as he moves toward them. They go, oh, it's an android, not just any android, that's Commander Data of the Federation. And then he reveals, even better, I'm Lore. I'm going to help you bring down the Enterprise, and that's the end of your opening. Fantastic, because that's what Lore, Lore is a is a master manipulator that way. Like he would do that. Yeah, he could do that. He's made many attempts yeah, on the yeah, lives it, of the it, Enterprise crew. Exactly, it's, it's his obsession. It's right. Um, so back on the ship. Um, rather than a wedding, I think that uh, Riker has accepted captaincy of the Titan, which he does at the end of this movie in a very boring nothing scene. I think it should be like a, a big sort of Starfleet send-off where everyone aboard the Enterprise has assembled and they're seeing him off. Rather than in the wedding, Picard, again, he's just Patrick Stewart. He's making all these like dad jokes during the toast. I'm just like, I just don't see it. It's a very formal military uh, thing where they sign him off and he leaves the ship. Now, you, you can pitch in your ideas if you have something better, but I think Data uh, is going to sit the commander's exam. We saw Counselor Troy uh, take the commander's exam, which you have to do if you want to be in the command section. Um, he is in, uh, I believe Data is in the sciences division. So he's going to sit the commander's exam. He's going to replace Riker as number one. And Picard is expecting uh, an admiralcy for saving the day in uh, first contact. By the way, in my, um, in my timeline, we make our DS9 TNG first contact film. We don't do insurrection. Because right. there's nothing yeah. to save. Yeah. Yeah. It's a TV episode that sure. they already did. It goes straight to this one. Uh, he saved the Earth in first contact. He saved the whole Federation, so he's going to be an admiral. And we've yeah. s- we're saying this is the last TNG film. Yeah. Now, people begin to notice that they're acting a little peculiar. Like, it almost seems like Picard is deferring to Data. And maybe someone pulls him aside and says, like, is everything all right? You know? And... Um, Maybe Troy is like, I can sense like sort of a fear in the captain that I've never felt before. The end of the first act, Picard asks to see Data in his ready room. And that's when we reveal that Data has been replaced by Lore. And ah. that Picard is the successful clone that has been grown oh, and right. replaced. Right. Their plan is they have replaced these two. Uh, and once uh, this... Picard clone is made admiral. They're going to have access to all sorts of secrets, all sorts of Starfleet intelligence. And Lore, as we've seen in episodes, a single android can take over a starship. He is going to uh, bring the Enterprise uh, down, and uh, it will be a great prize for the Romulan Empire. There's so many episodes where they're like, we really want to get our hands on the Enterprise, the flaming wreck of the Enterprise. So that's their plan. And we don't learn this until the end of the first act. It's a twist. Then we see Picard is, uh, he's been put into the slave mines on Remus, and we, he needs to find a clever way to break out. I'm picturing he, like, finds his way to the cyberneticist lab where they've taken data apart, and they start him up, and they're working on a plan together. Um, uh, this might be too cartoony, but I'm picturing at some point he pretends to be offline, and then he starts attacking the uh, Romulans with, like, his different body parts, like Evil Dead oh, 2. Right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, that could be funny. I'm thinking that at some point, Lore, as he does, becomes overconfident and sort of betrays his emotions. Uh, 
Picard and Data beam aboard the ship once they're they freed themselves, and it's a classic shoot him. He's yes, the fake Picard. Yes, no, he's yes. the fake Picard. Um, I think Riker should probably show up to help them at the end on the Titan. Again, I'm that's very me borrowing the idea of Sulu being a captain, but yeah, it works. It's fine, you know. And, and I mean, Star Trek does sort of like mirror things that happened before, definitely, um, but just not in a dumb way. No, not, well, this this nemesis the Shinzon like once again yeah like he's not called Khan but by god they're trying to make another Khan I, I, th- I think that was the nail when I was trying to decide okay is insurrection or nemesis worst I said nemesis is like ugly and mean-spirited and it's a fucking Khan remake yeah it's a I Khan just, remake and, I can't yeah. stand it and it, yeah it's just, just but again like killing off data like that None of like, the like it, 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 the thing with, with Nemesis is it, it it damages the brand. Right. At least Insurrection doesn't like all Insurrection does is 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 be dull. It's a boring movie. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Whereas yeah, like you know, the Wrath of Khan is not just exciting because there's a guy who wants to get revenge on Picard. You understand why he wants to get that revenge, and it's a great performance. You also learn things about Kirk. He's at an interesting point in his life. He's feeling old and useless and all this. What do we learn about Picard in this movie? He likes driving doom buggies. <laughs> he sure does. He likes yeah. driving doom buggies. And actually, that really and another really thing that I really pissed me off, and it's it, again, it goes to the the Wrath of Khan thing of killing Spock and leaving Spock dead for the rest of the movie and most of the next movie. Um, You're right. By the time they they kill Data it, at the start of the movie, they find another Data. Yeah, a third one. Is, a third one. His name is B four. Which is a terrible joke. Don't like yep. it at all. Um, Data and Laura is a, is a much better pun than, I, I than a beef. I when say, I've, made, never, I've when, never understood the pun. What is Data lore? Well, data is fact and Laura is fiction. Oh. Right? Which is great. I've, that's the first time I've ever understood that. Right, right. Um, I have to say, they really are making uh, Data Spock because, as I said, clown car full of secret siblings whenever yeah. whenever is convenient. No, right? Yeah. Before he's like a, he's like a brand new baby uh, Data, and once again, it's Brent Spiner doing an annoying voice. You know, yeah. it's not cute. He's like, why does the angry man have a furry face? Yes. Uh, shut yeah. up! Yeah. I hate this baby. Yeah. And if you're gonna make a robot. Like, I've got all my shit together. I'm going to build a robot. I'm going to call him B4 because I'm probably going to make more robots after this one. Yeah. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Isn't whatsoever. that what Laura was anyway? Wasn't he the first attempt? But he's like, oh, he's yeah. evil. I'm yeah. going to make one without emotion like, it's so like, it's not evil. So now they're saying he made B4. He was like too much of a simpleton. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so then he makes Laura. He was too unstable. And then yeah. he makes Data. Yep. Right. Which was the idea. And so uh, Data dies unceremoniously in an explosion. Very generic. Oh, he did it to save the captain. Well, yeah. isn't that nice? And then right away, uh, they go, we managed to save, I don't know, what did they say? Some of his memory in grams or something and put it in before. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, much smarter than he was at the beginning of the movie. But then he, he, he starts humming a few bars of the song that Data sang at the wedding yeah. and a smile appears on Picard's face. He's like, ah, oh, Data's going to be back before you know it. Yeah. And it's just cowardly. It's, yeah. You're like, so he just died, and you're immediately telling us, don't worry, he'll be back. Yeah. In the last scene, we see Picard and Data, or Brent Spiner yeah. as an android, back together again. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible, horrible, horrible. It's an, it's an ugly movie. It's a mean movie. Yeah. It's a Wrath of Khan remake, and uh, they don't have, uh, they have a terrible character death that they undo almost immediately. Yeah. It's, it's everything I don't like. Yeah. And to make things worse, when I went to go and see this movie in the cinema, uh, they kill off Data, the sort of the golden-skinned robot. Yeah. And I went outside, and my yellow bike, which I love, it was a great bike, 
was stolen. No. And it was gone. Like, the hole where my bike used to be. <laughs> Your bike blew itself up to save <laughs> yeah, you. I know, right? So I was really pissed off about that. You don't just have a, an evil or maybe a baby bike? That, yeah, uh, you know, like, and, and maybe if I put my old handlebars on it, yeah, it'll yeah. start whistling that old tune again. <laughs> Okay, yeah. well, that's our list of movies. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to go over mine again quickly just uh, for the people at home. Number one, it goes Voyage Home, Undiscovered Country, Wrath of Khan, First Contact, Search for Spock, 2009, Beyond, Final Frontier, Motion Picture, Generations, Into Darkness, Insurrection, Nemesis. Yeah. That's my list. Yeah. What's yours? Uh, it's very similar. The only There's a few differences. Um my number one was Motion Picture. Yep. Number two, Voyage Home. Three, Undiscovered Country. Four, Wrath of Khan. Five, First Contact. Six, Search for Spock. Seven, we agreed on Beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight, we agreed on Final Frontier. Um, nine Generations. Ten, um, Star Trek um, 2009. Eleven, Insurrection. Twelve, Into Darkness. And thirteen, The Gross and Awful Nemesis. And hey, I should play the sound because we agreed on Nemesis. United in hate. <laughs> United in hate. Uh, it, it, it unites us at last. Um, I do have a bonus round for you. Okay. Where would you put the uh, wonderful Star Trek send-up film oh, Galaxy Quest what a good on question. your list? <laughs> I I like Galaxy Quest. I think it's a quite a nice loving tribute to. Um, more than anything, I'd say it's about the production of Star Trek, like the actors uh, and what it's like being on Star Trek and how that can be a blessing and a curse. And also the fandom. Mm. The, the the general outline for those who don't know is these aliens have been receiving transmissions of Galaxy Quest, which yeah. is this world's Star Trek. Star Trek. It is Star Trek. And uh, But they believe they are historical documents. And this alien race is being oppressed by these horrible bug-like aliens. They sort of look like human grasshoppers. And so they go to Earth and abduct the actors who played the characters on Galaxy Quest, believing that they are, in fact, those space heroes. And what's really cute is that the end of the film, uh, the main the main guy, who is William Shatner, essentially, played by Tim Allen, they don't know how the ship works. So he has to call on this fan, who this nerdy fan, who asked a nerdy question at a convention, who he was quite rude to. Mm. He says, hey, I need your played help. Played by Justin Long amazingly. Perfectly. He he basically has the Starfleet technical manual, and he knows it inside and out. Yeah. And he's the one who saves the ship. And there's, yeah. a, there's a wonderful scene where he's on the phone with them in space and his mom goes, you need to take out the trash. And he goes, yeah. and he runs <laughs> outside, t- puts the trash. I, the I believe there's a countdown going on that the world is going to get destroyed and he has yeah. to take out the trash. It's really good. Um, I know where I'm going to put that. Okay. I put that at number seven. Number it comes, seven. It comes after, for me, it comes after the search for Spock. That's so funny. And it comes before um, Star Trek Beyond. That is... Except for the fact that we have Beyond in 2009 swapping list. That's exactly where I put right. it. Right. I'm go. like, it's just below the movies that I consider actually good Star Trek movies. Yeah. And then before all the boring ones. Right. Because yeah. it is a very good movie. I will say it's not consistently funny throughout for me. I've watched right. it a few times. There are a few gags that are just classics. I love the guy who they land on the planet. Everyone remembers this line where they're about to hop out and he goes, stop. You haven't checked. Is there air out there? Can you breathe? Yeah. Just poking holes <laughs> yeah. in the Star yeah. Trek logic. Um, and of course... Uh, Oh, what is his name? The guy who plays... Uh, he's the stand-in for Leonard Nimoy. Alan Rickman. Oh, he's great. Yeah. He's he's the Spock, and he's sick of the role, much like Leonard Nimoy, 
and he uh his catchphrase on the show is by grab thar's hammer and there's a bit where he is at pains they're like come on you've got to say you've cleared the check you've got to say it and he goes by grab thar's hammer what a savings (laughs) (laughs) Um, they do do a great thing with alan rickman as well in that when he's not um playing the alien character he still kind of keeps the makeup on yeah but it's sort of like you can see his real hair sticking out the sides and stuff like that and i there's no reason why he keeps it on he just does i think that um uh what uh the queen of science fiction uh ripley how am i forgetting her name oh sigourney weaver sigourney weaver she's great she's great yeah i think in my mind the character she leaps out as being a stand-in for is kind of seven of nine Oh, I always thought Uhura. See, I guess Uhura as well. Like, they definitely gave the women, like, short skirts on the original series. But, like, Seven of Nine, to me, is when it really became obvious that they were they were casting mm. a woman based on sex appeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, you know, largely what her character is. Though you're right, she is. she does also complain that her job is just repeating what the computer says. Yeah. There's one scene that stands out to me that I go, I don't think this is accurate to Star Trek. Where they're trying to get through the ship, right? And there's a giant, like, panel of, like, machine parts that are just clanging together. And they go, this episode was badly written. Now, the only thing I could maybe compare it to is, like, sometimes the characters have to, like, crawl crawl through Jeffrey's tubes or go through really difficult places to get to another part of the ship. Mm. But I don't know. There there are never giant doom gears smashing together. Why would you you make a pathway going through crazy killer gears? Yeah. But that that scene has a a lovely bit. The the movie wasn't uh, originally supposed to be PG. Mm. Um, I think it was going to be uh, whatever they call mature right movies. and and if you look at Sigourney Weaver at that part she goes oh fuck Not really. and they've just taken it out like you can actually see her mouth say it and I think maybe they might have um, uh, uh, like foleyed in over it like Sigourney saying oh no or right, something right, her right. mouth is not saying that that's funny they didn't yeah. even do the PG thing of going oh and then cutting that's right yeah yeah, yeah. interesting yeah. I have another mean uh, curveball for you to work into your list. Oh, yeah. Where would you put Shazam, Fury of the Gods, in this list of Star Trek films? Good question. Um, it's funnier than... It's funnier than Beyond. It's funnier than Search of Spock. It's funnier than First Contact. It's funnier than The Wrath Can. <laughs> well, it's you, the funniest you, one. You can do this by uh, level of enjoyment or which would you rather watch. Um, um, I've just seen it. I've just seen it, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to watch it again. So it's going to be above the ones that you are not rushing back oh, to Oh, for sure, for sure. i tell you what, I gave um, Shazam... I'm quite liberal with my star system. I gave it eight stars out of ten. Okay, okay. So nope, good yeah, enough. Yeah. This was a joke question yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, because it's hard. How do you compare... Uh, a, uh, a goofy superhero movie to a science a goofy science where one is more goofy i suppose yes. i don't know i was just throwing a, a monkey in the works right is that a phrase a monkey in the works a spanner in the monkey a spanner in the monkey yeah. there you go okay well if you've made it this far yeah then you're really excited All for right. our second final list the borg they've disappeared again for now I can still hear them talking, so much talking, and with my voice. Remember, Mr. Crane, wasn't us. No matter what we said, no matter how correct or insightful, it wasn't us. I'm detecting a temporal vortex. Time travel. Thanks for spelling that out. 
But when have they gone, Mr. Martin? Not where. When? Uh, that's what I said. Oh, sorry, I was expecting to. Never mind. They've leapt forward in time to assimilate the next episode. Mr. Martin, have you considered that maybe they're right? Maybe resistance is futile. I could have you court-martialed for talk like that. There is still one option. We could end the show. Delete the muck pod and stop this madness now. Draw the line here and no further. No! No! It's just a suggestion. I'm not prepared to sacrifice the muck pod. We must follow them back. Back into next week. Repair whatever damage they've done. Pursuit course, Mr. Crane. Course laid in, sir. We should intercept the Borg next week. <laughs>